Greetings, and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, The True Planetary and Galactic History, Herstory, and True History, Herstory of Nasara. Infinite blessings at this amazing time on the planet. We are coming up quickly to the February 1st uh, celebration of Imbolc, and that is the cross point between the winter solstice and the spring equinox. And this is the festival that celebrates the growing light. So we welcome the blessings of Imbolc, and we welcome the growing light. The sun god has grown into a youth. Every day his light gets stronger and his rays begin to warm the earth, preparing it for quickening. As the light of the sun child grows, so may the light within all also grow. We call this forth for every man, woman, and child. For this is a time to celebrate the divine light that shines within all of us. At the same time period, as we are celebrating in bulk from sunrise on the 1st of February through to sundown on the 2nd of February, which encompasses the February 2nd, the 2-2 Aquarian Gateway, and also is celebrated as Candlemas, again representing the light. So, later that week, on the 5th, on Sunday, we will celebrate the full moon, the snow moon. So, we have a lot of activities of light in this coming week. So, enter into that light as we begin and go into your sacred heart center, that sacred portal to all that is. Again, as we call forth the light for one and all. Going into the heart, we now call forth and ask to embody our soul, our higher self, our monad, our mighty I am presence, and all of our multidimensional beings through to our God presence and goddess presence. See yourself in your pillar of light, which is always there. As we call it forth and bring it to mind, we anchor it further, anchoring it directly to source, directly to the heart of Mother Gaia, and calling in the white light of source to fill us, to surround us, as we recommit ourselves to being the bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age and the open door that no one can shut. We invite in everyone to join us on the planet and we do that by saying, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child. 
I am one with all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. And we see everyone joining us in their mighty pillar of white light, the white light of the Christ, the source light. And we see this planet surrounded by it as well. And so as one, we welcome in for everyone all soul extensions, planetary and galactic. All of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, our ancestral lineage, all the generations past, all the generations forward. We welcome all of our spiritual lineage, our soul families and soul pods. We welcome for everyone, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council and mission council. We welcome all the kingdoms asking for their assistance, joining with us and in the oneness that we share. The plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. We welcome all of the angelic realms, all of the angelic kingdom from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim and all angelic healers and healing teams. We welcome the Ascended Masters, the Brotherhood of Light, the Sisterhood of the Rays and Rose, the Order of Melchizedek, the Radiant Ones, all of the Enlightened Masters, all Divine Mother Emissaries, Divine Father Emissaries, all of the Planetary and Cosmic Hierarchy of Light, all Ascended Master Healers and Healing Teams, We welcome the healing teams from the Galactic Federation of Light as well, especially those that we work so very closely with. From Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, and from Venus. We welcome the assistance of all cosmic galactic universal healers and the entire company of heaven as we ask Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do. And magnify, magnify, magnify it individually and collectively in divine order. 999 times, 999 billion times. And we give thanks for this. We call forth for each and every one, all of the rays, all of the flames, all universal laws, and all of the ascension waves. With every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask for it it to be received through every cell, chakra, meridian, and layer of our auric field multidimensionally, as well as on a conscious, subconscious, and superconscious level. Again, individually and collectively for all. 
and we ask that with all that we receive, we easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody these frequencies and these gifts and dispensations with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, in love and light and laughter. We call in everyone in our circle of support from the very first name that created it to every man, woman, and child, everyone on the planet, all of our family members and loved ones, all of our pets and animals, everyone that has been recently placed in the circle, everyone that has recently transitioned, and all groups and organizations, businesses and corporations, every nation, every military, every government, every aspect of government, every executive aspect, every legislative aspect, every judicial aspect, including all the courts and court proceedings, all the weather patterns, all of the snows, all of the droughts, all of the rains, all of the floods, all of the uh, mudslides, all of the storms and typhoons, tornadoes, everything that we've experienced of late all across the planet. So all weather patterns and climate change we put in the circle of support. All of the conditions of life that are less than perfection, less than heaven on earth, less than what we came here to create. We put that all in the circle and we hold that divine image. We hold that divine blueprint of perfection for everyone and everything. And we utilize all the energy going on around the planet. Whether it's any of the events of of January, the new moon, the upcoming full moon, the festival of Imbolc, the um, 2-2 gateway, all of the football games that draw our attention. The Grammys, I think, are on the 5th. Put that in right now. And in in all of the energy that we are putting toward all of the different things going on across the planet, we just call in all of that energy from everyone and ask it to be a part of our collective cup of consciousness, to be transmuted, to be transformed, to be blessed, that everyone may experience heaven on earth, that everyone may know their divinity, that everyone may know their role in the creation of heaven on earth. And we call for the Gaia to receive all that we receive with us through her chakras and meridians and layers of her orc field multidimensionally. Through every ley line and song line, every portal, every vortex, every monument, every place of power, 
every molecule of soil, molecule of air, molecule of water, molecule of fire, through every stargate and city of light. As Gaia takes her rightful place and we are upon her on this amazing spiral of evolution. And she takes her rightful place as Freedom Star. And so we call for the highest illumination of our group service now. In the name of all that is sacred, we invoke the the vast awareness of our greater self, the group consciousness blazing within each of our hearts. May our activity today be fully empowered by this enlightened inner presence. We call forth assistance from the subtle spiritual realms, along with our beloved Earth allies, the minerals, the plants, the animals, and the spiritual intelligence of the Earth itself. Please come and join with us now. We ask that our group here be enfolded in a brilliant sphere of universal light. We invite this light to enter the deepest regions of our bodies, hearts, and minds, activating the greatest levels of coherence within our collective field. We invoke and give thanks for the shifts in consciousness that bring our thoughts, words, actions, and feelings into right divine order, raising us into the most virtuous expressions of our true selves. We offer sincere gratitude to our source of life for bringing us together, for empowering our mission, and for illuminating our group presence. May the work we do together today and each time we gather be a bright blessing upon the earth Supporting the highest good of all. So be it and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We call forth for divine intervention at this time. And what we are asking for today is divine intervention into all conflict, all violence, all war, all racism of any kind, any destructive activities of life. In the name of God, Goddess, and the Great Spirit of all life, we invoke the light of divine intervention to help shift all the reflections and variations of reflections going on across this planet regarding conflict, violence, war, racism, hatred, and all destructive activities. By and through universal law, we call into immediate dynamic action the spirit of the earth, the powers of nature, and the forces of the elements, the love and wisdom of the great master teachers, the legions of angels assisting Earth's evolution and the vast intelligence of the unified field and everyone and everything that we have called forth. Come now and amplify, amplify, amplify our efforts to the maximum degree, guaranteeing it all unfolds in right divine order. 
sacred allies through our one group presence, pulse a muddy wave of transforming love through the collective heart of every soul facing the challenges of conflict, violence, war, racism, hatred, and any destructive activity, inspiring the highest levels of coherence, compassion, and comfort now. Please affirm with me, divine love is blazing through every heart connected to this reflection. Flood the higher minds of all people, fueling the appearance of all conflict, violence, war, racism, hatred, and destructive activity with the light of wisdom, bringing forth the profound peace an insight born of true understanding. And we affirm divine wisdom is purifying every mind connected to this reflection. Enliven every individual and group seeking to positively shift to release all conflict violence, war, racism, hatred, and destructive activity to planetary love and peace. Enliven them with the cosmic willpower to have the greatest possible impact. Let courage and inspired right action increase now. And we affirm divine will is empowering every soul connected to this reflection. Beloved Creator, please open, expand, and stabilize the portals of light over all areas experiencing the effects of conflict, violence, war, racism, hatred, and destructive activity. Through these channels, transmit a constant stream of transforming energy that significantly uplifts and empowers every being affected by this challenging these challenging circumstances. May this divine intervention and its containing matrix be made imperishable, eternally sustained and all powerfully active and ever expanding until the evolutionary plan is fulfilled for all life on earth. With our deepest gratitude, it is done even as we speak and we give thanks for this, we give thanks for this, we give thanks for this. To continue the purification, because this is also a time of purification, we call forth the violet flame to fill us and surround the planet. As we say in the name of the great I am, I call for the light of a thousand suns from the great central sun, angels of violet fire, beloved Saint Germain, beloved Zodkiel and holy amethyst, Amritas, ruler of the violet planet. In the name of God, goddess, I am that I am. Saturate the earth now and all of her evolution 
with limitless waves of violet fire. I call for the action of the violet transmuting flame and the action of the will of God goddess to manifest on earth now and forever, an ever-increasing spiral of divine perfection. I call for all discord and activities on earth that are not reflecting the highest light and Mother, Father, God's holy purposes to be miraculously swept and transformed now by the power of the violet flame into divine love and harmony for the restoration of earth and her people into their original blueprint of perfection that was originally intended. Violet flame, violet flame, oh violet flame. In the name of God, Goddess flood the earth, her people, and all her kingdoms with oceans and oceans and oceans of violet fire until every particle of life is restored to divine perfection. May peace and love be spread throughout the earth. May the earth abide in the aura of perfect love. May the earth abide in an aura of peace, love, and freedom. I give thanks that this is done now according to God's most holy will. So be it and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Working with the violet flame, we call in the white flame once again of purity. See it, sense it, feel it in through and around you, in through and around the planet. As we call for the highest of purification. In the name of my beloved victorious God presence, I am. I affirm that I am worthy of thy purity. I call for a great cosmic shaft of cosmic purity flame to remove from my mind, my thoughts, my feelings, and my body every vibration of human creation that is impure in substance, and that is less than my perfection in God. As we are one, we call this forth for every man, woman, and child as well. Replace it all with the fullness of the mind of Christ. Manifest within me the power of the resurrection and the ascension flame, so that by the power of purity's ray, I may be free from all discord I have ever created and all discord that has ever been directed against me through all time, space, and dimension and the light for which I stand. I am purity in action. I am God's purity established within my soul, my mind, and my body. Let me invoke purity, not only for myself, but for every man, woman, and child on this planet, for all of my family members, my friends, the whole family of God, all kingdoms, and Mother Earth. Let me also invoke purity for the air, water, and earth, for the animal and elemental kingdoms, all nature spirits, and deep intelligence. 
so be it, and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. We call forth as well the ascension flame, the mother of pearl flame of resurrection and the white and gold of ascension. We'll invoke them both, again, for the highest purification that we can receive individually and collectively. In the name of the victorious presence of God, God as I am, I call to the masters of light from the entire spirit of the great white brotherhood. Beloved goddess of purity, beloved Serapis Bay, and the brotherhood of the ascension flame at Luxor and Telos, beloved queen of light, beloved angels of the radiant ascension flame, flood every particle of life on earth, with oceans and oceans and oceans of the violet fire, the resurrection flame and ascension flame. Purify, illumine, and raise the consciousness of all life and all kingdoms evolving here. Let thy flame blaze, illumine, and expand like the light of a thousand suns. Purify our minds, memories, and feeling world from all blockages and negativity. Purify our bodies from all diseases and weaknesses. Flood our world with the snow-white radiance of ascension flame purity. Saturate and purify until we become crystal clear, transforming all we contact with the radiant light of the ascension flame and the resurrection flame as well. Blaze the radiant ascension flame through us. Blaze the radiant ascension flame through us. Blaze the radiant ascension flame through us. Flood and saturate the earth with oceans of violet flame. Flood the earth with the radiance of the ascension fire. Cut us free to be with thee in the realms of eternal freedom and infinite perfection now and forever. So be it and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. We call forth for one and all illumination and peace. So we welcome the yellow golden ray of illumination, divine wisdom, and enlightenment to fill us and surround us now. See it, sense it, feel it. We call it forth individually and collectively for one and all. Beloved, I am presence, blaze forth now from the heart of beloved Alpha and Omega, from the heart of beloved Helios and Vesta, into our individual hearts and minds, glorious waves of gold and flame of illumination and peace. Flood us with the precious oils of universal knowledge and divine wisdom. Come now and direct thy precious light rays of divine illumination and peace into every aspect of our lives. Flood the earth and humanity 
with the golden flame of Christ's illumination, understanding and peace from the heart of God, Goddess, in the great central sun. And we say for one and all, divine illumination, divine flame of illumination, bless my world today. Golden waves of peace, bless my world in God's perfect way. Flame of light, so wondrous to behold, I am thy wisdom in all that I am. Golden fountain of illumination, infuse every part of my being with thy golden oil. I am, I am, I am, illumination blazing through my heart, mind, and soul. So we're going to say that two more times. Divine flame of illumination, bless my world today. Golden waves of peace, bless my world in God's perfect way. Flame of light, so wondrous to behold. I am thy wisdom in all that I am. Golden fountain of illumination, infuse every part of my being with thy golden oil. I am, I am, I am illumination, blazing through my heart, mind, and soul. Divine flame of illumination, bless my world today. Golden waves of peace, bless my world in God's perfect way. Flame of light, so wondrous to behold, I am thy wisdom in all that I am. Golden fountain of illumination, infuse every part of my being with thy golden oil. I am, I am, I am illumination, blazing through my heart, mind, and soul. And thus, for this week, we hold the planet in that golden light of illumination, in the white light of source, the white light of the Christ, the white light of ascension, the mother of pearl, of resurrection, the violet flame, and all of God's energies, all of God's love, every aspect of love, because it all is divine love, divine light. And we hold the planet in its perfection, no matter what we see on the outside level, playing upon the screen of life. Hold the planet in your heart, in its divine perfection, and see heaven on earth in your own life and all across the world. And we hold this pattern of perfection for one and all as light bearers on the planet. And so I thank you for your divine service here today and your divine service for being on the planet at this time. And I welcome you to join us for further divine service for the Ascension Meditation and Activation Calls. Actually, February 1st is our anniversary date 
we started the first Ascension Meditation and Activation Call on February 1st, 2010. So it is our 13th anniversary. We will be starting our 14th year of service. Please join us and be a part of the family of light, bringing in heaven to earth as we do different meditations, different invocations, activations for ourselves and everyone across the planet. We begin, uh, we have the calls every Sunday and Monday, and we begin at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time, and have about 25 minutes of greeting. Then Tar and Rama come in and give us a brief update. And then at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific Time, we begin our ascension work, our work of bringing heaven to earth in earnest. This is a teleconference call. So you simply call in and join us with the code. And I'm going to give you that now if you haven't been with us. The main number is area code 425-436-6260. Again, area code 425-436-6260. The access code is 946-7441-POUND. 7441 pound. There are additional numbers. There's a way to get on through uh, the computer and through an app. There are international numbers. I'd be happy to share that. Simply contact me by email. My email is Cheryl Croce, C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-R-O-C-I at AOL.com. We'd love to have you join us and identify where you're calling from and let us know that you wish to be a part of our family of light bringing in heaven each and every week. So I thank you, thank you, thank you for your divine service. We want to take this time to thank Tarn Rama for their divine service here as well. Again, the calls got started because I was invited to fill in for them on a Friday night while they were um, off um, visiting uh, Swami Purna, I believe. And uh, that was in 2009. And then the uh, uh, Ascension calls came into fruition and manifestation February of 2010. So we've had a long run together and um, I give I give them my thanks and infinite blessings to each of you. Have a wonderful, wonderful, miraculous week. And um, we'll see you on the Sunday and Monday call. So with that, I'm going to pass the talking stick and thank Rainford for her service as well. Pass the talking stick filled with these amazing frequencies of ascension and resurrection and transmutation and purity. And... Um, the uh, golden light of illumination and peace as we spread peace across the planet. And um, 
There's lots of fairy, lots fairies, lots of golden dust. There's lots of elemental energy. There's the assistance of all the kingdoms and lots of angelic energy, dragon energy as well, and um, amazing, amazing blessings of every good thing for each of us as I pass the talking stick, Rainbird, to you. So love and blessings to all. Happy Impulk. Happy Crosspoint. Happy 2-2 um, uh, Ascension Portal. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. I'll take that talking stick. Yes, and happy full moon, too, because I won't get to say that until Sunday. Okay, blessings to everybody. Okay, <laughs> yeah, happy full moon, too. That's next week. We're at first quarter this week, and thank you, Cheryl, for your divine service. Thank you. Congratulations for the, to the 13th anniversary of you being here, and and sharing your Ascension meditation calls with all of us and for that long. Lots of dedication, lots of divine service. So grateful for you. And uh, happy Imok. So <laughs> we have that happening as well. So lots of gratitude for all of you for joining us. I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are a listener-supported radio program. It's all of us that make it happen. So uh, we have expenses each week with BBS Radio for the production of our shows, and it's usually between $200 and $300 and something every week, and so this week we need $620. We're $100 behind and have 200 and 53 that we owe for the other two weeks, or comes out to $620 that we need this week to catch up and stay afloat. <laughs> so we're grateful for all your donations. Here's how we make a donation to our account at BBS Radio. First, go into your heart space, see what is yours to give, and then go to bbsradio.com. On the home page, you'll see the menu selection. Uh, you want to click on that for Radio Station 2 for this program and look at that menu and at the 1.30 hour in Pacific time is True History, Hershey, and the Sarah, my galactic origin. And as you click on that icon there, that will take you directly to our account with BBS Radio where you can make a donation using your bank account or bank card in any amount. So thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the action. We are grateful. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for paying it forward. We have two other shows on Radio Station 1, and you'll find the icon for them on that Radio Station 1 selection menu. And uh, you'll find it Thursday night at the 6 o'clock hour, night at the round table with the panel, and on Friday nights at the 6 o'clock hour, hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Mama. So... Any one of those icons, as you click on it, takes you to our account where you can make that donation. So thank you, thank you, thank you for showing up. That way we are so grateful. We'd like to catch up. And <laughs> it makes it easier for all of us, the more of us that uh, takes that action and, and makes that donation. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, 
We're also assisting Tara and Ron with their needs. And this week, they have three bills that are due, and they also have $200 in uh, living expenses that they need. So the three bills that are due come to $477. So I rounded that up to 500 and added 200 for their living expenses. So the total we need for Tara and Rama this week is $700. And I want to show you how to make a donation to Tara and Rama. You want to locate Rama's PayPal account or the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account. So this is how you find the Rainbow Roundtable account. Just go to rainbowroundtable.net. And there on that homepage, click on the menu grid and a, a list of topics will drop down. And you will see, see near the bottom of that list, donate button. Click on that and that links you to, to the PayPal account for the Rainbow Roundtable. We're using your bank card. You can make a donation in any amount. So thank you for taking that action. The other option is to go to paypal.com and put in Rama's email at PayPal for his account there. And so that email address, Coran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at um, hotmail.com. And there you can gift any amount. So thank you for your generosity. Um, the only difference between the two is one's commercial and one's friend is op- accessing the friend's option. Either way, is perfect. We're grateful for all your donations. So much gratitude. And so as you're sending something to Tara and Rama, please email Rama and let them know what you sent and when you sent it. And that email address for Rama is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999, at comcast.net and also if you would like the mailing address it is as follows Ram D. Berkowitz R-A-M D. Berkowitz B-E-R-K-O-W-I-C-Z Post Office Box 280280 and that's in Santa Cruz New Mexico where the zip is 87567 I'll say it again (laughs) Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So there you have it, all the information. And uh, thanks for letting us know that you sent something. And thanks for, again, for all the ways you show up in your life. We're so grateful for all that Tara and Roland bring us. And this is how we can show our support for ourselves and for our gathering each week, for our family, and for Tara and Rama, all that they do. So it's an opportunity to celebrate that, and we're grateful for everyone. Um, so 13 thank yous and honey in the heart, long life, no evil. And I am passing this talking stick to you, Tara and Mama, and you know Cheryl says it, that it has all those ascension rays and, and uh, all kinds of healing rays, the like. The golden, the golden light of peace, and the violet flame of purification, and the blue flame of truth, and it's got lots of fairies and little people celebrating this 
uh, midpoint holiday coming up called Enoch. And it's coming with dragons and unicorns and all the little people you can see. <laughs> and a groundhog. So, great guitar drama. Here comes this talking stick. Welcome. Oh, you commanders, eagles, and angels, and all the other uh, wonderful beings that we all here are in our hearts. Happy full moon coming up. Yeah, and in a few days, you know, it's Groundhog Day. Yeah. I just wonder what the groundhog is going to see. Is shadow or what? <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Well, we've had some pretty cold weather, so I would just say it's all for the highest good at the moment. Yes, it is. It is. Um, so, Rama... Tell us what you chatted about or learned about out there in the world today. Um, I went to see Professor Nicodemus and Dr. Steve, and they hooked me up to a VR machine, virtual reality, and this is the first time I've ever done this, and they modified uh, the Oculus goggles. That's something I think you can buy online. I don't know how they got the money to get it, but they did, and they modified it. And I uh, was sitting on the floor in their lab, and next moment I was in space, and I was looking down at my body, and I was just floating in space. And I could see the solar system as well as our sun. And I heard the, this voice, and it was Dr. Steve and Professor Nicodemus both talking, but it was coming through in waves. And it was like, kind of like when things happen here on Skype or on other, you know, glitches on the computer. And I could hear their voices, but they would go high and low. And they just said, focus your third eye on the sun. So I just focused my third eye on the sun through these VR goggles. And I just sent the violet flame into the sun. And then I saw what I could you know, say was something like the solar flash where the energy just came back out and enveloped me and the entire planet, but it didn't cause any destruction at all. It was just waves upon waves of um, gold dust, like in the movie The Golden Compass, just waves, endless waves of gold dust, and I was watching everything on the planet transform, kind of like watching an animated movie from space, and this went on for about five minutes, and 
Then I said, I got to stop. I got to be on my way. But that was, and they just said, what we are doing with this is learning how to go into VR, use our gifts and abilities. I mean, it is a way, and I'm not saying that I want to play with AI or any kind of stuff. I just got a chance to do that. I stopped by to ask them today what was going on with the all these crazy dramas going on that we're watching right now about murder, to simply put it. And I have to repeat this again. What is going on in this country parallels exactly what Hitler did in the 30s into the 40s as they did public executions of people they did not like who were considered like Noam Chomsky or Howard Zinn and need I say any more. What did you say about Noam Chomsky and Howard Zinn? How people are being targeted by the deep state i.e. the police, to be publicly executed for being who they are. Well, this was at the night time and they did it on their own. Yeah. That was not exactly what Hitler did. No, but I'm just saying it's paralleling the Gestapo, how they, you know, indiscriminately stopped people and just shot them in cold blood. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, there's a new dispensation. It is. This is why they showed me this today, Dr. Steve and Professor Nicodemus. You don't need VR. You just, I mean, all the masters, all the teachers are talking about. As we get into that silence and the oneness within our heart, you go into space, you see what I just saw today. And say it again, Sam. What did you just see today? Just, you know, work with the energies of sending a violet flame beam from your third eye into the sun, and you will see the energies of the gold dust come back and envelop you. I mean, it's that simple. It sounds ridiculous, but it is what's going on. No violence, no death. It is about how we use the gifts and abilities at Jedi Masters. We're being taught right now by the universe itself. I have to just put it in those contexts because I'm seeing it. And um, I saw five crows today and they followed me from up here to Santa Fe. They followed me. And they went and they ate garbage. Because you never forget a face and they They never forget a face. But they literally followed me and I was a little chilled, but it's protection. They can't can't fly as fast as you go down the road. No. No, they can't, but they showed up (laughs) where I was. (laughs) Well, it must have been a few hours later or something. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. Magic is afoot. Goddess is alive. (laughs) 
And I passed the talking stick. Okay. Well, you know... I could also just say what I heard on um, Counterspin. They were talking about Mr. Santos. And this is a huge deal amidst, you know, what happened to Mr. Nichols and all the other dramas going on. Mr. Santos was created, again, by the deep state to create chaos and confusion in Congress. And it's not a good thing, and we need to blaze a violent fire. That's all I wanted to say. They've got an extradition thing out, uh, Brazil does for him. They want his butt back there. They want to put him <laughs> in jail back there. I'm not, you know, I'm not meaning oh, to man. laugh, but this is... This is how we have situations where Mr. Nichols, you know, plays a violet fire. Mr. McCarthy's not the brightest light in the room. Yeah. But he needed that vote. So that not-so-bright light in the room somehow hooked up with that other one. The corruption (laughs) is so thick uh, in this... Empire and the others that have to do with this unraveling of the old timeline and Satyuga is here. In a few weeks, Pluto enters Aquarius and I've heard so much about this that it is a huge, huge deal because it is going to bring into the stories about what Aquarius brings and this Sat Yuga. I passed the talking stick. Well, it's, we're right on the edge of it. Yeah. March 20th or something. Something is really happening there. Yeah. And it's uh, Pluto in, in, in Aquarius. That's total transformation into the fifth dimensional age of Aquarius. It's the dawning. <laughs> we should play that song, Rama. Okay. Yeah. Uh, something's up here. Uh, White House releases renter's bill of rights. I'm just, I'm not listening at the moment, but that's like the latest news outside of that scene with our brother you know Tyree Nichols and they haven't mentioned the other man's name for a while yet what's true is that it's the same playbook the police premeditatively set it up and it's on purpose it's the deep state. They want to freak people out. Yeah, in California, they did the same thing. They said this kid was in, a 31-year-old school teacher was into drugs and stuff. And they were saying that Ty, Ty, Tyree was into drinking and stuff. And not no, true. not true. None of it. I saw the living color of the brutality. And it's like black on black brutality. That's 
just, oh dear. No more violence. No violence. No violence. That makes you blind and toothless. That kind of stuff. And we're in that window now, but there's just an open door between the third and fifth dimension. It's wide open. And our third eyes, so many people's third eyes are wide open now. It's been more of an awakening than any time in the history of the human race and the world on a mass conscious awakening basis. Words don't describe it. It's just awesome. It's just awesome, everybody. But, um, what else? Um, yeah, there's a very strong call for police reform, uh, nationwide. And I would say this is gonna work. And let's blaze a violet fire on that one too. And, uh, this, that those that group of five actually there was a sixth person in that scorpion unit, and the sixth person was white and he stayed back with the car, as the other five went and did what they did. And this guy, the white guy, was saying, "I hope that they really, you know, I don't remember the exact words, but that." That, you know, those five really hurt him. Just really hurt him. So, again, Revenge of the Sith. Only love. Rama, how about we just start? Because we've got so much to do. I think everybody knows. (laughs) We should play that song again. What's his name? In 1980, he passed over. Oh, everybody knows democracy Leonard is Cohen. Leonard Cohen. We should play that democracy is coming to the USA. It really is. Mm-hmm. Are you coming? Yes. What does that mean? <laughs> okay, this is um, so it's called the expansion of our service roles. As New Earthers with Amrita Melchizedek. With Lauren Gailey. Uh-huh. And would you, do you want to explain who all these lovely people are? They're part of the New Earth Network. And if you go to newearthnetwork.com, you'll find out. <clears throat> well, can you say from your wisdom? Oh, just all kinds of masters and teachers that you know are showing up now to help us use our gifts and abilities to upgrade our DNA and be the living masters that we asked to do with this story right it says here about this show beloved hearts 2023 is the shift in consciousness that we have been anticipating for many, many years. It is a year of rebirth and return to higher states of consciousness. It is a year of illumination, wisdom, higher perspectives, soul-aligned choices, community and love. 
as well as stepping out deeper into our service roles as new earthers. I like that, new earthers. <laughs> All right, let's do it, Rom. Okay. This is an hour and 39 minutes. Nine minutes. Oh, my. Here we go. Here we go. Welcome to another Quantum Conversation, brought to you by AcousticHealth.com. I'm Loren Gailey, and I invite you to sit back as we enter the Quantum Realm, that space of the greater part of you. It is your connection to infinite possibilities, infinite potential, and infinite mastery. Oh my goodness, as we are talking about mastery, we are here with a mastery of ascension. And Rita Melchizedek is with us, and she is the founder of the uh, Pleiadian and Melchizedek Light Network. She is a beautiful soul who offers transmissions for our multidimensionality, and she is one of the prime ascension workers that we have the opportunity to work with. And Rita, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. It's so good to see you. Thank you, Lorraine. It's just so wonderful to be connecting with you and, of course, our beloved Light Tribe. So welcome, all you beautiful souls joining us. It's just such a powerful start to this year. Uh, I know that we were very briefly chatting before the show, and one of the frequencies just activating right now is just all these solar fleets. It's just absolutely incredible. That's what's happening on this planetary level shifting our consciousness, raising our vibration as we just deepen into that um, path of divine love and just express that connection that we have to one another uh, with um, all that's been experienced as we deepen into just this beautiful year. Well, since we are talking about this newness and this new year, Let's get an energetic update from you more on that. You mentioned the solar flares. How do you feel about the energy? There are some that say it's been intense. There are others that say it feels so fresh and new. What's your take on it? Well, it really just depends on where our level of consciousness is. So if we've got a lot of Density that we're still clearing. What happens when we experience this solar flexibility, uh, you know, that the X class flares, which are essentially, you know, really just high level, uh, frequency, um, electromagnetic energy that is coming to the planet and of course affecting us energetically, you're going to feel very sleepy, you're going to feel very tired, you're going to have a lot of density coming up. So you will be moving more into feeling possibly anxious, you're not sleeping, you're very um, um, moody, just all of this is just coming up because it's releasing density. So that's common for certainly for, for many of us. And for others, it's that you're riding that. It's really just all we're doing is we're surfing. So when these, for us, then these are more sort of uh, solar flares, plasma light, and, and, and greater levels of photonic light. And so that just activates deepening levels of the uh, crystalline Christ consciousness, source light from within. And we utilize that from a more of a creative perspective. 
So it's really just a little bit upside down. We are still in that um, process of moving from the 3D, 4D into 5D and above, then we're working a lot still with, with the clearing of those pockets of density in order to clear the body template. And that's essentially what happens when we experience a solar phase. It's not just energetic. It moves right into the body, into every body part and organ and into every um, subatomic particle. And it spins it in that increased light frequency. I mean, we can just see this around the planet. We see all that unconsciousness that is experienced at a 3D level. And it's just going to get worse before it gets better because all that light that's coming to the planet, it goes into the density and all that density has to come up. But the good thing for many of us is awaken souls into greater levels of observing what we're doing is we're deepening into that now moment because that ability to experience being centered comes from all of us to keep our heart open. So, so long as we're keeping our heart open, then uh, what we will be able to do is really um, find that renewed balance because our hearts are the gateways into the higher dimensional portals, all that is experienced. So what happens is that we shifting our consciousness and uh, expanding our frequency of light and then we hold our consciousness at these higher dimensional fields or portals or whatever you may like to call it, realms of light, which is really the quantum field. And as we hold it, then we can shift into those higher dimensional fields of light and all that is experienced from a planetary perspective and is activating also at the same time the light codes from within. So it's both uh, what is affecting us energetically from from around us and what has been activated from within. And it's really interesting because we're moving through so many, you could say, attunements into that quantum field at this time. We're accelerating into that next level. In fact, many people are talking about this year, and I'm feeling it also myself energetically, that this was the 2012 that we we hadn't that we were experiencing or imagined we were going to experience then. We're experiencing it now, that shift in consciousness because there are more and more souls awake at this time on this sacred earth. And so it's really just a shift in consciousness, which is the first aspect of ascension. When the human is ascending, as we call it, or the negative ego, we're doing the clearing, we're ascending, and then the soul is descending into the body. That's a soul embodiment process. And that soul embodiment process, it's not just, it's all. We have so many higher selves. So we are embodying all these higher self aspects, all these multidimensional aspects of self, and all these um, aspects of self that have experienced timelines of self-mastery. But we also embodying all the timelines, the karmic timelines, and collapsing that simultaneously and it's all done through the photonic light so the soul light light body it's all the it's all photonic light so the soul is the light body but the light body doesn't come on it's sort of the second stage the first stage is that we have to hold our consciousness so what we're doing is that we um, experience greater levels of consciousness and the consciousness keeps ascending that is occurring when we are Integrating the photonic light, we're slowing down 
the, 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 there's a perceived heaviness. We can't work the way that we used to work. Everything is sort of upside down. Gravity also goes. There's a feeling of disconnection for a while from the body, although we, we also feel a great heaviness in the body. Uh, and we are clearing a lot of the density. And that's a stage that we stay in for a very long time. I'd say that that's fourth, fifth dimensional. Um, the, the, the third dimension is, is mental state. And then the fourth dimension is more the emotional body. And so we're moving deeper into that emotional body. And then the fifth dimension and beyond is we move into the love, into the power aspects, into the wisdom aspects, which is Christ consciousness. There's different levels that we move through from star seed, soul seed, star being, Christ light, source light, and we just keep expanding. But the majority are moving into experiencing a, a, a deepening of the Christed light. So we're experiencing an achievement into this field of Christ consciousness. And it's very different between the, the, um, depending on what stage we are. If we're the star seed aspect still, what we're experiencing is still a lot of the light codes activating from a, from a galactic perspective because we're moving into still the remembrance of being the galactics of our service work and, and, and how we can step up and share those light codes. If we in the soul aspects, which is the next level that we move into, if we in that, um, soul seed aspect energy, we're moving deeper into what we call the purity, the innocence, the divinity, and those are codes that are coming on right now that, for example, we just went through a very big, um, beautiful purity, divinity, innocence merging with deeper levels of the soul um, aspects, higher selves, and that came from November the 1st, and then really that, um, if we could talk about it, it was sort of the ending was um, January the 11th. So it was the 11-11 codes. And that was actually just many just felt and experienced just this deepening sense of their own beautiful soul light, of their own innocence, of their own purity, because we expanded into that quantum field of consciousness collectively. All is experienced collectively plus individually, depending on our own soul's forward evolution. So that was uh, something that's ongoing this year. We've got a lot of our talk about these master codes. We've got the 11 codes or the 11111. We've got the 222 that was hugely experienced last year. That was greater levels of deepening into self-mastery, finding that balance, releasing the pockets of density, victim, persecutor consciousness, um, collapsing, dissolving the old timelines. Because as humans, we hold on. And as multidimensional beings, we, we, we simply let go. There isn't really anything that we need to hold on. Once we're holding on, there's a story around it, and it creates associates, feelings related to that, whatever it is, the anger, the grief, the sadness, the blame, the shame, the judgment. So mostly we don't have an opinion. We just observe what the situation is, what the story is, and what needs to be released. But to get to that point, of course, we have to do a lot of our inner work. We have to experience that great sense or desire uh, to take ourselves into that next level 
of our soul's forward evolution, no matter how uncomfortable it may be initially. And it is very uncomfortable because we've got all the solar flares, we've got the um, plasma light frequencies activating, the photonic light, we've got, um, you know, everything that's affecting our consciousness that's also occurring on an astral level that we're clearing the karmic timelines. And then also we're activating the light codes from within. And what we're experiencing now then is different gateways, portals activating. And there's one now that's coming through, which is ancient Egypt. So ancient Egypt is very, um, very much the initiations of light. It's very much the remembrance of not only the timelines of self-mastery, but also interestingly enough, it's also a very feminine energy. So, and with that too, a lot of Pleiadian energy. So the Pleiadian energy for me when I, as a Pleiadian star seed is, uh, just such a beautiful one to play with. It's, it's joyful. It's light. It's feminine. And um, it's coming through right now for greater levels of joy into our service work. And that's a big theme. I know I'm jumping actually quite a bit. But that's a big theme for this year is the shift in not only increased levels of consciousness and holding it there, but taking on new levels of service work. So we're moving around, we're moving around into different places, and we're also changing our roles. So it could even be that we're now connecting with others and working with others, because what we're doing is we come together more now with soul and star family. And so that for many that have worked on their own, they're no longer going to be working on their own. They suddenly are going to be collaborating in co-creations with others. And to take our work out, to expand our light, to share that frequency of Christ consciousness, crystalline light. So that's where we are right now. So there's a lot activating from within of new levels of service work, new levels of um, light work, how we're stepping up, how we being the gatekeepers, grid keepers, light workers, um, sharing all. But it comes from joy. That initial stage is like whatever's not bringing us joy, we've got to just release. That's absolutely so very important. And then the other thing that's very, very important is because we're working with new earth as a whole new value system where everyone steps up and shares and someone could be doing it through their, um, their skills, their gifts and others will step up financially because they can. So we, we all co-creating coming together as one heart and one love. And it's a very different energy because we're always working from what is highest aligned. So that highest alignment or soul aligned is frequency, vibration. It's like who's stepping up, who can you who can you work with that you can trust that um, really is in that resonating field of light with you in that level of consciousness or that, that that you can feel that support. So really there's new levels of support coming online. There are soul and star family and friends of the line that we may have not met that we're meeting again. So a lot of physical reunions, not just energetic, but physical reunions. And then for others, depending on where we are in that level of consciousness, we can we're achieving a lot more telepathically on the inner planes to the, I call it the realm of Christ consciousness, but it's where the center masters, the saints, um, many of those beautiful souls that had just incredible teachings that they that they um, 
their frequency and their light that is that is overlighting us, if you will, from the inner planes, which is a little bit different to perhaps the the overlighting that we experience when we're channeling. This is we're tuning ourselves to this field. We experience then being the younger brothers and sisters as part of that uh, spiritual hierarchy, but it's not really a hierarchy anymore. It becomes that we're all just part of that collective consciousness of light. And um, I've just had some great fun playing out there. Uh, for a while, the beginning part of this year, I, I was tuning in and I got a very wonderful connection to um, Paramahansa Yoganandi. And so I, I went and grabbed his book again because I remembered that. And suddenly I moved in for a couple of weeks into the Kriya Yoga and just having these incredible conversations. So, it's in feeling. New Earth is all about feeling. That's our information uh, system. That's how we work. So we, 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 there's nothing mental about it. So when we're communicating, we're communicating through the heart of love. And it's a telepathic communication that comes and is experienced in feeling. That's how we receive the information from one another. That's how we communicate with one another. Um, and I've experienced so many beautiful connections that way. More recently in the last few days, when I was going back into that Pleiadian energy and that joy and also into the next level of quantum consciousness, there was a beautiful, uh, very lovely light worker. Uh, I don't know, some may know her, Amora Kuan Yin. She was actually my introduction years and years ago to um, the Pleiadian um, emissaries of the light. And they were really my uh, star family, those that are connected with first and created at that stage um, a lovely workbook called the Pleiadian Light Body DNA Activation Program and and that certainly was was some time back. And um yeah, so it was just so lovely as I was making the connection deepening into that that, that quantum fields and the connection with the Pleiadians and Amora came through. And so it was such a beautiful reunion of hearts. And what's happening then is that we're activating deepening levels of the light codes from within into greater levels of remembrance based on that reunion of hearts that we experience in this quantum field as we attune to whatever we would like to call it, the, that realm of the saints, the masters, as we lift our own vibration. It brings on light. So many pathways that we've experienced in parallel realities, timelines, because it's all merged and experienced in this now, which is what the beauty of it is. That's why we can travel energetically as we experience that increased level of cosmic Christ consciousness into these different timelines that we're drawing back into this now, whether it's the timelines of self-mastery, whether it's the ancient Egypt, Lemurian, Atlantean, um, and then all those that we've known in different timelines coming forward too. So I went then before that actually, it was towards the end of last year, I went into a whole Buddhist kind of thing. And it was all about Buddha and all about Kuan Yin too. So it was part, it was traversing again the remembrance of many of the Eastern teachings and then coming back into many of the, let's say more Eastern teachings through the, the yogic perspective. And then coming back into the star connections, then all it does is that it's just bringing through um, increased levels of remembrance. Everything for us is remembrance because remembrance takes us beyond the veils. 
So the veils of illusion is simply the inability yet to not only hold the consciousness, but to activate the pineal. Because the pineal gland for us is really that portal to many of the multidimensional timelines through becoming our primary site of not only activating the remembrance of many of the ancient um, timelines or parallel realities that we've experienced through the open heart, but also bringing into this now the next level of the soul's forward evolution. Well, that is a beautiful summary of where we are and what you've been experiencing and listening to those words. I know we're each reflecting in our own lives and it really helps us to identify what we've been experiencing and why we've been experiencing it. And so this is our consciousness evolving. It's very interesting. Sometimes it could catch us off guard, meaning the other day, I think it was maybe even over the weekend, I realized that there was something that I was missing, that I, wow, that in in one aspect, I needed to remain open in the heart because I wasn't in one level. And here I think, okay, I think I, I've got it. And we we all may think that we're really strong on it. But the realization that, wow, I was causing my own suffering, if you will, my own pain or feeling the feelings within me because of a little bit of resistance and not, it's almost, I think I, I think I said to myself, I had a realization, I forgot about my ascension. I forgot about this key element. And perhaps that was with some of the solar flares and this electromagnetic plasma light activity that's been going on. And it was right around the 11th, the 111, that gateway. So it really does make sense. So we have to be very patient and gentle with ourselves and not judge ourselves. Do you ever find yourself in a place like that where you, I don't want to say have to remind yourself, but maybe in, in a conscious way, we have to remind ourselves of these tools and what's happening here. Oh, well, there's so much to unpack there, but absolutely, you know, we, we can all be affected and we've all got timelines. And, and certainly for myself, we, I can honestly say that there's still, it's ongoing, you know, exactly. and uh, there absolutely are still triggers. And, you know, sometimes there's some level of reactivity, but it's, it lessens for us, you know, over time. It absolutely lessens. So there's two things I want to bring up there. One is that you were talking about that nurturing self-love. So the energy of the divine mother has uh, now come through onto this planet. And that was really from about only December. So those, uh, what's happening is we're deepening and permeating into that essence of the, the, the nurturing from within in a whole new level because we've got the, the, the embrace of the divine mother. So many are stepping up into the role of the universal mother, but also we're finding then a deepening level of the self-love because it's very, it has been for us easier to love others than to love ourselves. Mm-hmm. And for a very long time, we've got the two voices. We've got the negative ego voice, uh, the human voice and we've got the, the soul voice and, you know, it's always the negative ego that's sort of anything that's criticizing us, judging, as you were saying, blaming. That's all the negative ego. That's what we're clearing. It's just an old story. 
So we observe the story if we can, but we have to release and let go by coming into a plane of, uh, of neutrality first as presence, as our beautiful soul, recognizing we soul, recognizing that we are just these amazing flames of divinity, the, 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 these sons and daughters of God, and as much as possible to to all we can to lift our frequency and vibration to hold that, which is holding that consciousness through the loving heart. So one is not closing the heart. The other is, as you're saying, all the tools that we have. And that is, you know, whether you need to get out and holler and scream or whether you're going to do the meditations, whether you're going to be out in nature. Nature for us, for most of us, is so important. We, you know, we go out into nature as much as we can. Um, the other things that we use are, you know, whether you're going for massage or body work where you get yourself a little yoga balls or, you know, massage sticks because all that's held in the body in different areas of, 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 of that have created that trauma, it creates discomfort. And, and so you, you need to move into that. You need to need it. You know, a lot of ways you're going to move it. So those are very useful things as well. If you're really up and down, you can use with those with flower essences. You can use and um, work with shizandra, which is a really, really nice one also. So the Chinese herb and um, really does calm the emotions and just give you a, a sense of well-being. So there's much that we can do, but it is really very challenging. You know, people really don't realize that it's a very physical process. That when we're moving into the session, it's a very, very physical process. What we're doing is we, we, we're having the pineal gland activations and, of course, the, the, the sun gazing very gently through the trees in the morning. The evening is a really beautiful one. Listening to the Hertz frequency activations, uh, you know, playing that music constantly, uh, you know, having things like I have in, in, in my two spaces that I spend the most time. One is my, my bedroom and because that's where we sleep, isn't it? In the evenings, like it's the meditations or whatever it is. And then the other office space, I've got lovely, um, diffusers and I'm, you know, with them. So I've got these wonderful essential oil blends that I've also made and, um, utilize that to stimulate the olfactory, uh, senses too and to create a different level of, um, brain state because we experience primarily from the fifth dimension beyond its gamma. Gamma puts humans to sleep. Gamma for us like wakes us up. It's just this beautiful creative stimulating energy that we work with. It's a little bit like the solar flares that we talked about. So initially though we move into different states of um, consciousness based on the, the brainwave patterns. So we move into the theta delta and then we switch over into that gamma state. Um, and also we experience a lot of uh, neural pathways rewiring where we experience greater levels of um, intelligence because as the new neural pathways are coming together between the left and right hemispheres of the brain, there's a lot of um, not only pituitary activations, which is primary, but also pineal um hypothalamus, thalamus activations, it's also memory. Um, and so there's a lot that's going on depending on also what we're working with from the feminine, what we're working with from the masculine. And to jump back to that divine feminine mother energy that's here on the planet, it takes us deeper into, for many, the experience of going in and loving self because that was something that was very difficult for all of us if we didn't have the role model models, if we weren't brought up to 
experience that, 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 that feeling of love and had to create it within ourselves. And I found for myself that for some months I was walking around just going, I love you. I love you. And it's such a simple thing, but, but, but if you can look at yourself in the eyes and say, I love you and just give you an I love you, Anita. I love you, Lorraine. I love you. I love you. You're just amazing and perfect just the way you are because it's energetically sensitive souls. Often we don't have the confidence and often, you know, there's still a lot of the victim consciousness clearing and people putting us down. And so what I noticed with many of us, it's like also just a confidence issue. I know for me, it was a confidence issue. I can't speak for everyone, but I know it's a very common one. We, we had, you know, that level of, of, of knowledge or wisdom, but the confidence thing comes up with a negative ego goes, well, you know, what do you really know? Isn't it? So it's, it's, it's releasing the blockages, which were part of the false beliefs, judgments of old. And that's what's also been experienced right now in the last couple of months. And then the other big one that's coming up again is the abundance where, uh, you know, many were, uh, in that poverty consciousness mindset and it's to listen, observe and, 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 to what the, what is being said by the negative ego and then to just let it go, to just observe it and, 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 and also just love, bring all into the loving heart initially. What I noticed in, uh, your speaking, Lorraine, you were talking a lot about thinking. You're saying, I think, I think, I think. We don't think. We feel. So every time you say to me, I think, actually you're coming from a mental state. So you're saying, I think. I lost that level of consciousness. Actually, what happened is you didn't feel it. So when we're expressing ourselves, we express from not the not the mind because it's a mental concept. We can say, I understand, I think I understand my way to ascension is to release judgment, is to release blame. But we're not feeling it. So we come into the heart. And we feel, and that feeling isn't always just love, isn't it? It's like a lot of mixed emotions. When we are experiencing the density clearing through, you know, kind of these increased solar flares, the plasma light, photonic light, the soul embodiment, it's a very uncomfortable experience. I talk about that 4D matrix of the emotions as really the archetypes of heaven and hell because we're moving into every level of, of, of trauma that we experience and as the anger is coming out, it's coming through the, the, the skin and the body. And, um, you know, we, we, we could be reactive. When we're experiencing the release of fear, we could get a lot of heart palpitations. When the pineal glands activating, we're experiencing a lot of nausea through the body. That's why I also have powders every day. I take, I make up this small combination of powders. One is with magnesium, which was really useful for us, particularly um, not only for, for, for the muscles and bones, but also as we shift from the dreaming state into the waking state, meaning what happens to us is that what, what people dream, we dream awake. We experience then the dreaming state awake. And it's almost like it's like creates sort of these rainbow, it's like a rainbow tunnel that expands around us to create that, 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 that frequency into new earth. But it's experienced by holding our frequency and vibration continuously in new earth through our thoughts, feelings, actions. Mm-hmm. From, from initially a feeling 
where we we embracing all, we observing all, and we no longer reacting because we release the judgments and blame. And what we do is that we we have to shift out of this identity of being. I'm this. I'm that. I'm a mother. I'm a lover. I'm a brother. I'm a sister. I'm a parent. To actually, I'm nothing. All of it is simply wrong. And how best do we experience those roles? But we, we, we experience it by letting go of the level of attachment into any of it. Because only when there's an attachment are you playing out a story. When there's no attachment, there's no story. It's just observing and loving all. And then that's the place initially of being nothing. And then only then do we become everything once more. So it's a very, everything is very upside down for us. And, you know, it's, 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 it's very uncomfortable. We, we have to go offline sometimes. We just, the brain is mashed. The, you know, things don't work the way that they do from a 3D or 4D perspective. But mm-hmm. when we're working multidimensionally, we can do a lot more work than our 3D aspects can. So, we always in that balance, but mostly we just got to honor where we are and how we feel each day by stepping up and following the guidance of the soul. So all we do is that we feel into what the soul is, I guess, expressing and sharing and dictating in a way, although that's probably not the best word, um, co-creating. We step up from that place of co-creation, but we do that by initially from our human perspective of doing everything that we didn't necessarily want to do, which means that we take on all the roles that 3D, 4D uh, humans will want to do, the negative ego um, aspects of human that says, oh, I wouldn't want to do that, I can't do that, or we're still giving the power away, you know, isn't it? They're still giving their power away, or it's like, how do we serve others? We serve our communities. How do we do that? Is that we look at what needs to be done and we do it. So it's a very humbling place initially, and I know when I went through that stage, initially in my journey of my soul embodiment, that initial stage, I moved very far away from, from in a way, the spiritual realm. It was like uh, um, I, I had firstly no memory of all that I had put together. I mean, I knew that I had been a channel. So then I moved from the star seed to the soul seed. But what I had written and shared, I had no memory of. It was there was just silence. There was just it was a blank slate. And then at the same time, there was the innocence of the soul. The, the, the soul, the innocence and purity of the soul, but it was it was the innocence of a child, a pure child that had to grow up and knew nothing. I can't even say how many, in some ways, silly mistakes or other mistakes I made because I didn't have the, the information, the wisdom. I had to grow into that. I had to remember everything. So each time when we unlock, if you if you think of it like it's like, we're unlocking one set of light codes within, and when we get that, then we only get the next one, and then we only get the next one. So it's usually just in hindsight that we understand what we're going through in the different stages. And when we're going through it, it can be very confusing because we don't really have a gauge. Many people that I've seen imagine like ascension is something where we, you know, we ascend and we leave the planet or, uh, you know, that ascension is just the experience of being in the now moment. We have a spiritual ascension and we have a physical ascension. 
The spiritual ascension is what we're doing, all of us, collectively. We're raising our frequency and vibration. We're expanding our consciousness. As we hold our consciousness to those levels, then the light body can come on, which means that the soul is embodying ever deeper in the body because we are clearing the pockets of density. But in that initial experience, everything is outside of us. So it's all 5D and beyond. In that initial experience that we come through as souls, we come through with the trauma that we've inherited genetically and that we then experience in this lifetime or we carry through through our soul contracts from parallel realities and timelines. And we do that so that we can know what it is to be human and the veils of illusion are in place for most of us. And we go through and we play it out until we awaken again. And however we awaken, and we awaken and we remember, we remember that we are divinity. We remember that we are the light of God. We remember that we are source light. But we have to experience it through our feeling body. Yes. Thank you. That really helps us. And... I love what you shared there about saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. Um, yeah, okay. As we're going through this process, I know I find myself, like if I wake up in the middle of the night, I am love, I am light. I find myself just saying that because of a feeling that I'm sensing. And also, yes, um, maybe in the head, the head there, I've been saying 2022 felt really for me and for others that I've spoken to, at times it felt like we were at a war between the heart and the head, the head and the heart. The head was, every time I tune into my heart and the feeling, I get thumbs up, it's all good. But my head would say, how can that be? And so that is a really key navigation point to always, as we be in the heart and stay in the heart, to really trust that in a way where it will override. We'll be friends with the mind then. And by saying, I love you, or I am light, I am love, that really does help us hold that vibration. I was going to say, how do we hold that vibration? But you've shared that because you're psychic and telepathic there and you helped us. And so as we are here and we're embodying our soul, then in hindsight, we're able to see that there were light codes that were activated. So it, I guess this is a two-part question. I wanted to ask you, when was your soul embodiment? Was that a while ago? Was it in phases? And in hindsight, how do you recognize that light codes were awoken within you? Is it by moving through the trauma and getting to the other side that now those light codes have come on board? Is that what's happening well, let's think of light codes as, as anything that is activating the consciousness from within. You know, what people talk about the dormant DNA is the first level of that. Okay. Essentially, the, I mean, I like to call it just the the, the golden DNA uh, light codes. It's just a much nicer word. But so there's many levels of awakening and remembrance. When I had my initial awakening, and in my mid-twenties, for me, that was the remembrance of being a starseed. So it was such a beautiful reunion of hearts with the Pleiadians. For me, the Pleiadian emissaries were myself, my star family. My soul family too, but in this instance, the star family. So they were outside 
everything vibrating at a higher frequency than we are is outside of us. So in that initial stage of awakening at this reunion of hearts, because I had that telepathic connection, because we all channel, but just in different ways, whether we are channeling through receiving information from star family based on soul contracts that we made prior to incarnating, or whether we are doing it through our art, through our music, through our writings, it's all coming through through a source connection from our higher selves. So let's say my Pleiadian higher self. But for me, I didn't recognize that initially because everything is about soul. Your soul is not just your one aspect. Your soul is just not one single something. Your soul is the universal consciousness of um, source light that has experienced multiple timelines, parallel realities to know itself as love. And how many of those realities have we had? You know, gazillion billions. So our soul is all. Our soul is angelic. Our soul is um, galactic. Our soul is sisterhood of the rose, brotherhood of the light. Our soul is all that we are in all these different lifetimes. And as we then embody and experience greater levels of soul, we experience different aspects of self that then activate new levels of light curves from within. But that journey goes through, as I was expressing, starseed first for many of us. Although it, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily start there. For many of us in our, our, our portal and, and our network, many are starseeds. That's, that's what we're waking up to. We suddenly, we're speaking love language. We're channeling the galactics. And for me, it was from the Pleiadians and it was the Syrians. And I remember many of these, um, Syrian lifetimes. And even at this stage now, we embody, when we embody, we, we from starseed, to soul seed, to star being. Because star being, we become our Pleiadian selves, our Syrian selves, all our galactic selves. We embody and are. That is the first level of our higher self because our primary higher self connection actually comes from Sirius. The first higher self that we embody to become our higher self is our Syrian higher selves. So, so many are at that level too, but to jump here around a little bit again in that initial stage for me, it was all the remembrance of many timelines because the timelines are merging into this now for us. So in the work that I remembered in that initial awakening was a connection firstly to the galactics and those initial DNA activation, light code activations, then that were activating the Stasi codes of service and remembrance and, 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 and with that we're sharing that knowing information, knowledge, energy system with others to assist them in their light work. So we're waking each other up initially in the Starseed energy. The Starseed energy is I'm speaking light language. I'm sharing with you, you know, kind of galactic activations. And it doesn't matter what stage we are, but in that initial stage we utilizing in this instance, let's say, the, the, the beautiful galactic frequencies of the Pleiadians, Assyrians, Andromedans, Arcturians, which were the primary core groups that I've worked with and still love to connect with, but on a different level, to assist us to raise our vibration. Because we're experiencing in that initial stage, and depending where we are in our consciousness, alignment and misalignment. And that's essentially our whole experience is going to be in this life. We have to get used to the fact that we are going to be, the light codes are activating when there's all this beautiful light pouring into the body. 
from outside of ourselves, from within us as we're lifting our vibration. And then what we call a misalignment or others call it downtime, depending on where we are, is now we're processing that when we process, we move them into the clearing, into this is coming up, you know, we we collapsing that timeline and we're still holding on here or there's the victim persecutor consciousness aspect still playing out. So the light, you can imagine as more light is coming into the body, which is the initial photonic light, soul light. The soul light is merging in along these multidimensional timelines. So we're merging and integrating from then as our, let's say our galactic selves. Then we're merging and integrating our angelic selves. So you'll get a lot of people that then are in that angelic energy, that they're just working their work and their life is all just about the archangels and angels. There's a lot then in the Stasi community, their work is just all about galactics. Then there's a lot that maybe are connected more to the energy of the earth. They are feeling, experiencing the Lemurian energy a lot. A lot of people that are interested in the initiations, it could be sisterhood of the rose, brotherhood of the light, they could be traversing into timelines of ancient Egypt. The yogic timelines, the Buddhist timelines, all of these are just timelines that we've had. But some people, they, they, they find it and then they perceive there's nothing more. Or they're just happy and they, they, they don't feel like anything more. Or they, or, or they don't, you know, desire to move further. But it's all just timelines and all just roles. And we get to a point where we integrate it all. But that initial stage goes through where everything is outside of us. And then we're drawing it to assist us to raise our vibration. That's why we do a channel channeling or meditation and everything in the beginning. It's just incredible and wonderful and amazing. And then that finishes. And we we find ourselves going back to 3D, 4D because we can't sustain that vibration. So that is how we start. And then we just, whether we need to do it through our initially further meditations, but we've got to also step up. We've got to step up because it's, the, the, the thing with where we are as awakened souls is is how we respect others and how we talk to others is a huge part of, of, of recognizing how far you are in your journey from a practical perspective. Because if you're still carrying a lot of lesser than and better than consciousness, which is judgment and blame, then there's a lot of separation that's still being experienced. And so someone annoys you, irritates you, again, listen to those words. And you shop with them or you you say things that are disrespectful to others. That's just where you are in your level of consciousness. So for us, what we do is we step up to be kind and loving and respectful to every single person. That's... That's what we do is that, you know, when I'm driving in my car, I'm going to a little supermarket or center here, and I'm sure in many other places, as we know, there's a lot of people around needing stuff. So whenever I go into the shop, I look who's outside, and I'm always buying food or something for them, you know, or I'll carry stuff in my car just to give. To give, whether it's fruit, whether it's bread, whether, you know, some coins. There's always something in someone that will want something. And when I look at them, I see those people. I don't say, oh, there's a homeless person on the road. You know, I, I look at that person and say, there's an aspect of God that is needing my assistance. So it's really then how we follow up, how we step up, how we share our light. 
And in that starseed aspect energy, we are waking each other. When we move into the soul seed, we then deepen into the purity and innocence of holding that level of consciousness. When we move into the star being, we becoming our ascended selves here. And then we move from there to Christ at life, source light. But by that stage, then we're moving out of our community into how can we sustain and hold that frequency of light for this earth? How can we shift what we share, teach, and um, experience to touch more hearts? And that's essentially, interestingly enough, where we are collectively at this time. Because we're all awake now. I don't need to give you another meditation to awaken your heart. You've got like a gazillion tools, isn't it? You know, we all do. So now what we need to do is be touching the hearts of those that are still needing to wake up. And that's in how we're forming then this collective field of light. So the collective field of light is our own frequency and energy expanding. And we expand into the unity grid of divine love. We become the unity grid of divine love. And within the unity grid, we're experiencing initially for all of us, it's a connection into not only the energy of the divine mother, but Gaia. You see, Gaia is our divine mother initially that creates, it's a pulse of the one heart that we, we feel the collective light through what we call the I am avatar consciousness of light or the beloved I am presence or the collective consciousness of light, where at that achievement level, we all one. And then we connect into the, the, the parts. We, we're working in parts on the inner planes to the frequency and energy that's most aligned to our, to our soul service roles. I was going to say gifts, but actually it's just, an, it's not even a gift. Our, all our extrasensory perception gifts are not extrasensory. They're full sensory. They are just a normal, natural part of us that we expand into along with our passion, along with our joy, along with our ability to step up and be of service. And that's then how we're connecting and co-creating with others, not only energetically, but physically to expand our light energetically, but also to step up in new roles or existing roles and extensions and expansions thereof to awaken others into that field of Christ consciousness. Wow. That was so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that perspective. And you are a brilliant angel. And I know you have affected many of us who are now going to look at the world differently and share more. We're already sharing more just from your words and feeling the vibration and holding that vibration, not letting anything, including our own mind and thoughts, take us away from that. There's no stress that would take us away from that. So that is the task at hand is holding the frequency really holding the frequency, connecting with Gaia so deeply that we can feel her heartbeat, the heartbeat of creation, the heartbeat of source. And we are building a collective field of light. I get that now. That is so beautiful. And you've helped us understand collapsing timelines. When we are processing, when we're going through our stuff, We are collapsing a timeline. I get that now. It took me a while to get that. 
Well, actually, we're only collapsing it when we let go of the story. We can't collapse it otherwise. So what we can do is that we can expand beyond it. And we mm-hmm. can expand beyond it temporarily, or we can expand beyond it permanently. When we expand beyond it permanently, then there's no hold anymore. Because as humans, we hold on. And as multidimensional light beings, we don't hold on. We always let go. Surrender. So that's right. It's, it's not only surrender, but there's no hold. There's no, there's nothing that is holding us there that, um, with any opinion or any judgment or any blame or any feeling when we think of that situation of discomfort. That is holding. So when we completely let go from a multidimensional perspective, then we can collapse those timelines because it doesn't matter who's in them. For us, it's no longer a story. It's like, it's done. There's nothing there. You know, we just move on. And we can move on gently, lovingly if possible. But if not, we can step forward in the divine masculine, say what we need to with that power energy and still move on. People don't like it, but it doesn't matter. It's really about we are empowered, sovereign beings, and we come from that heart of love. But in our initial work that you're talking about, that density clearing, if we're still holding on and we can observe that, and we can deepen into that frequency that holds that heart of love with an open heart. We can expand beyond that experience. And then we step back into it. This is what happens with people. This is what happens with us initially in that beginning stage as we are becoming multidimensional. Is that our love, we cannot, you see, we light. That's the difference between us and the humans is as multidimensional beings, we light. So when our light is diminished for many reasons, things are happening and we move again back into things are going upside down and we're not taking that time for us, the, the, the breathing, the walking, the meditation, you know, maybe something has happened and we have to move back into so or perception of a 3D, 4D perspective. Then we lose that light and we become human again. So the consciousness then diminishes that level of consciousness that we hold. So the key is to hold our consciousness to the level of the higher dimensional fields of light that sustain the frequency and vibration of the body that we don't move back into those lower timelines, that we can collapse those timelines. We don't need to re-experience those timelines, but if we are moving back, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm talking only from experience, what I talk about. What happens is that we move into parallel timelines where it may be different people, but it's the same story, the same frequency. Mm-hmm. Or we're moving back into clearing specific pockets of time that when we can hold and sustain the light, we can just observe and go, oh, I remember that because there will be a lot of flashes. A lot of things have disappeared we don't need, we won't remember because those are what's been collapsed. But other things are still coming up and they could be very, very old. They created some form of trigger or pattern in the body of discomfort or whatever it may be. Some feeling of discomfort that's been released. And if we are needing to move into that timeline, let's say something happened 20 years ago, for example, and um, something, and let's say, let's just take a very simple, silly example that maybe at that stage something happened and you moved into some trauma and you were eating a lot. 
So maybe in a parallel timeline, you suddenly you're just eating a huge amount for a short time and you're, and you're wondering why. But if you look deeper, you'll see it's related to that timeline. So there's always some connection into some timeline if we're still holding something. And it's run as parallel realities. But the more we can hold our consciousness to a particular level, the more that we can release that density and create that time when we need to, which means honoring the body. When your body's feeling sleepy, so people sleep to awaken themselves, which is so strange. A lot, a lot do that. Me, I meditate because I'm, I'm a meditator. Others are not meditators, but I meditate. So in that initial stage, because I think because of all the years that I did the channeling and the meditations and the activations, it's lovely. I, I can just tune in and meditate, but others don't meditate. They don't know how to meditate, but they sleep. Mm-hmm. And that is when you are awakening the light codes. That is when you're doing a lot of the work initially. And then that sleeping becomes, the, we dream into reality, um, creations. Because as co-creators, we have a very clear sense at some point of what we want to do and how we want to do it. And we move into that by dreaming it into being and drawing it to us. It's like almost like everything is just floating. If you imagine everything's just floating around there. And then we pull in the pieces that will best sustain, support, maintain, energize, frequentize, expand, activate, integrate, depending on what we're doing. Oh, my. And Rita... Your words here are an activation in their own sense because I feel liberated. I know others are feeling liberated from this. It really is a a significant roadmap that you're presenting us. And wow, we're so grateful. It really feels good. We can feel it. And so this is it. And so it helps us to find even more the, the the space of the heart and really living in the heart and recognizing when we're collapsing, when we're going back into timelines instead of collapsing them, when we're, when we're in the head. So thank you. Really very, very informative here. And so one thing that I'd like to be sure to ask you in our show today is in the soul embodiment and in the soul alignment or what's aligned with the soul, you know, we, we work so much on embodiment and higher self connection and listening to that voice within. When we're talking about choosing what is aligned with the soul, how do we recognize that? What's the protocol? What's the step? So soul alignment is also just what we call highest aligned. So it's based on the value system. So highest aligned is like you present it with like, let's say, simple examples of timelines. You got to put together a co-creation and someone is offering you like a big discount, but someone's, you know, charging more just as a something simple. But you know that the person is charging more, that their frequency and energy and what they, they, they doing really is coming from that, 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 that field of integrity, coming from that field of co-creation with others that may be just not in that same level of integrity or, or, or um, frequency or energy. That's a sort of a something simple, you know, on every level. So also essentially, of course, 
let's say we are creating with others or we're stepping up. We, we're not going to work with companies that, um, you know, aren't, aren't sustainable, that aren't ethical, that aren't coming from their highest place. So that's what we call always highest aligned. You know, that, that highest alignment firstly is um, choosing the frequency and energy that is sustaining and supporting to our planet but also to our own frequency and energy. That's, that's first and foremost. So we don't cut corners. We don't just step into something, something because it's cheapest or it's offering this. If it's stepping on anyone else along the line, that's the first thing that we, we just never do. So sometimes it's not always easy because it's easy to take the easy path. So we have to sometimes take the more difficult path the more challenging part from a perspective, from a human perspective. But from a soul perspective, it's what is highest aligned is soul aligned because the connection at a soul level is a quantum connection, which means often the people that we are then drawn to connect with through the soul, we've known in different timelines and we've worked with in different timelines but if there's anyone that we're connecting with and they feel a discomfort in that energy, they feel some sort of antagonism or something is between you that causes some level of discomfort, it means you're just not soul aligned. And we're there for some reason. I mean, a simple thing of, of, of um, people working. Isn't it? A lot of people are working in a job because at the end of the month, they're just getting that money. But they're not really wanting to do that job. So how is that soul aligned? How is that highest aligned? The key here is trust and surrender, and that's a huge one because I know then, and I know you asked me this question a little bit earlier, was when did I then go through my soul embodiment process? That was 2017. So I went through from the the one day feeling, sensing all these core groups that I had worked with and channeled from the galactics right through to, uh, you know, I was really part of the initiatory uh, order of Melchizedek on the inner planes, experiencing many of these initiations and then sharing them in different teachings. And, and that was all wonderful. But I was going through a lot of my own personal stuff too. What happens with us to awaken is that we, a lot of the unconscious aspects surface and we choose particular pre-birth agreements to awaken quickly. That's just simply it. But they can be very traumatic and I, I can speak not just for myself, but for many awakened soul, that we've gone through some very, very deep challenges that have created a lot of unconscious behavior. Unconscious behavior I talk about is trauma, uh, false beliefs, judgments, um, you know, victim persecutor consciousness. That is what we chose. That was our pre-birth agreements because not only we were in a place then to understand how humans function and what they experience, but also so we could create a path of light and clear the karma for humanity. So we all chose, many of us, you know, some very deep challenges. And, and I was still going through one of my own very deep challenge, some of my own challenges that had happened some years before, but had still, I hadn't really had the time to work with it so very much because at that stage I, I needed to keep going. So, that then, you know, I, I went one day from, from experiencing this deep connection with all these core groups that the next day I was alone in my universe. It was just me. There was, the, the, the mind was completely still. I could feel the presence of the innocence of the soul, but that was it. 
the, 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 all their core group, all their choir, their celestial choir, they just went there because I was shifting then from star seed to soul seed, but I was unaware of that process energetically. I understood feeling that my heart was expanding and I was embodying deeper levels of my soul. I could feel that. But I wondered where everyone else was. And that's then what happens is because we move from the, the relationship with what we perceive or have called spiritual hierarchy. This is a hierarchy. Hierarchy means you know more than me, tell me what to do. Or you know more than me, overnight me. And that's how we grow. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. But there comes a point where our own light is sustaining enough to hold that frequency, but we've got to get ourselves back there. So for me then, firstly, it was a very confusing time. So not only was I having to clear a lot of my density, because now then I didn't have a choice at that soul level, but I still try to hold on from the human perspective because our human will never surrender. We've got to get to that point of we on our hands and knees and saying, please God, no more before truly there is that soul surrender. That's the truth. Until I got to that point of I was on my hands and knees and I said no more. Then I surrendered to my soul. And then the journey becomes much easier, except you're still clearing the density, but you're doing it as soul. Not as the human, not as the human, but as soul. So that's the difference that occurs for all of us. But to get to that point is, 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 the, is the challenge. To get to that point because it's keeping the heart open all the time, but it's also when we can surrender to the soul, that's when we follow the guidance of the soul. But it's a very, very initially difficult place because your ego is going to come up and give you like about a gazillion reasons why it can't do that. And only then, this is how we've learned best, when we've experienced a lot of trauma, when we've experienced a lot of pain, when we've experienced a lot of abuse on different levels, there comes a point when we can actually just, we are either going to zone out completely and leave or we're going to become present and conscious and choose to work with what we need to, to know ourselves as love. But for many light workers, because they've worked for so long in doing that, then they're just very tired now because we are light and when there's no light, because there's still that density, it becomes, it become, you become tired. And that's when you've got to know you still, if you're not surrendering, you've got to surrender. Only when you surrender, then the light is embodied. Because the soul can't move in to all the, with all those pockets of density. If there's a lot of low frequency stuff, if like, for example, you know, not that there's any judgment, it's just observation. If we're smoking or if we're drinking or taking ourselves out to be watching like Netflix all day or something, something, isn't it? What you're doing is it's all low frequency energy. So it's not going to raise your vibration. And not that there's anything wrong with that, that, that frequency. It's just not the, the frequency that will elevate our consciousness and assist us in that ascension process long term. You can do it for a while. You can do your meditation, but then you're going back to your smoking, drinking, Netflix. It's not going to assist you to become soul. So you've got to make that choice then because that's still coming from the ego aspects, that's the ego that's saying, because the ego doesn't want to surrender. And when the ego is in pain, meaning that it's defense and protection and layers and layers, that's what you've got to move through first. That's the density. Density is not related to weight. Density is the clearing 
within the physical body. The physical body is our temple of light. It's the most important aspect of this ascension process because we move from the spiritual ascension to the physical ascension. The physical ascension is the body template where every subatomic particle becomes crystalline consciousness, Christ consciousness. So we move from the carbon-based silica to crystalline consciousness and we actually get physical crystals. We actually get little crystals that come up in the skin. But, the, but, but with those increased levels of, of, of discomfort and depending on what stages of the light body that we're moving through and into, we experience that um, the, the crystals also change in color. They are sort of like the crystals are really a consciousness of light that connects us to other consciousnesses of light. But that's really a side point. The, the, the primary focus here is that it's the surrender to the soul that will take us into what is always highest aligned and allow those value systems to unfold that will support us from that joy, from that field of abundance. And that field of abundance is there. It's just that we've got to step up as co-creators and we've got to embody from a multidimensional perspective, the feminine, which is the fifth dimensional, but also the masculine the divine masculine, which is six-dimensional, because our masculine is our doing and our feminine is our being. So I got stuck in the feminine. I wouldn't say stuck. I got I, I was in the feminine for a very for quite a while because that's where we do the clearing. That's where we come in and we're nurturing and we're loving and we're clearing on different levels. And it takes time, although that's an illusion too. Uh, it's it's it's. it's from a perspective of, of our multidimensional selves, like there, it's just all happening simultaneously. But from the human perspective, it's, you know, we are slowing down. That's what ascension does. That's the photonic light. It slows us down. That's being present in the now moment. And that's when we start to observe. That's the witnessing presence of the beloved I am. That's also the stage when we start to activate the threefold flame. That's the power, love and wisdom. So we activate the love first. That's the heart. The wisdom is the pineal and the power is the higher light aspects that we integrate from our galactic levels of consciousness. The serial aspect of self is our primary power aspect. That's our first level of higher self that we embody in this ascension. Then we've got the masculine and we've got the feminine and then we've got the doing and moving out. So when we in the feminine, in the, the now moment and we're moving through a whole lot of still the clearing, the density, it doesn't just stop there. What happens is that there are going to be days when we actually can't work. Apart from the, the, the influx of what's happening with all the planetary energies and the astrological frequencies and what's happening on a planetary consciousness, we also tune in these fields and pockets of consciousness that are being experienced that we're clearing and other gateways that are activating and opening always for us. And so we, we become more like the gatekeepers, grid keepers into that frequency and we hold it in different ways and all that at a higher light level, it's always just geometries. Geometries, sound, color, frequencies, and it activates in different ways through the inner ear. We experience all these different frequencies and sounds. And, and primarily for, for, for me and for me, awakened souls, it's a gamma frequency. You actually hear that gamma frequency. But if you're still lifting your frequency and vibration, go and get those different hertz frequencies. There's a very nice site that uh, I'll share with you called meditationalstates.com because it's quite an inexpensive site and you can get a whole lot of the, you know, it's a pineal gland activation 
Um, and it's not just the, the 432 hertz frequencies, for example, the gamma hertz frequencies. It's in the billions and trillions, these different hertz frequencies. And, you know, just play that constantly. And then get yourself the powders that I was talking about daily. I use the turmeric and black pepper because that helps with alleviation of discomfort, inflammation. Also, when we're starting, it's like there's a whole inflammation in the body that we're clearing. The spine becomes a central operating system. But to get to that, we're working initially. The kundalini is activating. We're moving through into the cerebrospinal fluid. It's going up into the pineal, creating pressure along the pineal. The pineal is expanding the crystals are activating and um, the third eye is becoming the primary site, which means a physical iceberg until later we get like they become, um, we get, they become little orbits of light. So we'll start to feel that energy. And then what happens after a while is that we also start to experience a plasma light field and it's like codes of light they around us and within us. And so you'll kind of find your eyes going like this sometimes and then they will naturally move to that center. So they will lift and move in. So when you're closing your eyes and meditation or opening, just imagine putting your focus on the third eye because that is lifting the consciousness up until that point, which is very, very important when we are shifting consciousness to hold that focus. So there's so many different things. There's a recalibration, the left and right hemispheres, the chakras start to align into one unified column. What happens is that we've got the heart chakra becomes our first stargate. Then the second stargate is actually the perineum center that we create. And then the third one is the solar plexus. So there's a lot of different changes that are occurring and it's an ongoing process. But we can choose how we want to, uh, you know, share our light and our consciousness. And uh, that is coming again simply from the joy, from the gratitude and from the appreciation of oil. And so I know for me, when I was going then through all these changes, I would say I was bipolar, probably definitely for a very long time. I was in there. There was so much coming up to be cleared. And this is probably for many of us. It's like when we get to the stage where we surrender to the song, we say, okay, I'm here. There's nowhere else I am right now. So there were so many things coming up. Wine was just such deep clearing that you, you spend for a very long time, at least initially, just uh, uh, a lot of time with that clearing and there's a great deal of discomfort. So you're often in discomfort and as you said, it affects the, not only the consciousness but that thought process where you've got to just bring yourself back all the time to saying, I am love, I am love because really it's a very, very deep process that we move into and go through to hold that frequency and that consciousness. And then also... Um, so I call that that's the 4D, the heaven and hell, where we really are bipolar for quite a while. Uh, and it's a, and it's not an easy one. For me, then that level of trust and surrender was like suddenly now, okay, you know, I'm, 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 this is how I'm used to working and this is what I was doing and now I can't really do that anymore. <laughs> it's like, what do I really do now? I went off and I did a whole lot of other uh, things that were completely unrelated and then came back slowly. But coming back with an observation, coming back with a deeper understanding, coming back with bringing things that were more real rather than just out there and, 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 and really just focusing a lot more on body consciousness because that is really our body templates are uh, really our um, gateway to experience physical ascension and the higher dimensional fields of light.
Oh, my goodness. Thank you again. And Rita, uh, you just bring so much wisdom for our journey. I just have to say that one more time. We can listen to you for hours. Such a wealth of wisdom, and we're really honored. So um, thank you for sharing that, the star seed to the soul seed to the star being. I know that we're each looking in our own lives, and it makes so much sense. You really are helping explain it because I know we're going through it. And so kudos to all the light workers out there. You are a new earth leader. All who are watching or listening to this are a new earth leader here to show the way, here to influence the way, whether we're remembering our galactic self or we're remembering the Lemurianness in all of us. I know many of us resonate with that so deeply. So, Wow. Yeah, the Lemuria is very new earth. You know, that's where we see the, the rainbows and the prisms and, you know, being out in nature and, and, mm-hmm. uh, just really feeling and sensing that deep connection into nature and to the, to the animals and to the plants and, you know, and, and for me and my God, and I just, for some reason, I have all these cats that have found their way here and, and, and some I got a couple of years ago or, or put longer than that. So it's, uh, and birds, I feed all the birds and I hug the trees and, you know, I mean, I think we all do our own thing, isn't it? You know, but, but really being out in nature, um, is just such a huge part of, um, that experience of connecting into what we call new earth. You know, new earth is here right now. It's just a frequency and vibration that we expand into. So this is really what we are recognizing is that it's not like we're going to move to another planet or that there's going to be two separate Earths and, you know, but we're recognizing that um, we have to hold our frequency in our space and our vibration through our inner work. And then what happens is it will start to match that outer reality because it's from the inner reality that we then step into creating or dreaming into our reality, the new levels of consciousness and experiences that we have. But it starts from within. Trust and surrender. You just said it again. We've heard this from others who don't listen to each other. That is truth comes from within. So you're all corroborating what is in the collective field of light. New Earth is a frequency. New Earth is within as well as we can hold that frequency and be that frequency. Wow, thank you, thank you, thank you. And Rita, so, so beautiful. And I wanted to say uh, the the meditational states is .com is what you recommended for those? Yes, yes. and they're about $3, uh, you know, uh, 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 one hour, beautiful music. And I just have a whole lot, and I have it on my uh, phone, and I just play it. Just, uh, just yes, and, and, and so just be, I mean, in fact, what I do is I do pause sometimes because um, – of that energetic sensitivity or perhaps because my pineal is quite activated. If I overdo it, then I find that I get quite nauseous and then you get the secretions that actually also come through from the pineal. They come at the palate to the, the top of the mouth and it's all can be a little bit and then a lot of, you know, feeling discomfort because it's just too much. So, but if you haven't been listening to it, you know, I would suggest as much as you can because it's absolutely going to expand your consciousness. 
and is going to activate the pineal, but then it does a whole lot of other things. I can feel it, which is so wonderful. Um, but I just listen because I love it. It's just, I mean, it doesn't matter whether I listen or not, actually, for the most part. But they, I would suggest, which I quite love, get some of the gamma hertz frequencies because gamma is also a very, very healing frequency. And, you know, there's different gamma hertz frequency ones that they've got. There's some that are really just silent, but they're lovely because that's really your start to tune and listen within the inner ear. You'll start to, to hear that gamma frequency. When you listen to the, the recording, you'll hear, ah, oh, I'm sure I hear that in my inner ear. You know, you will hear that. And then they've got even things for like um, activating the confidence and, 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 and happiness. And I remember one that when I first got in the beginning, I think it was serotonin levels activating. And I was just laughing all the time because I didn't realize it later. I, was, I went around my house dancing and then I realized later it was because I had listened earlier to this um, Hertz frequency that was activating the, the serotonin levels, well, not just the pineal, but um, oh, sorry, the endorphins. It was the endorphin level. So it was interesting that how all our hormones and, um, you know, are just so connected to what we experience because when we're in that field of um, appreciation and gratitude, not only are we creating from that as co-creators, so we step forward in whatever we would like to do, imagining and visualizing it, but we, with a feeling body, we feel it first and then we step into it. So, when we're in that field of gratitude or that field of appreciation or that field of love, what happens is that the hormones, not only the brain um, states, but the hormones then um, are carried into the um, different centers of the, the brain that amplify those feelings. And so it's such a beautiful one. And so this music is one of the easiest ways to do it, the different host frequencies. And this is just, I don't remember who recommended me to the site sometime back when it was, but it's just so lovely to just sit and listen and put it on your iPhone or iPod or however you're working and, and listen even, you know, stuffy through the night and um, just feel how you feel. If you get very nauseous, do what I do, you know, take those powders, take the ginger, the ginger house of nausea, magnesium, take the turmeric and black um, pepper, the combination. The other one that I usually also add there is the MSM, which really does help also with pain and inflammation. And then I usually do also sort of some sort of super green thing, whether it's the boab or spirulina or spinach or barley grass, you know, just see what works for you. We don't need too much, but in that initial stage, you know, our body needs to go through purification, detoxification, and that was also a very big one because, um, you know, our, we, we have to be very aware of the water that we're even drinking and the foods that we're eating and to be eating organic as much as possible and to, uh, you know, really just be feeding our body the, the food for the light body, for the soul, which is, which is not density and, uh, you know, not, not laden with chemicals, for example, you know, just, and in different stages, our body goes through different foods, you know, I, I could say to you, just try and eat as much of the fruit and veggies and, and, and all good things and, you know, as, as you do, but suddenly you're having a lot of pineal gland activations and you eating packets of potato crisps and with salt because that's what the pineal wants. So, um, you know, other times it's just I find myself eating chocolate because my body's wanting that or peanut butter, things that I didn't really have in my, you know, diet sort of usually. 
And when we birthing, birthing is another thing that we go through. It's like some of us have birthing bodies. It's like everything expands. The hips are moving. The body is expanding. And because we, we, we birthing, meaning we're creating another level of the work. So uh, it's a very interesting thing because all of this is very physiological and physical into the body, what we're experiencing. And so it's just honoring all. And we're going to have days where uh, things are, are, are wonderful and we feel all those light codes. And then a couple of days later, gosh, it's like we just can't even get ourselves out of bed. So it's just to be aware of that. And talking about bed, one thing I wanted to measure, uh, mention there is that uh, we create where our primary sleeping state is or where we spend a lot of our time. It's like a healing chamber. You could say that the the soul activates the highest level frequency around that space that we spend most of our time. And so when we're feeling things very intensely, if you're in that space, whether you're meditating, sleeping, reading, sitting, get up and move from that space because that's where you're going to feel the intensity to a large level because that's the space that's created to receive the most light codes and to receive the greatest levels of activation, frequency activation. So what I find for me then is if I'm going through, uh, you know, some processes and I'm feeling, a, you know, whatever, I'm feeling disorientated or uncomfortable or feeling this anger coming up or something, I'll actually move from that place and go and sit outside or go for a walk or do something, something that takes me away from that um, exact space because that's where my greatest level of frequency activation actually occurs for all of us. Yes, very, very good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to make sure that we let everyone know the beautiful work that you do And in the year of 2022, you did transmissions. You do transmissions. This is from the higher realms. This is from the councils that you work with. And there are 12 transmissions. They're so beautiful. They're almost two hours each. These are beautiful tools. We need to be sure to mention this because these tools have helped so many people raise the vibration, attune to these energies that we've been talking about. They truly are ascension tools. In the chat box, I'm going to drop the link for it. And also, the link is on this webpage or in the description box of wherever you're watching or listening to this video. But, Anrita, these are beautiful. We have just a few moments. Um, People can read what those are. There's 12 of them. Yes, unity transmissions. Yes, go for it and and share some words on these and how they can help people. Yes. So everything for all of us, as we've been talking, this is all new earth transmissions. So everything is to be activating the light body and to be um, experiencing soul embodiment. And of course, you know, it's just really about our divine rebirthing as um, source light, isn't it, in so many different ways. So each of these um, beautiful transmissions will take you into greater levels of those experiences. Uh, we have there the new earth divine rebirthing. A lot of us, like we were talking about the different codes. This one was uh, 222 crystalline light codes of solar expansion. 
the next one there is activating the new earth light codes and stargates from within. We're talking about all these portals and stargates that activate not only from within, but of course on the sacred earth. We have a lot of portals that are activating and stargates and to the higher dimensional fields of consciousness. I didn't actually even get um, the moment to talk about, I wanted to share with us, we can do it another time, the um, new earth quantum healing activations, which is also really working so much with those stargates and portals of light. So it's quite a beautiful one. The plasma light ray DNA activations, that's just, just really beautiful working with the rays of creation, which are essentially plasma light. So everything is affecting our consciousness. It's a plasma light, um, the, the, the cosmic rays, the ray frequencies spiraling through from the, the ashrams, the, 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 the rays from the sun that are coming through as not only solar flares, but actually as, um, plasma light. And then we've got the photonic light, which is the soul light. So all of that too is lifting our frequency and vibration and Really, it's so much of that alchemical marriage between our divine masculine, our divine feminine, and birthing that innocence and magical child from within. And um, another one there is called the Christ of ET's Energetic Wellness Upgrade for New Earthers. That was really then a co-creation with all the galactics, bringing in these beautiful um, multidimensional chambers of light and just experiencing beautiful things uh, there in lifting our frequency and vibration and experiencing, you know, different wellness chambers. Uh, another one there is called the presence of the divine mother within and really just connecting into that energy of the divine mother on the planet into greater levels through Gaia to the one heart to the joy, the passion that all that comes through as well as deepening into the self-nurturing, self-love from within. The serene initiation of empowerment. Um, I think I read that when I was going through deeper levels of, um, well, not think, I definitely did, where I was feeling that connection through my Syrian higher self and inviting greater levels of that. So that was really a really beautiful one. Then there was also some beautiful healing ones coming through too. A lot of this is based to on my own experiences, what I share. So this is the Syrian, Demurian, Sacred Spine, Creational Codes Activation. It was really a powerful one working all the way through the 33 vertebra and um, as a healing modality working with the Syrian, Lemurian consciousness aspects. Lovely one here is called the Golden Flower. Golden Sun and Flower of Life Zero Point Activation that was using the energy of the Christ of Light as a golden sphere and then moving into that as um, the Golden Sun and Flower of Life and Zero Point, of course, is that um, infinite eternal now moment being present in this now. So different levels of how we can expand into that and hold that Zero Point energy um, yeah, so just very beautiful ones. There was another one, the inner tree of life, higher self-embodiment activation, working through the body as the um, inner tree, moving through the spheres as they relate to the different chakras, body parts and organs. Uh, another one there was the golden sun, flower, flower, light body, macabre activation. And that was also really beautiful. In fact, there comes a point where that's still polarity where we're experiencing the masculine and feminine. And at some point beyond the fifth dimension, it's actually just atomic in nature. But there we're working with um, specific Fibonacci ratio, spirals, uh, guard speed to infinity, and with the shape of that star tetrahedron, which is essentially our um, vehicle of ascension into the fifth dimension and beyond. 
And one of the beautiful wines is the diamond light codes and crystalline light body activation. Of course, the diamond light codes is essentially our purity, our innocence, our divinity. And that's really expanding in this sacred year of 2023. There's another one, the galactic crystalline um, light DNA activation. So that's also working from a galactic perspective. Uh, so there's just some beautiful things, you know, it's, uh, just lovely to be working with all these frequencies and energies. And that was really just, you know, very uh, new earth light encoded transmissions that we experienced mostly in 2022, which was just such a powerful year with all those beautiful light codes. And, and so, so wonderful to be able to offer that, but a very powerful, powerful package of um, just wonderful energetic transmissions, mostly in the form of a little bit of an introduction, usually 15, 20 minutes, and then we move into that experiential transmission with invocations and affirmations and sometimes even meditations, yes. They are so beautiful, and when people participate in them, They'll know which ones just by the title or they'll feel it in their body and or maybe it'll just pop up in front of them on their computer. Who knows? But when we receive those, wow, it is always what we need. I, I every time we've done one and I've listened to it, it's it's so perfect and right on target for the need of the hour. So these are timeless. This is timeless wisdom with the councils from the higher realms, your guides, and they're very helpful. And what a collection. What a tremendous body of work here. Thank you, thank you, thank you for putting it together. Each of these were very affordably priced, and the package itself is a beautiful offering, all 12 of these. And if people need assistance in any way, there's a two-payment plan. We do that so that we hope that it makes it easy for people to participate in this and, and use that. So, again, that link is in our chat box. The link is on this page and wherever you're watching or listening to this. So I feel elated, and I know everyone watching and listening is feeling elated as well. You have shifted us, Anrita. You have actually set us on course for the next months, for the next year. And we are excited to step up in this way. I also want to say that you and I will be doing some live Zoom events. So everyone stay tuned for those. Those are going to be on Zoom. And that is a whole new creation for the light and for the community. So... Thank you, Anrita, for showing us how we step into greater roles for New Earth. Any final thoughts as we say goodbye? Well, thank you, Lorraine. And simply we do it with grace and ease, trust and surrender, and our open hearts, knowing that all is love and love is all there is. And just to honor all our beautiful Lightworker tribe, you know, you're all doing so incredibly uh, amazing. You're all so incredibly amazing and just doing so beautiful in your own ways. So just honor where you are in your process because we certainly can't compare ourselves to others and we all just sharing our light and stepping up and uh, it's just incredible. It's wonderful. We're feeling it and we're really coming together as one heart and one love. And the focus then is just to remember that next level of service work, you know, just take that 
next level of trust and surrender through the soul guidance into what is solar land or highest aligned with great levels of joy and passion uh, because that field of abundance is there, but we manifest it through feeling the timelines as they present into what we want to go. And when we map, we call it multidimensional mapping, we look at all the timelines that present and then we choose that as that which is highest aligned, that feels the most resonant, that brings the highest level of joy, that makes us feel so very excited. And that's really what has been experienced this year, just greater levels of joy and passion and new ways of working. So being aware of that, then just allows you to just step into it when you can feel it from within and step out into greater levels of co-creation. So our universe, we each hold onto our universe, we call it our universe, our co-creations, is really stepping into a greater level of that collective consciousness of light as the I am avatar race. So just a really, really, really beautiful time to be here. If you're still feeling a little bit disillusioned, if you're still feeling a little bit um tired because we all go through that just know that that too is shifting and that you're also very deeply loved and celebrated and appreciated and we're working on the inner planes just in these parts of light and so just keep that heart open no matter what is being experienced and remember all those i love yous just keep saying to yourself i love you i love you i love you i love you namaste I love you. I love you. I love you. We love you. We love everyone here. Thank you, Ann Rita. And I don't know about everyone else, but I feel like dancing. So everyone, let's go dance into a new vibration. Thank you, Ann Rita. And thank you, everyone, for being here. Namaste. 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 Okay, we're going to get started here uh, with our friend. We're going to do another. What she said. <laughs> yeah, la, la, la. Mm. Mm. Um, we have another couple of uh, sharings from Eric Von Danigan. So let's start with this one. It's, yeah, I'm getting there. I'm, yeah, I'm going to read it for you. It's uh, Ancient Gardens of the Sky, Part 1. Which historic texts support the ancient aliens' hypothesis? Legendary ufologist and author of Chariots of the Gods, Eric von Danigan shares his decades of research in the lecture at the Awakening Conference in Blackpool, UK, citing the Bible, the Mahabharata, and the Book of Enoch, Von Daniken explores the mounting evidence of extraterrestrial involvement with ancient human civilizations and our genetic evolution. That's a mouthful, so our Rama's still looking. Yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? Oh, um... Um... Let's just say the electrons are moving quite wildly. Oh. That's part one, and I'll just share that 
he goes from there to... Here we go. Oh, there you go. All right, let's do it here, Commander. Yeah. This is 54 minutes. It's coming. <laughs> Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for the honor. In the meantime, I'm uh, 87 years old, but the gods love me, so I'm very happy to be here. And I have my problems with some part of our scientific community. Our astronomer... Are you sure we never did this one? I think we did it, even though it's... Yeah, I'll go to part two. I... Well, then you play part two as well. No, I don't remember playing part two. Are you sure? Yeah, I would have shown you. I mean, I asked you and you said that it didn't show that you played part one when you looked at it. Yeah, I I don't know why it didn't show me that. It's... Okay. Well, electrons are acting weird, like I said. Okay, let's do part two. Let's... Let me just read this. It's... um. Do the countless discoveries of Earth like ex, ex, Earth like exoplanets. exoplanets offer evidence of non-terrestrial life? Legendary ufologist and author of Chariot of the Gods, we can't, we got that much decades of research. Oh, it's the same, it's the same place. So, are you sure we didn't play that too? I don't remember playing it. Why well, you didn't remember not play play the uh, first one too? Well, maybe. We Thank you. Very very perfect. Okay. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, my English is still not better since yesterday, but it's okay. <laughs> so, in the 50s, French ethnologists visited and studied a, a tribe of black people in Africa, in the Republic of Mali. The tribe is called the Dogon tribe. And the French ethnologists, they observe that this tribe celebrates every 50 year a special festivity so the ethnologist asked them why only every 50 year that's quite a long, long period for a festivity I mean not even every generation can be part of this festivity and the dogons the priest says to the ethnologist we do this every 50 year because every 50 year an invisible star is surrounding that star up there And they pointed to our Sirius star system every 50 year. By the way, the pictures you see are from the Dogon tribe in Central Africa, the Republic of Mali, the tribe I'm talking about. So every 50 year, an invisible star surrounds Sirius. Now the technologists say, come on, if the star is invisible, you don't see it. 
And already an origin for your festivity. They said, oh, yes, we know it. Because our gods visited us from there and they told us that. Now, the Dogon tribe not only knew about this invisible star, they had pictures, cave paintings, and there you show an eclipse, not the circle, an eclipse. And down at the right corner of the eclipse was Sirius. They marked Sirius with a point. And they said, this invisible star is surrounding Sirius in the form of an eclipse, and Sirius itself is always right down at the right corner. Now, modern astronomy knows that Sirius is in fact a double star system. The bright shining Sirius, which everyone knows, is called in astronomy Sirius A. And there is an invisible star called Sirius B. Sirius B is a so-called white dwarf. You cannot see it with your naked eye. Now, the natives know about it. Now, another story which is linked to this story. In South Africa, are ruins, which you see on our screen, the ruins of Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe was further called Rhodesia, and now today it's in our own state, Zimbabwe. In Zimbabwe, they have this ruin, ruin of an eclipse, and down in the right corner, they have a, to- a, a tower. This ruin has there's no, no paintings, no writings, nothing. The ethnologists of Zimbabwe have no idea who made that ruin of Zimbabwe and what the symbol it is. In the meantime, they learned about the Dogon tribe, which are just their neighbor in Africa. And maybe this ruin shows the star system of Sirius with down in the right angle, Sirius, that, uh, Sirius is in the right angle, and Sirius B, the invisible, is surrounding Sirius A in that form of an eclipse. Now, you cannot see Sirius B. You cannot know that Sirius B makes an eclipse. You cannot know that the star Sirius is down in the right corner. You see nothing of all this. And they know this since many, many generations. Why? For every festivity, the high priests have different masks. Every mask shows different signs. These signs are dates. Now they make their festivity every 50 years. So for every 50 years, new masks are created. At the end of the festivity, they hang their masks on the central house. Now you simply have to count the masks. Every mask counts for 50 years. 50, 100, 150, 200, etc. And you know, since thousands of years, they have this knowledge of Sirius B surrounding Sirius A with the Sirius star in the right corner. And they absolutely could not know it and see it by the naked eye. And their information is handed down them by a visitor from the Sirius star system. A mystery. They will really know somebody has informed this tribe with a scientific message. It's not just folklore or something like this. The next mystery, which does exist, is from Greek. It was on Eastern of the year 1900, 19000, when Greek drivers, drivers, the, the, uh, divers, at the, divers at the sea, uh, from the island of Antikythera in the Mediterranean Sea, they found in 60 meter deep a wreck, an old ship. 
different objects were brought to the surface, little statues, engraved stones, and something which looked like a, a bigger stone with some engravings on. And that was in the year 1900. This stone landed in the National Museum of Athens, but not as expedition, simply in the cellar. Only 58 years later, a young student of archaeology, his name was Valerio Steis, found the stone in the cellar of the museum with a certain engraving it did. And he asked himself, what, what, what is this? And he found a, a writing there on a, on a paper that it was found in the year 1960 meters deep in the Mediterranean Sea before the island of Antiquitera. Later, the same student, Valery Steis, became professor of archaeology at the Yale University in New Haven in Connecticut. He remembered the strange stone and brought it to New Haven. They checked it on the magnifying glasses and the, the effect was dramatically. They found more than 80 cockwheels. Some of them only visible under the magnifying glass. Very, very little. And then on the front and backside, microscopical inscriptions which with figures were found. It turned out that they gave the correct date of the planets in our solar system, and this in relation to each other. So, for example, in what distance is Mars surrounding the sun? And what is the distance between Mars and Jupiter or Mars and Mercury at what date of the year? Now, when Mars was there, where was Jupiter in relation to Venus, for example? It was all on this uh, engraved stone. Professor Dr. Theodos Theodosius Tassio from the National Technical Museum of Athens, Athens said, this mechanism is a computer, not a digital computer, but an analog computer. Now, two thousand years or more in the past, it was theoretically possible to construct such a thing. Our handicraft were able to do these things, but what is Absolutely not possible is the knowledge of the dates of the planets in our solar system. You know, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, these little uh, uh, planets were found only 150 and 200 years ago. How they came across and 80 cogwheels, you see them only on the magnifying glass. So we have absolutely no idea where this mystery, the machine of Antikythera, came from. But have the knowledge of all this, the planets in our solar system. Somebody must have teached them in antiquity, and this somebody must have been an extraterrestrial. In our own solar system, we have no other forms of life, not intelligent forms of life, so it must have come from outside. The machine of Antiquitera, as it is called, can be seen today in every detail, by the way, at the National Museum of Athens in Greece. When you go to Athens, go to the National Museum and they show you the computer in every detail, the machine of Antikythera. More than 2,000 years or even older than that. The next uh, impossibility also comes from Turkey. It was in the year 1929 in Istanbul. 
Somebody cleaned up some uh, rubbish at the Topkapi Palace in Istanbul and found an old map designed on the skin of an animal. On the lower side was an inscription which said, designed by Piri Reis on April 7th of the year 1513. No one on this world possesses a map like this. Designed 1513? No one possesses a map like this? It turned out that Piri Reis was an admiral of the Turkish Marine. And on the back side of the map, he wrote himself that he designed this map on the base of different other old maps, which they made him a present at the Library of Alexandria. So there were different maps, and Piri the Admiral, composed it out of different maps, the Piri Reis map. The map was named the Piri Reis map, according to what is written in the back. Now, Professor Dr. Charles Hepcoot, a, a U.S. geographer, studied it closer and was completely shocked. What do we see on the upper side here? Uh, you see the parts of, of Spain. It doesn't help the laser. You can't see nothing. Parts of Spain. Then you see Gibraltar. Then you see part of Africa here. But what's down, completely down? The coastline of the Antarctic is on the map. But the Antarctic insists in thousands of years on the big ice and snow. And not only the coastline of the Antarctic, Several little islands are there on the map. And all these islands in the correct position compared with today. Professor Dr. Charles Hapgood made it clear. You see the grid here. And he mapped it and compared it to today. And he said, Professor Dr. Charles Hapgood, I quote, the coastlines must have been designed before the ice covered the land. The ice there is today approximately one mile thick. We have no idea how this is possible. Somebody cartographed the coastline of the Antarctic, including the little islands before the coastline, and they all are in the correct position compared with today. Absolutely impossible. Now, today, they made the suggestions that the Antarctic Arctic must have been free of ice. We don't know how many, ten or hundred thousand years ago. And some uh, cartographer made a design on it. But we cannot understand it. According to our evolution, some more than 10,000, 20,000 years ago or even more, there was no human. Or somebody made a photograph from a satellite taken over Cairo and give a picture of, uh, or a copy of it to one of his ancestors, to a king, as a gift. And this thing maybe made the map, and today we have the map of Piri-Rice with the, the coastline of the Antarctic, which nobody can explain. A mystery, still existing. These are facts which you can control. By the way, when you go to Turkey, you still find that the, in the Topkapi Palace, you can see the original of the Piri-Rice map. The next mystery comes from South America. There, in the high Andes uh, of the Sierra Nevada. This is, you know, Colombia today. Professor Dr. Alvaro Soto from the University of Bogota found 
1,300 meters high in the jungle, the ruins of a city. Now, most of you have probably been once in Peru and you have visited the tourist Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu with its terraces in the jungle. This year is 10 times bigger than Machu Picchu. In the jungle of the Sierra Nevada, so if you come from the Caribbean Sea, Santa Marta is a city. You could fly by helicopter in there. They flew me by helicopter in there. Then if you wish to go there personally, you can or fly, which they do not accept anymore, or you can take a mule or a horse. It takes you a six days ride before you are there. I photographed this 20 years ago or a little more, and wherever I look, to the right, to the left, it doesn't matter. It's all terraces, platforms, up, up of you, down of you, on the right side, on the left side. It never is, ends. Roughly 450 years ago, the Spanish conquerors fighted against a tribe who was living here. The tribe was called the Kagaba. Of course, the, Kag the Kagaba lost, but some of them survived, and they are still there today, the tribe of the Kagaba. Now look at the picture in the jungle. Everywhere are ruins. The jungle is full with it. And it's not known to the public. The Kagaba have their creation story. And they say the Kagaba are also named Kogi. Kogi, Kagaba, it's the same. They say that the high priest descended from the sky after a great flood. There was a flood, a worldwide flood. The high priest left the earth, and after the water went back, the high priest descended from the skies. Funny, the same situation or the same uh, tradition we find in the Sumerian cuneiform. There it is written, after the flood, the gods descended again from the sky. The Kagawa, or the Kobi, they call themselves the older brothers. Why we, the normal humans, are the younger brothers. The high priest is called Mama. And still today, he says he stands in contact with the teachers from the sky. Still today, the high priest says he stands in telepathically contact with the, with the gods from antiquity. In their eyes, Everything is living, not only the humans and the animals, but also every object, not only every plant, every stone has a form of life in their eyes. They built their houses, and the houses has nine, you see, different platforms. Four platforms are above us, four beneath us, and we are living on the fifth platform. Now, they construct their houses still today in the form of an edge. See, like this. They know exactly the tradition concerning the great flood, as we know it, as I said before from the Bible. According to the Kagaba or the Kogi, the whole universe has this form, this form of an edge, containing nine levels, four levels exist over us, four levels under us, and our solar system is on the fifth level. Therefore, their houses are constructed in the form of an ape. There is the house of the man, and across the house of the woman, out of the roof ridge 
two cross beams like this are coming out. And out of the main house, one big pillar. Now exactly every year on March 21st, a long shadow enters into the cross shadow from the man's house to the woman's house, which says the shadow from the man's house enters into the shadow of the woman's house on March 21st, which means it is spring. It is time to put the seeds into the earth. Still today, the Kagawa practice astronomy, and naturally they are convinced that the gods one day will return. Still today, the high priest says the gods will return soon. I heard something similar from the Hopi Indians in North America. I don't know if this is true, but here from the Kagawa we know it. The gods who visited our forefathers and the high priest is still in telepathic contact with them said they are on the way back to our solar system and they will show up sooner or later. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the old story of uh, returning of the gods. Every culture except, expects the god of returning. Religion has made out religion of it. For example, we are educated as Christians. We believe one day Jesus will return. But the Jewish community is educated as Jewish. They believe one day the Messiahs are coming. The Muslim society is educated as Muslim. They believe one day Mahadi is coming. Now, different dates, different things. But I'm sorry, honestly, not every religion can be right. Some of them must be wrong. Sorry, they are all wrong. Neither Jesus nor Mahadi or or thing will return. But extraterrestrials will return. They were here some thousands of years ago. Now the distances between one star and the other are measured in light years. You cannot just move over there and return the next morning. So with one wizard and the other, there are always some thousands of years. That's why before they left last time when the extraterrestrials were here, they promised to return in the far future. And this promise of returning has entered into every religion. Not only into every religion, into every culture on this planet. Maybe you remember roughly 450 years ago, Francisco Pizarro. Francisco Pizarro was a Spanish conqueror. He um, found South America, the tribe of the Inca. When he showed up with his ship, the Inca believed that Francisco Pizarro, the Spanish, is the returned, the long-awaited God. They all fell down on the ground. They worshipped him. Of course, he was simply a human, but they believed that it is the awaited God. The same thing in Central America. Hernando Cortes, the Spanish conqueror, came to Central America for the first time. There was a kingdom, Moctezuma, the Aztecs. Even the, the king of the Aztecs, Moctezuma himself, fell down on the ground. He believed that the Spanish conqueror is uh, the long awaited God. Go away, for example, to a faraway island like uh, Hawaii. James Cook, British explorer, came for the first time to Hawaii. What happened? The natives all fell on the ground. They believed that James Cook was the long-awaited God. Always the same thing. Every culture worldwide knows about the returning of the God because they promised long time ago that in the far future they will return. And they are still waiting for the so-called God. Now I can tell you a story which is absolutely sensational, I think, and which uh, I am the only one 
who has the pictures, because I made these pictures roughly 45 years ago. In the upper Amazon River is a tribe called the Kayapon. And the Kayapo has every year a special festivity. They dress like this. Only the high priest dresses like this. The rest of the tribe makes a ring around this man and they dance around this dressed man. While they dance around, they sing their story. Long, long time ago, they said, there was of a sudden a noise in the sky. And the bright shining light was coming down. They were afraid. They ran away into their caves. Then it became quiet. And uh, they came out of the caves. And they saw in the center of, of, of the, the place was a strange being. The strange being was dressed in a, in a, he was covered complete. He had no openings for eyes, mouth, ears, nothing. In the beginning, they were afraid of it. The stranger turned always himself around his own axis and, and gave some goodies away, sweet stuff to the natives. So the, they were not afraid anymore and they came closer to it. It took only three days and the stranger spoke the language of the natives. And the stranger explained his name is Bepe Koroch. And Bepe Koroch in their language means I'm coming from the firmament. Pepe Kororoch only lived a few weeks among them, and nobody could touch him except his, his, uh, his dress outside, but nobody ever saw his skin, his face directly. He never eat something. He teached them in astronomy. This so-called Stone Age tribe knows exactly about our solar system, about the planets surrounding the sun, in what distance, etc., he say, he teach them also not only in astronomy, but also in, in agriculture and in practical things. He, he showed them what kind of, uh, of, of, uh, plants were used to, to, to store their meat. But he, so. And then one day he said he will leave now, but he will return in the far future, that they should never forget it. And in order to not forget this visit of Pepe Karachi, they make this dance still every year. Now I'm sorry, here we have a proof. This is a natural tribe in the upper Amazon River. No contact with society. No, no, nowhere. At that time, when I filmed it, they had no radio. There were no television, no handies, nothing. In the meantime, they have some trousers on and so. So-called primitive Stone Age tribe. And since thousands of years, they have made their festivity with the address of their teacher from the sky. What do we want more? Mm. What does our society want more? Our astronomers, I adore them, brilliant people, astrophysics, but they don't know nothing about these things. They have no idea. They are looking for microscopic cells and stuff in meteorites, and they are not opening their eyes. We have proof that extraterrestrials were here. And I say we have, not just speculation, curiosities. We know what we are talking. And I especially know what I'm talking. I, I have published 45 books on this subject. I know what's going on. 
But our brilliant astronomers are not interested. This cannot be. This is impossible. Extraterrestrials could never visit us. The distances are too, too big or they don't look like humans. They have no idea what is going on. Of course, the distances are large between one star and another. But it is easy to reach these distances. Look, everyone here knows the American Space Shuttle. Remember this machine which you go up. With every lift up, you transport 50 tons, 50 tons to, to an orbit around the Earth, at roughly 30 tons. Now it's a question of money. If you start every four months, or if you start practically every week, if we have five or ten machines, space shuttle, you will start every week. That means every week you transport 30 tons in an orbit. Mm. You put all this material together to a gigantic circle. It has to be a circle. A circle is finished, you turn the circle around its own axis. By turning the circle around its own axis, you, you create gravity inside mm. by, the, by the centrifugal force. So you don't swim around there. And then this circle, you have to have an engine in the center, and you simply start. Slowly, with only 2% of the speed of light. Nothing like over speed of light, nothing like hocus pocus or mystery, just 2% of the speed of light. With 2% of the speed of light, you would reach a distance of 10 years within 500 human years. They say 500 human years, nobody will survive this. Of course not, but see, it's a generation spaceship. The, the parents make children, the children make children, the grandchildren make children, etc. So after 500 years, you reach another solar system. Mm. There you look for a planet which is similar to our Earth planet. Uh, ten years ago, we believed that the Earth is unique in the universe. Only we have water. Only we have the, ra- the right the temperature, not too hot, not too cold. In the meantime, we know the universe is full of Earth-like planets. So you reach an Earth-like planet after 500 years of travel. Now you give to the crew, which you send down to the new detector planet, you give them another 500 years to develop an industrial society. So 500 years on the way, 500 years to, to develop an industrial society. They should develop an industrial society. I'm sorry. How long or how old is our industrial society? Our engines, 150 years, 200 years, 250 years? And we had to create, to work, everything out of evolution, evolution of technology. Our forefathers had to learn every detail before we have our industries. Here in that example, they don't have to start at the beginning. The, the, the travelers from the spaceship know it. They tell them how machines work, how you can, uh, what kind of raw material you use, where you can find the raw material. You give them 500 years for industrial society. After 500 years, they would be able to construct their own spaceship. Now you have two spaceships, the old one with which they arrived, and the second one, the new one which they made. And this new one starts again, and this again, 500 years on the way. And again, another 500 years to create an industrial society far away. With expanding of only 2% of the speed of light, you would create intelligent forms of life in our Milky Way completely, Within 10 millions, that 10 millions of years. You think 10 millions of years is big? Forget it. It's nothing. Our universe is billions and billions of years old. It's nothing. It's just a, not even a, a, a thousands of, of the, the date of the universe. Everything is possible. There are no breaks. This is impossible. We cannot do it. Of course, you can do it. 
Another story, about two and a half thousand years ago, roughly 500 BC, the Greek historian Herodotus was in Egypt. He has written two books about Egypt. And in his second book of history, he says, the high priest showed him 251 statues on a road, on a boulevard. The high priest and Herodotus were working 241 statues. And the high priest said to every statue a story. Who was his name when he was living from what to what? At the end of the boulevard, the high priest said to Herodotus, these 241 statues represent 11,340 years. At that time, the high priest said, the gods from the firmament were among the humans. Since that time, the gods have not returned. If you want to control this, take Herodotus' second book of history, chapter 140, 141. He says, 11,340 years ago, the gods from the firmament were living among the humans. Since that time, they have not returned. Now, Herodotus made this statement, seen from today, two and a half thousand years ago. So to the 11,340 years, we have to add two and a half thousand years. So roughly 14,000 years ago, it all happened that the gods were among the humans. And Herodot also says in his second book of history that deep under the pyramid, the plateau of the pyramids, there is a lake. And under the lake, covered by the water, is a black, black sarcophagi. Our ethnologists and archaeologists from Egypt, they never took Herodot's word for true. They say, what is he talking about? 11,340 years, this is all nonsense. The history of old Egypt is, if we take it very high, 2,500 BC, maybe 3,000 BC, but not 11,340. What are you talking about? <laughs> and the sarcophagi, a lake under the pyramid, that's all rubbish, says our Egyptologist. does not exist. Some years ago, I read a short article in a Swiss newspaper that archaeologists discovered under the pyramid, on the pyramid plateau, in fact, a lake. That was just a short message, and then we hear nothing anymore. Of course, Ramon, my secretary, and I, we went down to Egypt. Don't ask me how much money I paid for the bakshish, for the professors. We simply paid. I said, I want to go down there. If this story is true, I want to know it. I want to bring the pictures there. And of course, Ramon and I were down. I show it to you. The entrance is not under the pyramid, it's on the pyramid plateau. You, you enter up here, so, <coughs> to this room. From that situation, you go, there is uh, one small ladder, only two and a half meter. You enter into a room. And from that room, you have a shaft right down, deep down. But the shaft, you see this shaft here, is so large that it has room for two ladders going down. You just see them. You come to another room. You have to go down on your knees. And then you enter into the, this room. And the, uh, in the room are uh, uh, six and uh, seven niches cut out of the wall. But only in two niches are sarcophagi. This one is blood, black basalt. There are no black basalt, which is volcanic rock. 
nearby. They must have transported from far away. Why Why do they use black basalt? The next Sarkova guy is made out of granite. Uh, Egyptologists told me here, when they found it, these Sarkova guys were empty. I don't believe it, but they weren't empty when I came down. Now, from this point, another shaft goes down. And you will see, this second shaft is not the same one as before. Before, we had two letters. And you see now, that's another shaft, only one letter going down. Now you are 52 meters in the, the rock under the pyramids. Imagine that. Oh, you are the pyramids. Again, you have to go on your knees. You have to crawl to the next room. And there you see up a sudden water. It's not a sea. It's a, a, a pendant of water here. Now, we had, of course, our flashlight, but we cannot use the flashlight because as soon as we used the flashlight, the reflection was so strong that you could see not, nothing anymore. Now, finally, we, we realized that, in fact, in the water, you see slowly coming up this, the, the, the corners of a sarcophagus covered by water. Here you see it. They, archaeologists today, have taken the lift off. And these two wooden piece, pieces are part of today, not from antiquity. Now you see the sarcophagi in the water covered by water under the pyramid, the pyramid plateau. And the water is groundwater. And it was already there because you are at a deeper level, level in, the, in the Nile. This groundwater was already there when somebody, somebody constructed it. Who made something like this thousands of years ago under the pyramid? The pyramid is a secret already. Why another secret under the, under the Great Pyramid? We have no answer. You see the sarcophagi? Now a friend of mine who works there as an Egyptologist, he called me one day, he said, Eric, we will try to put the water pumps on to push the water out, but only for a few minutes. Soon as the, the, the pumps stop, the water froze back. So I had the chance to be there in a situation when the water was not there. You see how precise this sarcophagi is cut. Again, here they told me it was nothing inside the sarcophagi. I don't know if this is true or not. But the question remains high. We are on the plateau of the pyramids in Egypt. There are these gigantic buildings over us. Why, for heaven's sake, is somebody making deep under this plateau other mysteries? And there are more shafts and tunnels, which we know. Some of these shafts and tunnels are so small that not even a boy, a child, could go in there. So what is down there? What continues? 1,200 years ago, and a little later, there were Egyptian writers, Al-Makritsi, Ibrahim Abdun Al-Makritsi. He wrote... Inside the pyramids and under the pyramids are gifts of the gods. The gods who visited our planet long, long time ago, as Herodot said, under the pyramid and inside the pyramid, gifts of the gods and books of Enoch. I told this yesterday, as Enoch for them. So there is something, and Egyptology does not talk about it. We live in a situation which I call the spirit of time. The spirit of time is what is today's knowledge. The spirit of time is always what is reasonable today. 
reasonable. But every every time, throughout thousands of years, every scientist or every discoverer had to fight against the spirit of time. And you can do nothing against the stupid spirit of time. The spirit of time dictates to the public what is reasonable today. I said you can do nothing. Imagine the following. I'm just inviting a story. Imagine the Pope from Rome would have a discussion with two extraterrestrials. The next morning he goes to his uh, uh, priests and, and cardinals and say, friends, yesterday night I had a discussion with two extraterrestrials. His cardinals would say, please, Holy Father, do not go to public with this because you would be ridiculed. Nobody would believe you. Even if you are the Pope, <laughs> a personality whose word you believe, you cannot go against the spirit of time. The spirit of time will ridicule you. So we have to fight against the spirit of time. We have to change the spirit of time slowly. That's what I'm doing. I started with Chariots of the Gods 55 years ago. And many of my wonderful colleagues are working on the same project. We know we have to change the spirit of time. We know extraterrestrials were here. We know we have proof for extraterrestrials. In the pyramid, under the pyramid, on different sides, we have skeletons and all kinds of things. But the scientific community doesn't look at it. They think this is all garbage, this is all nonsense. Not because they are stupid, no. Not because there are any controversy or conspiration theory. They simply say it can't be true. The spirit of time does not allow them. If a, a modern astronomer today would go to public and would say, yes, we have proof that extraterrestrials were here, he would simply be ridiculed. Ask the Pope in my example. You have to fight against the spirit of time slowly, slowly, and slowly. And we are in this process of changing the spirit of time. And you all, ladies and gentlemen, you are part of this too. Mm -hmm. You would not have read Chariots of the Gods and been influenced a little maybe by this book or the following book or the books of all my brilliant colleagues. We all try to change the spirit of time. And why? We all know we are humanity. We are different people, different colors, different races, a word which you cannot use today. But we are the human intelligence. It doesn't matter if you are black or white or yellow or whatever color we have red. We are the human race. We are the intelligent being on this planet. Since thousands of years, we are fighting against each other, mostly because of religion. My religion is the only right one. No, mine is the only right one. You have to believe what I believe, etc., etc. And we have to change this. Our people, the, the population of the planet has to learn we are all unique. No way to fight. Soon as we have contact with extraterrestrials, imagine an extraterrestrial will be here. A TV interview. Huh. And now a, politic, a, a politician comes from the, probably say from the political right or left wing. It says, only my opinion is right. <laughs> there no, only my opinion is right. Or a priest can, from any religion, say, only our beliefs are right. Mm -hmm. The extraterrestrials, are they insane? What's wrong with these humans? <laughs> What's come? Everyone wants to be right. Forget it. We have to learn, soon as we have in contact with extraterrestrials, the human fights, the human wars, makes no sense anymore. We are all together and we are a little part of this planet and we are part of, 
of, of intelligent beings which exist out there. The universe is full of intelligent beings. We are not the only ones. Of course, there could be intelligent beings out there who look completely different. I always joke, maybe there is something like flying elephants out there with tentacles. It's all possible. But also intelligent beings as we. Why? Because we are the offsprings of it. Don't forget all the holy writings. And I'm not only talking about the Bible. You know the Bible. I know other holy, holy writings, thousands of years old. And in each one of them, they say, the gods created humans according their own image. I, our writers and thousands of years ago were not liars. The gods created us according their own image. We are the offsprings. We don't have to be afraid of them, of their wizard. And we have to learn we are all one family and only one intelligent form of life in the universe. The universe is full of it. And sooner or later, we will get in contact, but only when the spirit of time has changed. Today, it is impossible for our society to declare that extraterrestrials were here on the planet. I mean, declare in a scientific manner. Why not? Mankind, humanity is afraid. They are afraid. Why extraterrestrials? Will they enslave us? Will they kill us? Will they steal our raw material? We are afraid. Humanity is not prepared for it. That's why the spirit of time has to change. And that's what we all are working in it. The spirit of time is in full process of changing. And you, ladies and gentlemen, you are all part of it. My friend George Otsukalos always says, it's up to you because you are here, because you read our books. We can do our job because you buy our books, because you are visiting our conferences. That's why we can continue. Without it, we have no reaction in, in, in the, in, in the ethnic kind, whatever. Public, in the public, that's good. Good, you speak English. <laughs> you know, sometimes I lost my words, but it doesn't matter. Anyhow, ladies and gentlemen, we are part of the spirit of time. We change the spirit of time. You are part of it, and I'm proud that I had the chance to talk to you. Bye-bye. Next time. Thank you. Okay, we've got a few minutes here. I'm going to read Aurora Ray here. Yeah, I can just say Our the timelines have changed. They indeed have. Well, Richard will talk a little bit, I'm sure, today about March. Yes. <laughs> That's a mere month and a half. Yeah, around. We are going through a big transformation. Uh, we are entering the golden age of Aquarius. Everything around us says we have entered a brand new phase of evolution on Earth. A phase that may bring great joy and adventure. A new reality is near. We are making it together. What is your role? This is amazing news for all of us. There is a shift happening now. It is a transition into the new Earth. Indeed. The golden age of consciousness is emerging. It is not just the individual. It is humanity that is undergoing massive change. 
and many have no idea what's happening. Yet some people, such as yourselves, have a sense of something going on, a sense of positive change. In this new world, everything will be different. Everywhere, there are signs of, ch of change, of transformation, of new beginnings. Everything around us says we have entered a brand new phase of evolution on Earth. A phase that may bring great joy and adventure. The shift is happening now. The old is passing away. God rest its soul. <laughs> you will find that you are able to see things in a new way and become more aware of your own true feelings and emotions. The old ways of seeing things will no longer work for you. And so they must be left behind because they no longer serve your highest good. You will begin to take greater responsibility for your lives. And it will start to feel right again. You will stop feeling guilty about what has happened in the past or about how things are currently unfolding for you. Instead, you will start to trust that everything's happening for a reason and that there is always an opportunity for growth and learning within any given situation or event that occurs during our lives here on earth. The old earth was in need of healing and transformation. Yet this one is different. The old earth did not have enough resources to support life, let alone evolve and grow. The new earth has all of that in abundance. And it has been waiting for you all your lives. There is no more need to worry about money. Ugh. Your days will be filled with love, peace, joy. You will find that you have everything you ever wanted in life. Everything that you could ever want will come to you. All of the resources of the universe are now available to you. There is no need for fear or anxiety anymore because there is nothing to fear or be anxious about anymore. You are safe. You are secure in your home where nothing can harm you or threaten your happiness or peace of mind. You can relax completely knowing that everything is giving exactly as it should right now. Life is perfect now, and all your needs are being met. So why worry? Why be anxious? Why struggle? What an amazing time we live in, where everything seems possible. And everything is unfolding perfectly according to plan for all of us here on earth. The new earth is filled with love, joy, abundance, and peace. You will be able to live out your dreams here on this planet because you are fully prepared to do so. You are entering the golden age of consciousness where everything will be possible for 
for you. As only you have the courage to go after it. The new earth is a time of great change. We are shifting from the third dimension to the fifth dimension. We are entering the golden age of Aquarius, which is the age of conscious awareness. You are going through a big transformation. And we are creating this new reality together. It's the biggest transformation that humanity has ever experienced. We are all in this together. And we are creating a new reality for ourselves. You are not alone on your journey. And you have never been alone. Whatever your desires and aspirations, the true reality is within you. You are a universe that is constantly creating itself, infinite in its potential, unbounded by limits of time or space, and onto eternity. Turn the page here. Momentito. All that you seek is found within this present moment. The evolution of your consciousness into the light is the most important event in human evolution on this planet. This is the time to embrace all of these changes and be grateful for them. By accepting these changes, you are allowing yourselves to evolve, embrace the changes that are happening within and around you, and feel how lighter and happier you will feel. As you are still wondering if the changes are really working, just stop doubting. Simply allow yourselves to be grateful for everything you have in your life. Feel that gratitude in every cell of your being. And watch as your reality shifts to reflect that positive you. Very soon, a day will come as you will acknowledge what you are capable of doing. Yet for now, all you have to do is believe. As I have said above, we have only skimmed the surface of this. And it is so important for all people to understand what is going on here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, the choice is yours. May you choose consciously. May you choose wisely. This is a time of great power in your life. A shift is coming and the possibilities are endless. I am with you and I am supporting you in every step of the way. The choice is yours. This is your divine birthright to request it. Please share this message with the others and be a part of this exciting new reality we are creating together. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. We are the Galactic Federation. Excuse me, the Galactic Federation. Ah, 
Poe, Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. So we just have a very few momentitos left here. What shall we say? Hmm. Rama, what do you want to say with the few minutes we have? Just that, uh, um, like Eric Von Daniken has said, you know, and he can't really say, you know, I, not sure um, of possibly his gag order, but I think he probably had to sign one. Yet, um, the technology that's here to transform the planet has always been here. It's like what so many of the different teachers and masters say is as we go into our heart and awaken the consciousness, the wisdom comes forth. And the Emerald, tab- the emerald Tablets of Thoth, I ain't going to say any names yet, it, is about how the pyramids work with water and the energies from the sky. And it's interesting that the Giza Plateau is directly aligned up with Orion, with Dracos, and... uh, With Dracos? Yeah, there at certain times of the year it lines up with Dracos. Oh, and Orion and um, all the other ley lines, song lines, dragon lines across the planet line up with all the constellations. Matthias talks about this. Mm-hmm. And as we go to the portals of these ley lines, song lines, dragon lines, the portals activate and the interdimensional beings come through. This has been going on forever. We're at the point now where the uh, matrix is losing itself (laughs) bye-bye and the new timelines are coming in and like Eric Von Danik is saying, you know, this is family. We don't need to be afraid of them. What is happening, though, is that these false governments who got programmed by our, uh, let's say, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, mothers, wayward children who are, are, you know, uh, the forerunners, that created this story. I mean, I keep coming back to what Greg Braden says. 200,000 years ago, something happened, and friends and family showed up to help us uh, evolve. And maybe they, you know, didn't exactly have the right intentions, and because... 
of what's going on right now where they use their fallen human egos to play with the timelines, their time's up. And it is a good thing. Let's send them on their way. No violence. No violence. Accountability is happening without violence. Correct. And that's got to do with the heart. It does. I don't know what it's like to stand in Inky or in Lil's shoes. And I'm not sure I want to. (laughs) Yet. It's not about power. There has to be love in the equation. Or it's illogical, as Spock would say. Doesn't work. (laughs) I passed the talking stick. (laughs) We'll have a little um, music time here coming up. And then we'll... Take a look at the stars with our brother Richard uh, after the break, too. And uh, so we'll see you in a short break time, maybe 10 minutes or so. And um, Thank you. This has been a gift. All these wise uh, beings that are sharing with the world right now. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Thank we'll see you. you in a very little while. Namaste. Yes, thank you, said Rob. Pass the talking stick to you, Richard. Hello. Hi, Richard. I just wanted to tell you that uh, Tanya Gabrielle's only four minutes uh, and K-Pacha's 27 minutes, just to let you know. Oh, well, yeah, thanks for the heads up there. Oh, well, I mean, we just got shocked ourselves. (laughs) That's a shockeroo. Yeah, I'm sorry. All right, that, that's that's fine. That's fine. Maybe there'll be something with uh, our brother. Oh, I will. I will uh, call for inspiration. I second that motion. Pass the talking stick. Okay. So let's talk. Let's talk about the condition of the solar system here. And uh, yeah, I like. Uh, we'll we'll start from start with Mercury in in Capricorn. And uh, there's an interesting uh, situation here developing. Uh, Mercury is 25 degrees. Behind the sun. Mercury is at 13, and the sun is at 9 Aquarius. That's 25 degrees of of separation with Mm -hmm. Pluto in between. Mm -hmm. Now, from the sun to Venus in three Pisces tonight, that's... 24 degrees of separation. With Saturn in between. Saturn is at uh, 26 Aquarius. 
Now this this is uh, this is distinctive in that Mercury and Venus are far enough away from the sun that we can get a, a, a more direct uh, energetic from both. Mercury and Venus. There's nothing in the way. There's nothing between Earth and Venus. And there's nothing interfering with the frequencies of Mercury either. But right there, that that, that trio of personal planets there, uh, you got three distinct uh, frequencies to work with. Of course, the solar energy is... is uh, uh, the Father in Heaven. Now, next up there, Neptune, you know, moving so very, very slow to 24 Pisces. <coughs> and uh, Jupiter, Jupiter has moved up to six degrees of Aries and not moving very fast, only 11 minutes of arc in a single day, whereas Venus is moving faster than the sun. Venus is moving uh, a degree in 15 minutes, and uh, Mercury is moving almost one degree per day. And the sun is only moving one degree in one minute. So these are gravitational effects. Venus and Mercury get get acceleration effects uh, relative to the Earth under uh, when they're in certain positions there. And what else is interesting here? Saturn only moves seven minutes of arc in a day, and Uranus is even slower than that. Not even a minute of arc. You know, Uranus just came off retrograde, so it's like essentially standing still. And Neptune and Pluto are, again, moving two minutes of arc in a a single day. So they're, for all intents and purposes, stationary. Now, Chiron's at 13 Aries. Jupiter is getting ready to conjunct Chiron. Yeah, in a week or so. Uh, The moon is exactly conjunct Uranus tonight at 15 degrees of Taurus. And then leading the way is good old Mars at 10 degrees Gemini. So the uh, total spread between Mercury and Mars is... 145 degrees, very concentrated. And we got, you know, we got the usual square. Sun sun square Uranus is getting very, very tight. Uh, Another another week, sun square Uranus will be exact. So that's, that's... Information that leads me to uh, suppose increased chaos. 
squares are challenging. Trines and sextiles are less challenging, almost, you know. you got Mer- Mercury there is, is trying Uranus, but the sun is square Uranus. sun is so much more powerful, and it's hard, you know, hard to read. We're just, we're just dealing with uncertain times here all the way around, you know. Wars and rumors of wars will continue. Uh, And I don't know how. Maybe in four or five months, let's see, one, two, three, four, maybe in four or five months, the sun will uh, conjunct Mars and shut that Mars energy down. Uh, fussing and feuding and fighting is, uh, you know, that's what humans do, you know. The less evolved humans, you know, the more evolved humans. Well, we're uh, we're trying, we're doing our best to to live and live in love and live a life of, of helpfulness and usefulness and charity. You know, that's where we should be working at. Right, but the, there's so many evil people on the planet. That uh, right now they seem to be in charge, and uh, I try not to get depressed about that. But sometimes I, sometimes I just have a phase, and I have to say, okay, you're feeling this way. You're not alone. There are lots of other humans that are feeling exactly the way you are at this exact time. So I guess I've noticed that I've been a little more moody of late and not just my normal mood swings you know due to the moon but uh you know other things uh, trying to control my anger and frustration you know anyway enough about me let's let's see what kaipach has got going on maybe he'll give me give me a topic to uh, elaborate on okay yeah maybe he'll give us all something to Lift up the energies. Let's see Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Well, again, this is like depending on the on the individual's uh, energetic makeup. You've got conditions of of various uh, levels of stability, emotional stability. Uh, you got. Uh, intelligence factor going on here you've got the problem of uh, ignorance but even with even with understanding even you know even high understanding uh, you, know, you just got to accept the things you cannot change and change the things you can't right Richard? and work on the ones you can yes all right, back to you. Okay. Here we go. 
Pacha and the Cicadas for the weekly Pele Report, January 25th of the great year 2023. I know last week I said 2022. Everybody gave me a hard time for that. It's 2023. <laughs> oh, man. The moon is in Pisces, okay, and she's moving into Aries today. Uh, by Friday, she's going to be, you know, well, she hits, uh, you know, Jupiter and Chiron moving through Aries and then goes into Taurus on Friday. And we have that first quarter square moon. Last week was the new moon. How about that new moon? Was that freaking powerful or what? Yep. Oh, my goodness. Venus conjunct Saturn. New moon at one, two degrees of Aquarius. Wow. Pretty intense. Anyway, she's moving on, moving up into Taurus. And, of course, she'll conjunct with North Node of the Moon and Uranus. Okay. Just around the same time as, and this is really going on all week, and that is the sun is coming into a square with the moon's nodes. Yeah, that sun is going to be in the middle of Aquarius, squaring those nodes at Taurus and Scorpio. So <clears throat> I'm going to be talking about that. I'm going to be talking about uh, Mercury has gone direct. Mars has gone direct. They're going back over some of the same degrees that we've had before. I want to go into that a little bit. I want to go into that uh, Venus is also moving into Pisces tomorrow. Tomorrow we've got Venus and Pisces. Yes! Venus loves Pisces. <laughs> so it's going to be great. By Sunday, the sun in Aquarius comes into a nice, beautiful trine, okay, with Mars down there in Gemini. So I want to be, you know, feeling into that a little bit. Same time, Mercury is still up there in Capricorn, okay, and squaring Chiron, the wounded healer over there in Aries, yeah. So these are the major aspects that I want to be talking about. Uh, you know, after uh, Taurus, the moon does go into Gemini uh, by Monday, all right, and uh, conjuncts Mars on Monday. By Tuesday, she goes uh, a little farther, trines the sun, and squares Neptune. So let me just look at the camera and talk about it. Hola, everybody. All right. <clears throat> wow. All right. I cannot tell a lie. It's Monday. I'm doing this week's Pele Report a little bit ahead of time. Jumping on a plane for a 24-hour flight and going uh, over 10 hours of time zones. I'm going to be uh, in the air on Wednesday. So I'm doing this a little bit ahead of time. Something may happen on Tuesday, tomorrow, or today, Monday, or even Wednesday. And I'm not talking about it, but just... Go back to last week because anything can happen. Oh. This month started out, okay, with that new moon in Aquarius, sudden shocking, surprising events, ah. <laughs> along with the Uranus turning direct. So things are whipping up. Things are changing. And that's really what I want to talk about a lot today. There's two different things going on simultaneously. And... This is also what the mantra has to work with today, okay? Number one, we've got 
taking care of business. Okay? There is lots of things happening in the third dimensional material egoic world. Mars and Gemini. Gemini is business, commerce, networking, social media. Mars shooting through here is, you know, really charging us, you know, forward to learn new things, to study new things, to meet new people, attend new workshops, read new books, you know, inform ourselves. And there's a repeat a little bit. Now, let me get into that later. So this Mars and Gemini going direct. Mercury and Capricorn, again, taking care of business, managing, okay, completing tasks, you know, that began a little while ago and preparing to move forward onto new tasks, new contracts, new agreements, new business deals. Jupiter in Aries, starting out, charging a new 12-year cycle of expansion and opportunity, and let's, you know, go get them. <laughs> you know, make it happen. What else? You know, the moon is waxing. So it had that new moon, now it's coming into the first quarter square, and that is... Break free from the past, right? And maybe there's a little bit of doubt or, you know, worry or fears, okay, about, you know, breaking into total, complete self-expression. Yes, not expression that's determined by your conditioning, your pattern in your past lives, your childhood, but, you know, bam, you know, it's time to renew ourselves, yeah? And break out into new forms of expression. That's what the mantra is about, yeah? Imagine, envision, and invent. Yeah? So that, you know, that happens once a month, but, you know, put together with direct Mercury and Capricorn, Mars direct in Gemini, you know, Jupiter direct, you know, in, in Aries. It's just like, bam. So it's busy, busy, busy. All the planets are direct. Lots of things happening and lots of things going on and I got to go here and I got to finish this and I got to start that and I got to blah, 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 and you know, the mind is just going, ah! <laughs> then, at the same time, what else have we got going on? Venus moves into Pisces. I want to dream. I want to stay in bed. I want to meditate and do my yoga Listen to music, light some candles, get romantic, you know, and fantasize about infinite possibilities. So, you know, we've got that going on at the same time as what? Sun in Aquarius, squaring the moon's nodes. It's a very powerful time where it says we need to do Aquarius, in order to break free from that self-node past, in order to come more fully into the North Node future. The North Node future is in Taurus. Unconditional self-love. Develop my own talents and capacities. Make my own money. Be self-sufficient. Grow my own food. Kind of hunker down. Hunker in. Right? Reinvent myself and, you know, what supports me and sustains me. So this is more of an inward thing. The sun in Aquarius at the same time is saying, it's time to envision, it's time to innovate, it's time to step out of business, out of, you know, the conventional, established, 
you know, world of, oh, I've got deadlines and I've got projects and I've got, you know, agendas and da da da. The sun in Aquarius is saying, liberate yourself. Enlighten yourself. Open your third eye. You are far more than this physical body, far more than just these emotions, far more than just these thoughts. Go into the unknown. So you've got this dual kind of energy happening, right? And you could say this is Maya and distraction and business and third dimensional stuff versus, I hate to say versus, but, you know, it's a little bit of a polarity, spirit and matter, right? Multi-dimensional spirit light to third dimensional material you know, advancement and success <laughs> in this world. So these things are going on simultaneously. And so we got to have like, it's great, Mars and Gemini, one foot in heaven, one foot on earth. Yeah. So to be in the world, but not of the world, observe ourselves acting, creating, channeling, being mediums, being instruments of something higher, something wiser, something more infinite, something futuristic, baby. Ow. Now, let's look at the timing of this a little bit. Because what happened now was, and I got some dates here. Oh, let me pull them up. Yeah. Mars. Okay. And Mars has been in Gemini since like last July, last, you know, July, August, right? And it's been moving through. Okay, and the first time it moved through the same degrees that it's moving through now was the first week of September. Think of what you were initiating. Maybe new people you met, new networks, new contacts, okay, workshops, or books that you read, articles that you read, yeah, blogs that you wrote. Okay, this, you know, in September, there was, you know, Mars's initiative and action. Starting out new things. So in September, something new came along, right? Okay. And then Mars went retrograde. And that retrograde, it came back to remember, reorganize, rewrite, rethink. Okay. Yeah. All of that in the last week of December. I had a very powerful ceremony that last week of December, right? So take that, what happened in September, it deepened in December, and now Mars is turning around to go direct through those same degrees. We're talking about 8, 9, 10, you know, 11 degrees of Gemini, and it's time to finish or complete or resolve, okay, and move on, move forward. Take it to the next level. Yeah, right? So what began in September now wants to, you know, boom. You know, it's like the bud of the flower was in September, and that flower wants to bloom now. So think about it, yeah? Think about that. Now let's take Mercury. Okay, Mercury, okay, you know, went direct through these same degrees from December 14th to December 20th. So it went, you know, it, it went direct, okay, through, you know, these, uh, you know, early middle degrees of Capricorn. And again, 
new ideas, new business contacts, you know, uh, you know, well, even uh, dealing with taxes and finances and external authorities and governments and maybe, you know, uh, you know, some new laws were passed or court cases won or lost or, you know, things with all this BS that's going on in the big bad world, you know, things going on out there, right, in, in the external institutions that are, you know, creating more uh, restrictions by the minute. <laughs> anyway, that, you know, uh, on an inner level, okay, it was time for you to tap into your own mature elder energy and tap into, you know, your wisdom. Yeah, Mercury in, Mercury in Capricorn is it's time for me to take responsibility to direct my business affairs and become more the author of my own life. Yeah, so the more that we are our own authorities, the less we need a bunch of external authorities, yeah, to form our future. Thank you very much. I'd like to form my own freaking future. <laughs> so it went direct 14 to 20 of December, okay, and then retrograde. Rethink, redo, rewrite, remodel, uh, you know, rejuvenate, restore, okay? And that was what? January 7 to 13. So, you know, some, you know, ideas or concepts or, you know, uh, business matters or whatever started in late December, then came back to be reworked and massaged and, you know, corrected or whatever. Okay, your web page needed adjustment. And now, bam, Mercury is direct. Time to put it out there. Speak your truth. Say your truth. You know, step up to that podium, grab that microphone and spit it out there. <laughs> right? You know, you see how these... So this is how... You know, this whole retrograde direct motion, okay, of these planets is put into practice. Yeah. So this is happening, you know, at this particular time. And Gemini and Capricorn are, like I say, it's very third dimensional. Be here now. Take care of business. Keep your feet on the ground. Wake up. You know, don't be dreaming and sleeping and swept away or bullshitted or whatever. I mean, it's like be alert. Mindfulness really calling for a lot of mindfulness okay and then of course now we have what you know this moon coming into its uh, first quarter square that is at eight degrees 26 minutes of Taurus Taurus not that far from the north node of the moon not that far from Uranus right within hours within the same day she's coming around so let's look at the Sabian symbol for that square, because I think that that is very important. Oh, my God. You know, I didn't have time to go down to the river today. I'm in my bedroom. <laughs> i got to go grab my uh, Sabian symbols off the bed. <laughs> okay, yeah, here it is. This is a very interesting. <laughs> a fully decorated Christmas tree. The keynote is the ability to create inner happiness in dark hours. 
in northern or mountainous countries where the Christmas tree symbol took form, we find a contrast between the tree outside, bare and normally covered with snow, and the tree inside, the home, loaded with decorations and gifts for the family. If we follow up the meaning of the preceding symbol, we see that snow has come outside, but the prepared and closely united group, Sun and Aquarius, square the moon's nose, has created abundance, beauty, and happiness within, overcoming the cold barrenness of the outside world. Just as humanity has overcome in the previous symbol, the natural obstacle to this progress. The Christ symbol is also included in the background. That is the vivid faith in a transformed future. Keep the faith. <laughs> so this fourth stage symbol suggests the ever-present possibility open to us to transfigure the darkness and deprivation of the low point of a life cycle by incarnating in it an antiphonic response celebrating the ever-remembered and always-expected high moments of life. <laughs> it evokes man's undying faith in cyclical renewal. Yeah, what goes up must come down, <laughs> and what goes down must come up, yeah. just like the sun, the moon, and the stars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if life is like a sine wave, okay, you know, we're just, you know, we go down and, you know, at that dark point, right, you know, at the winter solstice, okay, we need to inject the inner light, build that inner fire. And how do we do that? Well, we do that through incarnating. Yes, imbuing ourselves, our lives, our ego with spirit light, with spirit love. Yeah. And imbuing all of our actions, thoughts, words, and deeds, okay, you know, with heart, yeah, with love. And not only heart and love, but imagination. Imagination. This is Venus and Pisces. It's drawing in through meditation, through stopping your thought processes, slow down that Mercury, slow down that Mars and Gemini, get into that Venus and Pisces a little bit and balance out, you know, this world with your inner spirit world. And not only that, let's take it a step farther, eh? Yeah, that's what the mantra does. We take the spirit world and we inject it into the material world. And we create ourselves renewed. We, we reinvent ourselves, our identities. And we let go of old relationships that don't support the new me. And we embrace new relationships 
of like-minded souls that help us, right? You know, not only envision a new future, but create that new future in this world, in this moment, in this now. So that's what it's about. That's what this week is about. That's what this marker is about. I'll go in and set down my thing on the bed again. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, this is, uh, the song for this week is You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet. <laughs> I just want to give you that blast of that, you know, this Jupiter and Aries, we don't want to forget it. Okay, you know, it's time to charge. It's time to go. We know that Jupiter is approaching Chiron. Okay, it's, you know, it's coming. And, you know, if we give a wide orb, we could say Jupiter is conjunct Chiron right now. And this, you know, spontaneously, instinctively beginning anew, penetrating into the unknown, may require and may bring up our wounds. Chiron and Aries, we're still dealing with that wound of, I don't deserve to exist. I don't deserve to get what I want. I'm weak. I'm impotent. (laughs) External authorities are running my life. Overcoming victim consciousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah? So we have to be very careful during these times that we don't fall prey to doubt, the demons of doubt, but that we believe, we believe in ourselves as beings, yeah, emanating like sunbeams from the source of all light, the creator. (laughs) Yeah. We are co-creators of this freaking reality, man. You can't forget it. You got to hold it tight. You got to hold strong to it. Yeah. So what's the mantra? The mantra is in all of my busyness, I will not forget that I am a being of love and light here to imagine, envision and invent. Mm. Pretty simple, right? Wraps it up in four lines. You gotta do your Mercury and Capricorn. You gotta do your Mars and Gemini. You know, I'm, I, I gotta fill out my tax forms and dealing with the accountant and all this BS that I can't stand. I mean, you know, we've got to take care of business, but we don't want that business to creep in and kill our enthusiasm. You know, uh, you know, dampen our faith. We have to remain, yeah, inspired. And we have to know that spirit is supporting us. Yeah, moon square sun in Taurus, conjunct the north node, conjuncting Uranus, finding new ways of making money, new ways of income, new ways of supporting myself, new capacities, new talents. Okay, I mean, it's like, yes, you know, the the universe, spirit, light, and love is encouraging us to do something different. Meet some new people, man. Start some new, uh, you know, take your ideas and bring them down. 
into reality. <laughs> All right. Yeah. One more time. In all of my busyness, I will not forget that I am a being of love and light here to imagine, envision, and invent. Every single one of us has Uranus, Aquarius, the Sun, the fifth house and the eleventh house somewhere in our natal horoscope. Let's tap into that we are inventors. We are co-creators of a new paradigm and we are going to sail this ship into new, uncharted, unknown waters by facing our doubts, our fears, our limitations, and going beyond. incarnated for, you know, is to be a unique expression of creator. Let's not forget, you know, all of creation is creator witnessing itself in ever new ways. Mm-hmm. We are the, the, the edge of the expanding universe. So do something new, say something new, think something new, design something new. You know, jewelry, pottery, you know, yourself, your wardrobe, your hairdo, whatever, man. (laughs) Do something that's never been seen before, done before, heard before, or thought before. Yeah? Stick out. That's the sun in Aquarius, squaring the moon's nose. And again, I'm Kaipachi here with the weekly Pele Report. And... Maybe uh, I'll bump into you somewhere, sometime, someplace, and we can co-create something together. Ow! Namaste. Aloha. Pura vida. So much love.
So we got that going on. Oh, and the other thing I'm thinking about, what's, you know, what's going to change conditions here is Jupiter conjunct Chiron. That should help. Yeah. And uh, Mars will be at 12 Gemini next Saturday. Uh, Mercury will be starting its conjunction with Pluto. Maybe we can get some change change in thinking. Get some transformative think thinking with Mercury conjunct Pluto. That, that's it's, good. That's true. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, look, we got we got three very prominent evils going on here. You got Putin and Russia. You got the Taliban in Afghanistan. And you got the Mullahs in Iran. And just to be clear, uh, Richard, both the Taliban and the Mullahs are controlled by the deep state over here. Well, why are they treating their people so ugly? Because... Our deep because state. there's an evil component. Yeah, it's called our deep state. CIA, duh. CIA, duh. Yeah. Yep. The Mullins in Iran are another story. <laughs> yeah, I know. The, um, BBC Radio did a did a did an interview with uh, they got got through or maybe it was the New York Times one of their folks got 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 to speak to uh, uh, the Iranian problem you know some they got some eyewitnesses you know and they're they're just you know you go up against those bad guys and uh, they're not shy about hanging you Resistance. They they could put up with the resistance. Them. I don't know. We need we need a we need a paladin, you know, in there with a. But I'm not supposed to suggest government by assassination, am I? <laughs> uh, who said what? <laughs> uh, they don't like the feminine uh, too much. That's yeah. But <laughs> I think that that, see, that's what they're doing. They're they're governing by assassination. That's true. So are we. Look what just happened with the police in Memphis. Oh. Yeah, but, oh, I was thinking about that. I come up with an idea. What? There are demons. And if a, a demon got control of those officers traveling in that unmarked car of theirs. Yeah. That demon could have influenced those those uh, those men and uh, caused them to beat that kid to death. <laughs> it fits the profile of Stories I've read about 
discarnate demons. I wouldn't put it past the energies right now. I wouldn't either. The old system has got to go because that's a demonic thing from one end to the other at the moment. Yeah, but uh, is the deep state going to die out for lack of new recruits? What, Robert? I mean, eventually, I mean, how long has the deep state been operating? Oh, just since World War II or a little bit before. Yeah, yeah, I'd say about about 100 years. Yeah. Oh, that's, yeah, yeah since World War One. But then, you know, but then, uh, you know, those, those self-serving uh, egos... Are the problem, you know. But anyway, that's above my pay grade. I can't solve that one right now. <laughs> we better go to Tanya. All right, let's go listen to Tanya, and then I'll read some Sabian symbols. How about that? Oh, that, okay. that sounds great. That's great. Thank you. Here we go. Hello there, it's Tanya Gabrielle, Wealth Astrologist, and welcome to your weekly Astro Numology Forecast. This one is for January 23rd through 29th, and it covers all signs. We are looking at selected highlights in the astrology and numerology for the coming week, beginning with Tuesday, the 24th of January, on this beautiful day, this Sun is sextile to Jupiter, which is a 60 degree connection, and it makes it a very optimistic time. You feel blessed, you feel lucky, your thoughts, your feelings are positive, and you trust in the divine order of life. So it's a beautiful way to begin the week on that Tuesday. Now, the next highlight happens Thursday, the 26th. Venus enters Pisces. Venus is, is exalted in Pisces, so that means Venus loves being in that sign. And this is the sign where Venus can express her compassion and creativity to the fullest. So the next few weeks with Venus in Pisces, where Neptune is currently in, is going to make a lot of beautiful music. Both Neptune and Venus govern beauty and music. Then on the 29th, on Sunday, we have a beautiful transit between Mercury and Uranus. Now, on this day in the numerology, 29 reduces to 11, and the whole date adds up to 19, which reduces to 10 and 1. So 11, 10, 1, these are all 1s. There will be a really impactful birthing energy on this day, birthing something special, something new, really intuiting channeling, allowing the energy to come through you in a way that is truly inspired. And in the astrology, we have the same message, Mercury, Trine, Uranus, the lower and higher mind in harmony with each other, gives you great powers of concentration, phenomenal energy to just understand clearly with such awareness what is going on. There's sort of an electrifying energy. 
your mind speeds up, but you are listening closely. You're intuiting and translating the intuition. You have new perception. You are you are very uh, open-minded, very liberated in the way you look at things, and you're open to unusual fields of interest as well. Anything that grabs your attention that is different and ingenious and helps you feel free and independent is on the docket today. So listen to your intuition is really very, very clear. Flashes of insights are absolutely heightened on this beautiful Sunday. Now you have your own astro numerology birth code and you can discover what yours means in a free masterclass at blueprintclass.com. All you need is your birthday and your birth certificate name And if you know it, for the astrology segment, your birth time and birthplace. And we cover your life purpose, your destiny, what the degree numbers in your astrology chart mean. It is so lovely to get to know your own soul code and also to get to know the soul codes of your friends and family because that means you are welcoming them with open arms, with non-judgment. So this is a wonderful way to just get in touch with who you are at soul level. So enjoy that free masterclass at blueprintclass.com. Have a beautiful week, and I look forward to seeing you in next week's forecast. up here and I got uh, Dane Rudgar's book open to Capricorn. We'll start with we'll start with Capricorn and uh, Mercury Mercury went back into I think it went as far back as Seven or eight Capricorn, but right, right now tonight it's at fourteen Capricorn, and fourteen Capricorn. An ancient bas relief carved in granite remains a witness to a long forgotten culture. And the keynote: the will to unearth in our culture as well as in any culture what has permanent value and to let go of non-essentials and he says here at a time when in nearly every land men are questioning and challenging the validity of traditional beliefs and customary attitudes, it becomes necessary to separate permanent values and great 
principles or systems, symbols, from the many individual habits and the socio-political developments, which more often than not have perverted or even negated the original ideals of the culture. We must strive to free these ideals from the wild growth of personal and class selfishness, from the greed and ambition so prevalent in human nature, and learn to appreciate the excellence of what is the immortal seed foundation as well as the spiritual harvest of any culture. And by extension of every sustained and complete work produced by man's indomitable effort to achieve creative perfection. Yes, indeed, I can agree with that. And that seems very good now. Next in line is Pluto, and it is at, it is at 29. <coughs> oh, yeah, Pluto's going to go into Aquarius for a little bit, and then it's going to back up. Mm-hmm. Last couple of... Capricorn 29 is a woman reading tea leaves. <laughs> and people really like to do this stuff, this uh, ability to see the signature of hidden meanings in every occurrence drawing one's attention. The practice is based on a realization of the relation of everything to everything else, a definition of astrology given by Mark Jones. Dream interpretation in-depth psychology belongs to the same category as it is based upon the establishment of a close connection between the unconscious and the conscious. But in dream analysis, the individual unconscious is mainly referred to, while in omens or modern fortune-telling at its best, one relies upon the power of occult forces or entities to convey the information that will clarify confusing situations. This is a, this is a, this is a this is an age-old problem that was brought to my attention years ago. That uh, these people who are Acting as as mediums of information. How do you, how do you know that the medium or the spirit talking to you or showing you stuff is a good spirit and not a, a not an evil spirit or a spirit intent on confusing or uh, putting forth false information, you know. So you've got uh, you got to work with your technique of understanding or evaluation. 
What is implied is the ability not only to perceive the facts of everyday existence, but to see through these facts and discover how they are related to the realm of basic meanings or archetypal processes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right now, the world is in the end times. It all fits the definition of end times as uh, recorded in the Bible. All right. Now, <laughs> yeah, let's look at uh, the sun today is nine, nine Aquarius. Nine's a, nine's a fun number. A flag is seen turning into an eagle. The dynamic incorporation of new social values in individuals who exemplify the spiritual potential and greatest significance of these values. What is implied here is the vitalization of a powerful symbol, its embodiment in a living reality, i.e. in a person able to fly in consciousness to the highest spiritual realm, the archetype is given living substance and wings, and the image has become a power. Now here, he says, again, this is, the seer, S-E-E-R, must become the doer. Right? Shamans must become doers. The impersonal is dynamized and brought into focus. The impersonal is dynamized and brought into focus. So here we have the acting out of the vision. Going from the interior to the exterior. Called exteriorization. All right, then next, Venus, early Pisces, early Pisces, yes. Venus is said to be exalted in Pisces. Think, or is it exalted in Taurus? One of the two. But anyway, all right. So it, this this first five degrees of Pisces is the action action level. All right, and there we got a in a crowded marketplace, farmers and middlemen display a great variety of products. That's Pisces one degree process of commingling and interchange which at all levels demonstrates the health of a community now for me this is this is uh, this is very much about uh, everything it's about not only commerce as in this in this degree but mm-hmm. 
the commerce of ideas. And now in the modern world, we've got the Internet, and we've got the social media, and we've got buying stuff from the comfort of your living room or your office or whatever. Right. So this is a very, you know, this is, this is it, and what does Venus do in, in Pisces? It, it, you know, it brings it, brings it out in, in a more obvious manner. Right. The second degree, second degree of Pisces is the individual's need both to ensure his future subsistence and to protect himself from aggressive social elements. The picture here is a squirrel hiding from hunters. All right, so Mr. Squirrel has to protect himself from aggressive social elements. The squirrel not only has to hide and store food for the winter, but to be on the lookout for the dangers involved in gathering this food supply. Social processes always cast strong shadows. The individual is never certain of being safe among his fellow men. Once the process of individualization with its negative aspects, competition, social aggressivity, and greed forces the breakdown of the organic tribal state of mankind during the archaic ages. You can understand why. I mean, this is just... We're seeing examples Right, we're seeing individual examples, right? Of a, you know, of a, of a, of a black man being run down by the hunters. <coughs> I see three degrees here. Petrified tree trunks lie broken on the desert sand. Now, this is the power to preserve records of their achievements, which is inherent in fully matured cultures, mm-hmm. which we don't have right now. We don't have a mature no. culture. No. no way. I mean, no way. There have been, see, mature cultures practice Love and charity and harmlessness. <laughs> I don't think they know what those words mean, dear. They probably forgot them, yeah. Uh, uh, accidentally on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When a vast group of men succeed in building a culture with strong institutions which express themselves in significant symbols and works of art or literature, such an effort of many generations is rarely lost altogether. (laughs) In one form or another, records of this culture endure or are mysteriously preserved simply because they reveal the place and function of this particular culture. 
in the long process of unfoldment of the potentialities inherent in archetypal mankind. It is such a concept that has been mystified and popularized in the religious idea of the resurrection of the dead on the last day. The symbol of petrified wood in the Arizona desert, however, tells us that the actual preservation of the records is never perfect or total. Only fragments remain significant enough to reveal the essential archetypal form. So there's there is a there is a bit of indestructibility, but in in our modern times, well, we don't have we don't have a we don't have a lot of that, and you know the modern the modern deep state uh, is not interested in uh, the culture of, of ancient India or even ancient ancient China or even the ancient South America, you know. Uh, we heard we heard a story about that, you know. There's a there's a city in the jungle that's very, very old. Right? Von Donican was telling telling about that earlier today. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't wouldn't you love to go research that and see if there's any uh, carvings, etc. Around? I mean, we got we got better records with the Mayans. At least with them, we got a, we got a written system. We got uh, you know we got a we got notes about their religious system, even though it was a bit bloodthirsty. Da 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 da. You know, but I don't know. It's all above my pay grade. <laughs> so yeah. It's like, it's like, the, it's like the, long, the longer I live, and as I continue to try and learn stuff about stuff I haven't had time to learn about yet, I, I, I see that uh, all my learning has, has, has only gets you so far, you know. It's like, okay, you know, stay home, stay out of trouble, you know, don't break, don't break the law, don't piss the genie off. Right. I know that there's something going to change here mm-hmm. come this March, Richard. There's gonna <coughs> some, something's going to effectively alter that. Yeah, well, I don't, you know, I get... I get interesting dreams, and some of them I can categorize as, you know, uh, the results of random worries that I that I'm carrying around. Mm-hmm. You know, some are actual messages that I would say are from my from my soul, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and then some are from actual. Other people, you know, other contacts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The problem is, human brains are, are 
of various qualities. And when you're talking about telepathy and talking to angels and, and people in the spirit world, things like that, all brains are not capable of receiving those frequencies. So you've got a lot of people that are psychically inoperative. Yeah. Their, their higher, higher communications faculty isn't working. That's right. So they, they can't, they can't even hear an angel if an angel is going to come and deliver them an important message. The angel can't get through. No. And when you get in the, from what I understand, being evil shuts down that interior communication. Right. And then people don't feel so hot. They don't feel so and good. Then, and, yeah. And then they don't develop a conscious they don't develop an uh, internal sense of right and wrong. Exactly. All right. That's time Namaste. To yeah, time to go. Namaste. Until we meet again, Richard. And I am planning on doing that next week. Thank you. We do, too. All right. Peace out. Peace out. All right, everybody. Rama, how about you? Suggest, uh, give us the uh, the phone numbers for the conference call. Uh, 720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. Let's say that maybe one more time. 720 and the pin code is three five three eight six three pound. So we will have an hour here of conversation in a more maybe more intimate setting with us with uh, each of us who choose to show up there. And at the top of this following hour, we will be right back here at BBS Radio. And this is station two. On Fridays and Thursdays, we're on Station 1, just to remind everybody. But uh, the times, they are a-changing. They are indeed. <laughs> so we'll see you on the conference. We'll have a little chat about life, the universe, and everything. And, uh, and then at the top of the next hour, as we said already, we'll see everybody back here at BBS Radio, Station 2. We love everyone. Namaste. See you on the conference for now. Are we done, honey? Yeah. <clears throat> Welcome back, everybody. That was beautiful. You had an interesting combination of music, Rama. Yeah. Yes, it takes every one of us. The sound of music and one hand clapping. <laughs> Oh my. Um, so what do you want to do, hon? What do you want to do this next one here? Um, the quantum field. 
What's that? The quantum field. Is that in here somewhere? Yeah. Who is it? Uh, Regina Meredith. Regina Meredith is um, interplanetary soul origins. Oh, okay. Yeah, we can do that one. Let's do that one. Okay. Where is Interplanetary soul origins. Okay. What are the differences between earth based souls? <coughs> and so we're called E B <coughs> One moment, I will get a drink of water. Okay. EBs, Earth-based souls, interplanetary souls, IPs, and souls from the angelic realm, ARs. A regression therapist, Melinda Bachman, shares her insights on soul origins and why we are all incarnating on Earth during this dynamic, challenging time. Through her work, she offers a unique perspective of the traits and sensitivities manifesting on the autism spectrum, which may point to an interplanetary origin. As we explore our various soul origins, we can learn to recognize our individual and collective purpose. Linda Bachman, educational director, has been a regression therapist for more than 40 years. She is the author of the book Souls on Earth, exploring interplanetary past lives and was previously featured on Gaia's inspirations with Lisa Gar in spiritual healing through past life exploration. <coughs> hmm. As well as on Beyond Belief with George Nury in Past Lives, Soul Groups, and Our Purpose. So this is Regina Meredith with Linda Bachman. This is 48 minutes and let's Get started. Let's get started. IP souls come from so many different types of cultures that some are not exactly Mother God and apple pie. I always think about the client I have who comes from a place where they don't grow up. They are childlike in the healthiest way permanently. Interplanetary souls often have trouble with relationships because they may come from a place where there is no such thing. The soul that comes to my mind is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, interesting. So that's the way more experienced souls function. That speaks to why we're seeing more and more IPs on the autistic spectrum because the Manu, who are very, very, very wise, they're experimenting. Approximately 5% of the human population 
are either Earth-based, interplanetary, or angelic realm. But there are 95% of the others that live on Earth. Who are they? Dr. Linda Backman was a practicing psychologist when she began noticing clients speak of past lives. Curious, she began studying with Michael Newton, whom she became a co-teacher with in the practice of past life regression. As time went on, she noticed something else. Some of those past lives were not on Earth. She details this discovery and its implications in her book, Souls on Earth. Linda, welcome. It's the first time you've been with me on Open Minds. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, I've We've had other dealings with each other and got to know each other a bit and had some absolutely fascinating discussions. And what we're going to talk about today is kind of an introduction to you, to our audience, because we're going to be having you back, of course, because you do so many cases that this story is constantly progressing. So let's talk about the or just briefly just touch on how you started as a pretty straight psychologist there to help people. Uh, suddenly hearing about some pretty far-off places. And was there a certain amount of disbelief in the beginning? How did that work for you? And what brought you into the comfort zone of saying, yeah, this is real? So actually, Regina, when I fell into this kind of work, um, primarily it didn't come from clients. It came from the passing of a very dear colleague who died. I Yes, I was rather conventional. He died and he began to talk to me from the other side and show me scenes of past lives. In the beginning, I thought that was extremely unusual and kind of strange. So you, so you, weren't, you weren't all on board with it. That took a while. So now when did it start showing up? When did you start recognizing that what your clients were telling you was not of this earth? I began to recognize that actually initially tied to my own to my own spouse to my husband because when i started having these experiences tied to the passing of my of my colleague um i asked my husband what he thought about that my husband also was conventional and a university professor um and he said to me oh now i remember my husband said that when he was about 10 years old he remembered his own past lives in detail he'd completely forgotten about that that was actually the beginning credibility for me Yeah, because you trusted your husband. You knew he wasn't nuts and he wasn't trying to put on a show for you. So now it starts coming from your clients. And I was regressed by Dolores Cannon years ago. And I know that when she was working with me, we were getting to a pretty critical point in the regression and there was a lack of clarity. And so let's talk about that from your experience as a regressionist. When someone's bringing up something that's not in the normal wheelhouse, how do you know where they are and then to continue guiding them till they can really hit the spot that they they are and you under, you're in rapport with each other. I think there's probably two or three answers to that. Sure. One is that the regression therapist has to be tapped into their own intuition mm-hmm. as they're working with the client and to be just getting a sense of this, almost just a feeling, this yeah. feels right, this doesn't feel right. Yeah. So that's one piece. The other piece would be, I have to say years of experience Mm -hmm. as I kept learning oh I've heard this from two or three or four ten other clients oh it must not be made up or oh this color and this experience in the higher realm um, is is something I've already heard before but those clients didn't talk to each other so it's years of of fitting together client to client to client. And so this is, before we get into kind of the basis of this topic, one of the things I wonder about is the human fascination 
with the kind of Disney tales, a Disney-esque life where animals speak to you, where the flowers are beautiful, where you have true love that that lasts forever. Um, is that unusual for IP clients to come in with? And we'll talk interplan. We're talking about the people that find out they have had lives and started elsewhere called interplanetary. You call them, your guide said, just give them the term IP, interplanetary. So that's what we're talking about. How do they relate to the whole notion of beauty and ease and grace and true love in general compared to Earth-based people? I would say that Earth-based people um, have almost more that Pollyanna view. Really? Interesting. Um, you know, well, I mean, we have Western religion. So yeah. it, it, not to put down religion necessarily, but Western religion in many ways teaches us a Pollyanna view, which in my humble opinion, is is a bit inaccurate. Mm-hmm. So the uniqueness of IP souls, interplanetary souls, and, you know, for people listening, we could call them ETs, we could call them starseeds. Interdimensionals, it's the whole bag. It's all the same terminology. Mm-hmm. IP souls come from so many different types of cultures that some are not exactly, you know, we, what we might say, mother God and apple pie, but some of them come from, pure locations of nature, uh-huh. pure locations of uh, forgiveness, but others come from locations where they're warrior souls. They're not necessarily these um, happy-go-lucky right, know, right. perspective. Right, it's all over. Every ET class, every interdimensional class, different different dimensions. So you were just doing that, and that was titillating me, so I know it will titillate the audience too. And you said pure nature class, for example. Um, can you give us a few more on each end of the spectrum of the dominant themes from some of the places people come from? You just mentioned there are some who are really totally related to nature. Some are relating to war and warriors. Just kind of some generalizations like that so we can, so people can kind of feel themselves in the story. Yes, and I hope people will think about how different we are person to person to person. Mm-hmm. So if we think about that, Think about personality from the perspective of there are some very um, loving, compassionate people, and that is their persona, honestly, almost 24-7. Right. But there are people that are completely the opposite. Well, the same is true for what I like to call home base. So I know that interplanetary souls have a home base. So one home base might be a home base that has... um, uh, where there's been experience with that, just for the sake of example, let's say that home base is a planet. That might be a planet um, where the beings that come from that planet are in charge of um, mitigating issues with another location. So there are battles, like, yeah, disagreements, we could call Mediator, them wars. races and so forth. But on the other hand, the opposite end of the spectrum, as you mentioned, is there too. Um, I always think about the client I have who comes from a place where they don't grow up. They are childlike in the healthiest way permanently. And then these people come to earth and have to function in human culture. How's that working out for this person? Difficult. Not, well, when I say difficult, um, difficult from a physiological standpoint difficult from a almost an attitudinal Mm -hmm. standpoint 
the one person I'm thinking about is a highly educated uh, medical doctor who um, does in-depth research on issues related to the gastrointestinal tract mm-hmm. because she has these issues. Mm-hmm. And so she's highly educated. She's highly motivated. She's highly trusted in her work. But when she's at home by herself, <laughs> she gets to be who she is. And how is she? Who is she? Uh, well, I mean, she's like a child. She's like a child. In when we when we say that, I want people to think about children in the healthiest way. Yeah, yeah. Magical, fun, creative. Uh, they like sugar. A lot of sugar. Uh, right. <laughs> they, they truly. They like sugar. They like toys. They yeah. like literally stuffed animals. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not child in a in a dysfunctional yeah. way. It's interesting. I have a male friend like that. A British male friend, his place. Now, and I was going to ask you about this. Are there domains where art and creativity are the dominant theme that you've seen among your clients? Where it's just color and brightness and creativity, light, art, music. I mean, that brings up a a really wonderful point. And that is that we have to think about energy. And so energy is color. Um, In outside of outside of earth when we think about um frequency frequency meaning um level of evolution of the energy then that connotes color Mm -hmm. so what people don't understand is we if we think about the colors of the rainbow those are in increasing frequency so often when i regress a client who's an interplanetary soul and they go home they're often in pure and energetic color yeah Interesting. Yet the person I'm thinking of, is, his favorite color is orange, wears a lot of orange, and um, spends his days painting wonderful. It's not abstract, but it's the most vital, colored, colorful art that just captures the essence of people, places, animals. And his room is full of stuffed animals. And he's just a little kid. He's never been married, you know, and it won't ever be married doesn't really get any of that. Never had a really long-term relationship, you know? And, and again, it's, it's beautiful because as you bring things up, then so many um, experiences with clients pop into my mind. One would be that home base, if it is pure energy, it may be a pure color of an energy. Yeah. And so that the energy is used with purpose, and, and that's the, the, the reason for the yes. color. But then also, Regina, you bring up relationships. Um, interplanetary souls often have trouble with relationships, often the greatest trouble with romantic relationships, because they may come from a place where there is no such thing, that there isn't spouses or marriage or that kind of thing. And, and so it's always important for humans to try not to put a kind of lay a template. Right. Over humans, like... Oh, this is how all humans should be. This is how we do it. Right. Exactly. Well, we can see by the sheer divorce rate, no less the occasional murder, that obviously it doesn't work for everybody. everybody. And we'll get into that in the nature of what kind of uh, combinations work well together. So let's talk about the notion that, um, let's talk about the three types. You just mentioned Earth-based. We've mentioned interplanetary. So speak a little bit more about earth-based souls, which you are. You mm-hmm. and your husband are earth-based souls. Mm-hmm. Ancient, been around forever from previous conversations, right? Yeah, so to, to define an earth-based soul, and I always say to people, 
um, be careful about that term because people think I'm saying earthbound and that connotes something else. That yes. sometimes connotes supposedly a, a stuck soul, which would be a whole other conversation. Right. Earth-based soul simply means a soul that came from somewhere else, probably tens of thousands of years ago, came to earth and then stayed. And I don't mean stayed and had one life, but stayed and continued to incarnate here almost, underscore almost, exclusively. That's an earth-based mm-hmm. soul. Interplanetary soul, we've, we've talked about. A, an interplanetary soul is basically not designed to come to earth, but interplanetary souls come to earth for one, you know, I can almost make this totally black and white, one reason, and that's to bring their wisdom, their advanced perspective to earth because we need it, because humanity needs it. Then lastly, and this is not the kind of in-depth discussion we're having, but um, angelic souls are the third type. And those are souls that specifically come from the angelic realm that serves the divine or higher frequency that seeks to guide earth, basically. And as we've talked before, this is through a type of loving kindness, that is just really almost an, and it's endemic to who they are. Yes, they, they, they are love and compassion souls. And yet what's tricky, and this is where it's hard to tweak apart, is that we have a soul energy or we have a soul archetype, all of us, mm-hmm. and we have a personality archetype. Two different things. So <laughs> yes. And so if, if I come upon an angelic soul, they may be leading with their love and kindness soul archetype. Or they may be leading with their personality archetype, which to some extent overshadows um, their love and compassion. Well, and it seems like they would be uber sensitive. So to be thrown off and have your personality affected by being so deeply wounded and traumatized by walking around the surface of Earth, it seems like they'd be particularly vulnerable to that. They are, yes is the simple answer. They are very vulnerable to human behavior, as we all well know, that is not loving kindness and and compassion. In fact, it's often anything but that. Yeah. And so they're going to have a unique set of issues that's going to, they're going to come through in the physical as well. And so we're going to talk about that. So let's talk about, first of all, since they're, the angel, there are fewer numbers, as I understand, of the angelic realm incarnate as the or are they just newer to the process than ips and earth base my understanding about numbers is that approximately five percent of the human population are either earth-based interplanetary or angelic realm and then and i've asked clients this time and time again so i'm looking for where's the overlap in the information that i receive um so of the human population are what we might call experienced souls, EB, IP, and AR, if we can Mm -hmm. put it that way. Um, Split that in half, 2.5% of that five are Mm earth-based. The other 2.5% has to be split in half. Again, one and a quarter IP, one and a quarter angelic realm, approximately. But there are 95% of the others that live on earth. Who are they? They are souls of about... I like to put it on a scale to make it simple. So a 10-point scale, they are souls at a level of evolution probably probably between a 4 and a 6. Okay. Of and advancement. 
doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. Oh, it's all learning. We, it's like you're all, in kindergarten, then you're in second grade. That's right. And then you graduate. You, you get your postgraduate degree it's, down the road. Exactly. It's just a lot of work and a lot of experience. There is no hierarchy in that. That's it's correct. just about learning. Um, and I, I do want to say, because you touched on it earlier and it's important to note, um, nobody, well, except for maybe someone who's been in severe trauma, we're not earthbound as souls. We can move on to other dimensions. I mean, we can move on to other realms. We're, we're between incarnations. We don't have to make the decision to come back here. We can go elsewhere. So we're not stuck per se, right? Complicated answer. Um, first of all, I want to be sure people understand that when we're in body, you know, whether it's Regina or Linda, we have a slice of our soul that causes you have a slice of your soul that causes you to be alive. And, and I am the same. Um, the remainder of our soul is our higher self. Mm-hmm. So our higher self is our is our we, you could call it our divine self. Um, when we finish an incarnation and we get ready to consider incarnating again, we have a conference with our guides and then we decide what's going to happen next. If you're an earth based soul, you're more than likely going to come back to Earth. Mm-hmm. If you're an IP soul, maybe not. It's so funny. I want to say it's up for grabs. It's up for grabs. Well, yeah. it makes sense. I mean, it, it, depending on the degree of difficulty in being here in a body, you might say I need to take a break for a while, go to something a little more comfortable, a little less challenging, and then then I'll come. I'll head on back. It could be that kind of thing too. Just a rest. Yes, and I think the tricky part is even in you and me having this conversation, we only have our human brain to utilize. Yeah. So I think we can easily, um, you might say anthropomorphize to use mm-hmm. a big, long, fancy word. We, we, we humanize that perspective oftentimes for souls that are like, let's just say a seven and above. Mm-hmm. When we go back, when we finish a life, I can give a recent example that I know a little bit about in, in a moment. But um, when we go back, then the needs of humanity mm-hmm. and the needs of, uh, I mean, we're on Earth. So the needs of humanity are huge. They're huge. And, and a soul will generally re-up if that has been their mission by design. I do get that. I hear, But it's interesting because so many people, that I talked to. Now, this audience is different. You're going to be talking to a lot of IP souls in this audience, a lot of EBs, a lot of angelic types, because they're gathering here and attracted to this message for a reason. Right. So we already know that it's a higher percent, yeah. percentage of that. But even among these lovely beings, I hear so many people say, I'm done. I am never coming back. Mm-hmm. Now, I get this is personality speaking, but when it gets to super challenging times like this, Historically, what have you noticed in some of your clients? Well, I hear that a lot myself. (laughs) It's like I'm never coming back. Or what I hear so often is I just know this is my last lifetime. I hear that all the time. And I think probably not. Yes. (laughs) And and the comment I so often make, along with probably not, (laughs) because I totally agree with that. (laughs) um, The other comment I often make is that people don't stop and think about or understand that their soul is working in the higher realm exactly. right now. So we think, oh, well, I'm done. I'm going to go back to wherever I came from, and I'm going to eat pizza and drink beer all afternoon or whatever. It doesn't work that way. No, it does yeah. not work that way. But just wanted to put it out there. No one's trapped, but uh, the, but be patient because your other, your other 
um, more elevated half understands, it's okay. You're okay. You're just not happy with what you're dealing with on the ground right now. And uh, yes, you have a choice if you really wanted to as a soul. Right. And, you know, to go elsewhere. the soul that comes to my mind as we're, as we're talking, um, and, and I actually know this is an earth-based soul, is the soul of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, interesting. So she's a great example. She is not an IP soul to the best of my understanding. But um, think about Ruth Bader Ginsburg and how she fought through illness and did not retire, didn't leave the Supreme Court, and basically died because her body just gave up on her. So that's the way more experienced souls function. She's yes. a perfect example of that. And if she were an IP, I don't know that it would be dramatically different. Yeah, and that perfect example. Thank you. Um, purpose matters. Purpose and dedication to what's happening with the human species and our evolution and development, all of us, wherever we're from, right. is of tantamount importance. So now let's get into some of the challenges that you notice because this has, there's a reason people watching this are watching right now. Um, let's first talk about uh, earth-based souls and how they deal with incarnating here because they, mm-hmm. they've been here a lot. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. are there any particular challenges in general for earth-based souls? Well, yes. Um, that's easy for me to answer because I'm an earth-based <laughs> soul. So earth-based souls that, and it's always easy, I always hate to pigeonhole this with numbers, but earth-based souls that are sevens and above or eights and above um, will usually be very sensitive to, to energy, whether that's natural disaster, whether it's a huge crowd of people with a lot of unhealthy energy, and they may have difficulty, as do I at times, um, earth-based souls sometimes have to be somewhat cautious about diet. Um, it's still very different. I know we'll talk about IPs in a moment, but, um, so advanced earth-based souls don't just live day in and day out with, um, no challenges, no what we might call mind, body, spirit issues. Um, it still doesn't look like an IP soul. I mean, I know for myself, um, when something's going on on the planet, um, I will be very affected. I'll either have more anxiety during the day than I normally would have. Mm-hmm. I'll have a more challenging night of sleep than I might. Mm-hmm. So that does exist. Mm-hmm. So energy at large, in locale and in gen- whether it's a uh, personal energetic field or whether it's something at large, earth-based souls tend to really tap into energies. Okay. Now let's talk about which can be destabilizing or it can feed you. Let's talk about IP souls now, which as we already said are a mixed bag. They're the cantina band. They're from everywhere. Yes, and that's what makes them so unique, unique in terms of gifts. So, you know, I know we're not talking about gifts, but the gifts of IP souls are broad. Um, and, and so that's from... No, please talk about the gifts. We don't just have to speak of challenges. Well, the, the yeah. gifts, of course, are important. So the gifts are anything from music to art to politics to um, organic gardening to um, I want people to think about IP souls gifts as not necessarily what they might label as extraordinary, except they might be an extraordinary parent. They might be an extraordinary neighbor mm-hmm. Um whatever so it's always important because i find humans it's like well what have i accomplished with my life well if you've been a wonderful neighbor 
or um, you know you you ran the best best trash disposal service in your community. Yeah, that's extraordinary. It, absolutely. Yeah, it's very important that we understand. It doesn't have to look like something on the cover of a magazine to be truly extraordinary. We overlook these things. People that show up and do their lives in a way that offers some excellence and, as you say, some wisdom Mm -hmm. along with it. That's to me, that's the ultimate beauty. So, because and it's become, it seems like it's becoming a more rare kind of resource anymore Mm. so many people seem to show up and not be doing what they're supposed to be doing showing up in jobs half prepared or not caring anymore we're going through maybe you can comment on that a little in a little bit but we seem to be going through such a slippery time where quality offering our quality selves doesn't seem to be coming forward as much as it did in the past but I think that reflects the problems in humanity. I agree. Is that we're so, we've become so ego-based. Yes. As to what kind of work do you do or, you know, how much money do you make? And But I'm flashing in my mind just a quick example. We've recently had a major renovation in our the back of our house. And um, and my husband is a major yard and gardening person. That's, mm, he loves that. And, and it's his therapy. And so... Um, he found a man who works for a yard company that does sprinkler systems and all that kind of thing. So this man arrives, and now he's probably been to our yard any number of times, but this man arrives, he's rather, not not big, heavy, not that that matters, but he's a big, broad-shouldered man, and he's got earrings and tattoos and, and all of that, which is also perfectly fine. Um, he's the kindest, gentlest, most you know, kind of nature-oriented person. And so he came to repair a sprinkler or two in our our yard, um, and he glanced over at our lilac bushes, and he said to my husband, and they kind of built this lovely rapport, (laughs) and um, he said, you know, could I could I suggest how you trim those lilac bushes? And so now my husband has trimmed the lilac bushes. They're doing a whole lot better. My guess is this man was an IP soul. Yes. I don't know that for a fact, obviously. Um, But kind, gentle, wise, and on the surface, what we as conventional, you know, people might say, unusual looking. Yeah, unusual, kind of a rough presence, and he's just a sweetie pie. Exactly. Yeah, you can't can't judge that way, that's for sure. Um, I know a couple people in my life, and they're just so good at what they do. And one that I just ran into him recently, he's a young man, maybe 19 years old, working at a coffee shop, taking orders Mm -hmm. and making drinks. He is, I would think, an angelic type being. Mm-hmm. That, that's the first thing I saw is these shiny eyes and pale skin and the kindest disposition. Just, and how can I make that for you? And just everything about him was just oozing light and kindness. Mm-hmm. And I have such appreciation. He made a beautiful drink perfectly. Just little things like that. Someone taking time to do something well or even perfectly. That is the greatest joy right now on earth is to witness this for me. Uh, I mean, I think that as humans, sadly, and I do this probably as much as anybody, we pigeonhole people. Yeah. So it's like, oh, why does that person look so different? Or, oh, why are they behaving quite like that? Mm-hmm. And I'm a student of people. Yes. So it's why I do what I do. And I, I mean, I could sit in an airport and watch people for hours and hours. Mm-hmm. I love that. And my mind is who are they where do they come from why are they here and i don't mean do they come from iowa or france (laughs) um and understand them and just the way you're describing this barista Mm -hmm. um that works in your coffee shop Mm -hmm. 
And so let's go now to IP souls and some of the challenges they have. We are, we just talked about the fact that they bring uh, a certain amount of wisdom and uh, perhaps talent to the table that can be used, utilized on earth in a variety of ways. Well, you know, when you ask that, Regina, it, it, it causes me to, I like to kind of sit here and think about two hats that I wear. And so obviously I wear a hat as a psychologist and, you know, used to be conventional, but I, I'm trained in abnormal psychology and all of that. And then I wear this spiritual hat where I understand people and, and souls. So I'm thinking about a particular client. This is a man, when I first met him, I think in his 20s, um, conventionally and what we would call fancy word again psychopathologically meaning abnormal psychology he probably uh would have been uh labeled um on the borderline of schizophrenia Mm -hmm. on the borderline of something called schizoid which is related to schizophrenia because um his difficulty being out in public um so i had to figure out to sort of make this a little bit shorter i had to figure out when i first met him um okay where where does he fit and you know flipping back and forth with my hats mm-hmm. um way too articulate way too um worldly knowledgeable didn't have any what i would call formal schizophrenic characteristics ip soul hard to go out in public very very wise reads three or four digital newspapers a day not schizophrenic um but he wanted to become educated he wanted either to become an attorney or get an advanced degree he already had an undergraduate degree very tricky for him to be out in the world so he's an example of an ip soul he's one type of example that is uh struggles with energy mm-hmm. um physiologically which i'll speak to in a second but he doesn't struggle a lot with actual physical anomalies or, or issues or problems, um, but energy is, and, and people's energy is really hard for him. So that's one okay. example. Um, another example, though, would be many clients that I have that are IPs where their diet is very, very narrow because there's almost nothing they can eat that doesn't upset their whole, you know, GI system. Mm-hmm. Um would that be one of the most common traits for IPs in terms of very obvious challenges once you peel back the layers and in a regression or chatting with them? I, I, when you ask that, it's like, okay, you know, trying to make it simple and, 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 and really give you an, an answer. I would say the traits would be either physiological, like allergies, mm-hmm. but serious allergies. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's couple that, try to make it simple, with okay. autoimmune disorders. Okay. okay, yeah. And then the other basically would be uh, the autistic spectrum, the entire broad-based um, autistic spectrum. Often those are IP souls. So that's not, I mean, you could say the autistic spectrum is physiological, but it's really more neurological mm-hmm. um, in in nature. So we have a lot of fabulous children that are, in my opinion, misdiagnosed. Absolutely. As they took the wrong, you know, mom took the wrong pill when she was pregnant or the wrong vaccine yeah. or whatever. 
Okay, that's interesting. Uh, Susie Miller, do you know Susie Miller? Okay. I do. And I'm going to be bringing her back here. We haven't met in a few years. Uh, but as she continues to do her work, we were talking uh, privately the other day, and she said, I didn't talk about that much in the early days, but most of my clients, they're not from here. Mm -hmm. Most of these people, these kids aren't from here. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about the fact that we're seeing an increase now in IP incarnations. And this is through a lot of different people's work. I interview a lot of people. This is picking up. And I believe it's for a good reason. We need the help right now. And as these souls mature and bring with them some specific knowledge, technological wisdom, love, it's going to start over time um, inculcating that into society and creating our next evolution as humans. But a lot of them appear to be autistic and more and more people that are born are going to appear to be autistic. This is a big deal. Mm -hmm. This is a big problem. Mm -hmm. So, how are we going to begin approaching this? And that's partly why I wanted to talk to you on the show today. For parents of people with autistic kids to start really, let's look at this, frame this in a new way. What is the genius that resides within? And we know we're talking Asperger's to lower functioning, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. almost dis disabled autism, a different thing. Let's talk about this. What are we going to do? So if we can, let's first put this in maybe a slightly broader frame, sure. if you will. Broader frame, as I understand it, and this is coming almost faster and more furiously through my clients, um, there is a guiding force that I have been taught to call the Manu. This is a, uh, a group soul of advanced, advanced, advanced souls that have never been incarnate on earth that are charged with doing what they can to guide humanity. Oh boy. And so again, these are IPs. They, I mean, they've been around. I can't even, if you said how old, you know, how old are they? We won't go there because time is irrelevant. Exactly. In this yeah. Exactly. So they, the Manu, um, people can use any term they want. They can call it the source, call it what they want to call it. They are constantly, you might say, brainstorming. What can we do to help Earth? <laughs> and so that speaks to, the reason I'm saying that is that speaks to why we're seeing more. We're, we're only talking about one area of challenge for IP souls. But that speaks to why we're seeing more and more IPs on the autistic spectrum. Because the Manu doesn't know how to solve humanity's problems. The, the Manu, who are very, very, very wise, they're experimenting. And so they're bringing more, one means of trying to help Earth, they're bringing more IP souls to Earth. Recruiting more IP souls. Mm -hmm. And so how does this work now? You have more and more of these beings that have really struggle with being in a body. And now uh, you have parents that don't understand what's going on and they're being taken to allopathic, you know, MDs. Right. And they're being drugged. We, and that's why I'm saying this is going to be a bigger problem in the future than it is even now. So how do, let's say we have some parents listening to this. I'm going to, I, I'm trying to decide whether to, to bring this up and, and I will. Um, so 
uh, my husband and I have children and grandchildren. One of our grandchildren spent uh, some years going to a beautiful school, I'll just say in the Bay Area, for children with what we call today learning difficulties. That's the current PC lingo. Um, The children at this school are are fantastic children. Um, I spent many times going to Grandparents' Day and meeting these children. And um, so that's one way this is being dealt with. Many of these children, um, including our own grandson, um, because of the focus of this school, they help these children learn how to, to use the word focus again, focus on their work because there's a lot of ADHD. Yes. Um, so we, as humans, we have to keep um, broadening um, schools for children. This is um, huge. Big bug of mine is education has to be completely reformed now to accommodate where we're going as a species. And these new humans coming in. Yeah. Well, and yes, and and sadly, um, I mean, you and I, and probably most of the listeners, are not the norm in our culture. Yeah. So we belong yeah. to a certain subset of humanity. And I'm going to say and, not but, because I always I like the word and, not but. And you and me and listeners, it's our responsibility, in my humble opinion, to expand the perspective, to start more schools like this, to encourage people that, you know, maybe once thought they wanted to go to a formal MD program and they end up going into a homeopathic mm-hmm. MD program. Yes. And to encourage that because we need more of that or to uh, teach conventionally trained MDs to collaborate with the local um, homeopath or chiropractor or whoever you know or acupuncturist Mm -hmm. that has to to broaden i agree it does so here we're talking about a specific group of people that appear as autistic or as appear as learning disabled but there is a plethora of types of beings that are ips that are struggling here where it's not so obvious where they the child shows up and says well i don't want to eat anything i know this one girl I won't eat anything. She won't eat anything that isn't white. Mm-hmm. White bread, white noodles, milk. Mm-hmm. She won't eat anything oh, with color. Mm-hmm. And she's gone on to grow up, have children who are healthy. You know, and you're thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen to this person down the road? But let's talk about what happens when your body can't tolerate foods. Um, where kids are saying, I, I don't want to go to school. I'm bored. I can't, I, I'm not learning anything there. You know, it's just so slow for me. These would be more garden variety types of uh, qualities of IPs. Yes. Um, I mean, we have to educate teachers to understand this. We have exactly. to, we have to stop pigeonholing people. And sadly, and it is not just in America, many countries pigeonhole people. Um, and so we have to broaden that perspective. How's this going to happen, Linda? I mean, who is going to, go into the education system and say, are you aware we have beings incarnating from vast regions of the universe to help out right now and they're having trouble? Right, that conversation's not happening. You're doing your part. Right. You're doing everything you can. We're all doing each thing as individuals. Um, What's it going to take before, well, like you say, starting a school, making a different choice to go into homeopathy perhaps instead of allopathic? Um, 
but everyone here right now can make decisions regarding their loved ones, friends, and family, and recognizing the differences. I mean, what pops into my mind as you say that, um, yeah, I'm going to go down this road because that's what my guides just, you know, it, it, it brings my mind to what we call democracy. Mm-hmm. So what's the foundation of democracy? And I'm, I'm speaking about things that I know are going on in the higher realm as well as on earth. So what's the foundation of democracy? It's that every person matters. That's really what democracy is about. Mm-hmm. It's like my vote matters. Right. Um, so then, and I, I happen to be a very politically oriented person in, 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 in following politics. And obviously people would imagine I'm quite liberal in that respect. Um, we, we have to look at, I mean, it, this may, you know, sound like a soapbox, but it's like, as we come up in any culture, when it's, if we live in a democracy, we're going to vote, vote for people that have a broad perspective, vote for people that are or going, inclusive. That's right. Right. That's right. That's right. And because that's where we can, to use a phrase that's used a lot, make our voices heard. Yeah. That No, that makes perfect sense. Just that simple distinction. Are you exclusive? Are you excluding entire groups of people um, as a politician? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or are you inclusive? And I think if you don't look at a politician any other way than exclusive versus inclusive, then you at least have somewhere to go in this crazy world we're in as to who to support. <laughs> so thank you for that. And I know your husband Earl was in political science, a professor of political science. You guys are, you guys understand how this works. Right. And, and I might just add in, um, because I have some awareness through clients and through intuitive information that the higher realm is working on, um, uh, uh, the way I hear it is they're called task forces. The higher realm, which means a group of the, the higher selves of many souls, are coming together to work on, um, I'll call it guidance, because the higher realm doesn't come down here. You can make changes down here. I can make changes down here, but our souls can only guide. The higher realm is focused on uh, climate change and democracy okay. right now. And because that's so crucial. So we think about climate change, and then we think about IPs. And IPs struggle with inhalants, toxins in the in the air. If we don't deal with climate change, then how do we aid these advanced souls that are coming in that might be IPs that are so sensitive to toxins in the air? Also, just as an overlay to that, when we're talking about climate change, we're talking about particular in particular the things that humankind is doing by way of pollutants. We're talking about putting garbage in our water, garbage in our air, garbage in our food sources. And these things are toxic to all of humanity, but particularly to sensitive souls. And they're having an impact on the environment. This is not to be discarding the notion that our planet goes through climate change on its own. It goes through cyclical warming and cooling. So let's just put that on the table. We're in a crazy period of change, but we don't have to be adding all of this toxic exposure to the environment and ourselves. And that's really what they're coming in to look at, right? And to help change. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, even just this morning as I was driving around and listening to Sirius radio um, and listening to, to, to news, they were talking about um, there isn't as much pushback as there, this is obviously in the United States, there wasn't much, as much pushback 
on the acceptance of global global warming in the last year or two, mm-hmm. which we have to look at that. We do have to look at it, and because people don't want to change their ways, especially if they profit by them. And this is about profit. This is about poisoning the planet for profit. Now, when we talk about climate change, because it's so loaded with politics and carbon tax credits and poor countries getting screwed in the process, that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about dealing with the climate. And in fact, the um, extraterrestrial souls that would show up from other planets and other places, the one thing they, for, historically, for decade after decade before the word climate change ever happened, showed was you can't keep doing this stuff to your planet. Little grays were being, were showing this to people, to tall whites, to every, to Venusians. They all came with the same message. Stop pooping on your planet. And so you're saying now some of these souls coming in are going to see to it that we stop these practices. That's their mission. Uh, Good for you. Good for, good for everyone that is working toward Allowing the beautiful earth to be her healthy self. Yes, and it's a monumental task. I mean, I've heard many times that earth, humanity, is an experiment to see if we as humans, that's why I focus on souls in body. Yes, I focus on what are our higher selves doing as well, but that it's you and me and everybody else out there that can make change. Yes. No one else creates change. No, and there are no ETs coming to save us. We are them. That's right. That is correct. That's we're already, correct. We're all already here to save us. Yes. yes. Linda, we're out of time. So any final thought before we go? Because we have so much more that we can discuss in a future um, interview. I, I guess I would just say, Regina, that um, for for all of us, myself included, if we come upon someone, obviously in human life, that seems different, that seems what we might call unusual, think again and consider who who is this person, what is this soul about that's in body, and why are they here? Because we're always here with purpose. And so that we don't judge and uh, inappropriately classify people we come into contact with. And create more isolation for them. Exactly. And the the point of not just that, but of ourselves as individuals that hear this message, understanding you're not flawed, you're okay, you're just wired differently in order to be able to be here and do your thing. So, yeah, it might not be as fun, maybe you can't have ice cream anymore because dairy's not working, so deal with it. But <laughs> find an alternative. And that's the point, is how we ourselves can kind of take some of the pressure off or how we have somehow failed ourselves because we're not fitting in on one level or another. Mm-hmm. I yes, think it's, it's important like, both ways. Look for your purpose and where you find your purpose, you're looking at your passions. What are you passionate about? That leads us to our purpose. Here, here. On that note, until next time, thank you so much, Linda. Thank you so much. I know people have gotten a lot out of this interview. So, To learn more about Linda's work and her book, Souls on Earth, you can go to major booksellers or find her through her website, ravenheartcenter.com. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Well, um, Linda Moulton Howes, that legendary journalist, exposes USDT intelligence. Yeah, that's 
do that. You want to do that one? Yeah. Okay. I will read this. This is um, 58 minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just a little concerned because we've got three more, I think. I don't. Oh. We have to decide. Like mm-hmm. Greg Braden. And then we have um, uh, connecting through the quantum field. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, well that's a shorty, but it's okay. Uh, uh, this is twenty-eight minutes, and it says our channelers actually connecting with aspects of their higher selves. From quantum physics and cosmic entanglements to the neuroscience behind what happens in the brain. Oh, just hope everybody can hear. Repeat it really quickly. Our channelers actually connecting with aspects of their higher brains. From quantum physics and cosmic entanglements to the neuroscience behind what happens in the brain while channeling. The world's leading experts investigate these spiritual practices and compare experiences, explore the multidimensional nature of the infinite electromagnetic spectrum of which we are all a part, to unfurl the paranormal mysteries of our unified universe. All right, let's get it started. Are you ready? Mm. Here we go. 28 minutes, everybody. are commonly referred to as the Roaring Twenties. During this legendary time, some of the greatest inventions and discoveries to help humanity unite became fringe theories. Game changers throughout history spoke of a substance around us called the ether and inspired great minds to study and invent ways to harness the energy of this mysterious quantum field or etheric net that surrounds us. As the roar echoes through this cycle of the 20s, our understanding of the invisible forces in this beautifully connected and conscious universe becomes more illuminated. But how do we connect through the quantum field? Resonance identification. Training to gain familiarity with a certain frequency that is representative of what you desire to make a connection to, and in becoming familiar with that frequency, allowing yourself to fall into the support of that energy so that you are not trying to maintain it. You are simply riding a wave, riding a frequency, a vibration of energy that is representative of the connection between us. This is the mechanism behind all forms of channeling or cognition through consciousness. I want to start with a really exciting study we did with trans channelers. 
So there were five trans channelers that we took to Mount Shasta, California. And we rented this beautiful house and we spent three days together. And in those three days, we had multiple different sessions with many different types of channeling. And it was really an exploratory study to see how channeling worked and to ask a variety of different research questions to the channelers in a channeling state to see what answers they gave. At times, we struggle with the human vessels. As you all know, we have multidimensional lanes of conversation that we can express between us at the same time. One of the things that they talked about when we asked about source was that the channeler and the supposed channel being were aspects of each other. And so this lines up with this concept that we're all interconnected and we're all one. And so even if it's perceived as a different personality per se, that when you step back and look at the big picture of the wholeness of all of reality, it is an aspect of the channeler. When we speak in terms of channelers or modern day prophets, we think in terms of whether they were able to see the future. But from a 21st century perspective, we may be able to dispense with terms like future in terms of how we understand past, present, future, and think more in terms of there being an infinitude of events that go outside of linear time, which is really what our primary interpretations of quantum physics, our models like string theory give us, that everything is happening all at once. So it may be that the clairvoyant is not gleaning the future so much as he or she is gleaning what's actually going on infinitely and all at once in the cosmos or the world around us. The universe is this great consciousness that we can all work with and work inside of. And you can think of our little consciousness that we have here as just permutations of that great universal consciousness. And with the universal consciousness everywhere all the time, the Akashic Records is its memory. Now, the thing that's cool about the memory of the universal consciousness is it doesn't know time or space. It's completely nonlinear. So you have access to the memory of the universe just by tuning into it. And that's an interesting way of using channeling. One of the most unexpected and radical discoveries of the early quantum physicists was something called non-locality, which means that to understand what they were discovering required the entire universe to exist and evolve as a unified entity with no limitations in space and time. And yet, we experience our universe as being founded on space and time, where within space and time, there is a cosmic speed limit. It's called the speed of light. So there was a huge debate going on between the quantum physicists and people like Albert Einstein as to who was right. And the answer is they were both right. Because if we go back to the very first moment of our universe, that I sometimes re refer to as the first moment, not of the Big Bang, but of the Big Breath, 
as space began to expand, time began to flow in one way only. And what that meant is our entire universe had this experience of evolution where one moment followed the next for 13.8 billion years. The fact is, we've known through Einstein's theories of relativity, for example, that time itself is conditional. Linear time itself is really a necessary illusion that we five sensory beings use to navigate our way through life, to get through life. We know from different interpretations of quantum mechanics that we very probably live in a reality where an infinitude of events are playing out constantly and they become Um, localized only through perspective. Uh, we know through different models of time, space, speed, that we are probably going to have to come to terms with some conception of interdimensionality to understand the things that we are observing in our world today. As a scientist on your planet might be prone to do, attempt to reduce everything to its simplest form. In other words, they are seeking the idea of a unified field theory by attempting to unite and connect how all of what appears to be multiple forces or effects are actually simply different expressions of one single effect, well, you have to include the idea of reducing time and space as well. So the full reduction of space is into a dimensionless point. The full reduction of time is into a timeless now. Therefore, everything that exists Everywhere, everywhere, no matter what you call past, present, or future, all exists simultaneously in that dimensionless space, in that timeless now, and therefore is easily accessible anywhere, anywhere, because every single location and every single time frame is simply another perspective of the same moment and the same place, just from a different point of view. But it makes sense to me that if we were all one at the Big Bang and we expanded out from there that we would still be connected somehow. And that interconnectedness or what I've called the Big C, which is kind of the fundamental nature of reality, when you hold that worldview, the phenomenon that we're experiencing totally makes sense. Not only am I personally experiencing this phenomenon, but I see it all around me. It's incredible common you know all the surveys that we've done have shown that almost everybody has had at least one channeling experience there's been surveys done all over the world showing very high percentages of people that have had these experiences as many scientists have had periods of time which were so intense that they felt they were on the receiving of great great insights and wisdom Albert Einstein Einstein had his year of miracles in, in 1905. Isaac Newton had his in 1666. Newton in that time came up with incredible ways of describing mathematically what he was discovering, but he made incredible um, discoveries around the nature of light and optics and gravity, of course. Um, Einstein in his year of miracles were realizing the relativity of space and time and connecting them together in absolute space-time.
So both of them recognized that they were receiving this sort of higher vibrational wisdom. They were channeling it. Another powerful physicist that some believe was tapping into higher forms of information was Nikola Tesla. In the late 1800s, he created the basic system of radio. He went on to invent several ways to harness and transmit energy and shifted from employee to rival in Thomas Edison's growing energy empire. Both Nikola Tesla and Thomas Edison were interested in this idea of invisible forces. What else is electricity? What else are x-rays? What else are radio waves? What else are wireless signals? And so both inventors believed that our world was suffused with invisible forces and energies, and these weren't limited to things that could be used to power a, a, a locomotive or send an electrical signal through a wire, but also had a psychical dimension. So both were very interested in an extra physical dimension of life. And Edison, uh, back in his days when he was part of the early Theosophical Society in New York City in the 1870s, disclosed to some members that he was attempting to create a device that could function as a kind of spiritual telegraph and used to communicate with the uh, Side. Tesla, he was being guided. He was channeling, if you would, just as each and every one of you has a brilliance, significant gift that is unique to you alone. And that's what we're imploring you to do. The deeper we dive into the quantum world, the more it becomes clear. This universe is supremely sophisticated in design and structure. But there's one theory that may help us understand how cosmic connections work. I'm not a physicist, but I love learning about quantum physics and this whole concept of entanglement. So at the Big Bang, we were all interconnected and it expanded from there. And and so at one point, we were all entangled with each other. And so now they have demonstrated repeatedly in laboratory environments the entanglement of photons, where you take two photons and entangle them, take one of them halfway across the world. When you move the spin of one, the other one spins in the same direction instantaneously. That's absolutely incredible. And they've done that with a variety of different things now not just photons, with uh, things, larger molecules called buckyballs, and even with diamonds. So if you take this concept of entanglement and it, take it to a macro scale, it leaves a lot more room for these phenomenon of channeling. Quantum physics discovered that our universe can only exist and evolve as a non-locally unified entity. Entity. That means that on one side of the universe, something can happen that is synchronistically mirrored at the other side of the universe. It's sometimes called quantum entanglement. But the problem with that is it suggests that it only happens 
at the tiny scale of the quantum world. Whereas in 2018, a team at MIT actually were able to entangle photons of light in the laboratory with starlight coming from 600 light years away. And that entanglement, which means that they act as one, was triggered by the light from something called a quasar over 12 billion light years away. So what they're able to experimentally show is that such entanglement is the breadth of our universe. It's an innate phenomenon and attribute of our universe. That's why channeling works. That's why supernormal phenomena work. That's why all that we're talking about is natural phenomena. They're natural because our universe exists and evolves in this way. Basically, channeling is, is, is what they are discovering with this communication of one atom being able to transmit information to an atom in another star, in another solar system in just less than a second because they are the same they became the same and even if they are in different planets in different solar systems different galaxies they are entangled they are connected that's quantum uh, mechanics and and all these things that that scientists were trying to explain so uh, we are also atoms <laughs> we are made of atoms, particles, so we can also become someone else and receive a message from another solar system in less than a second. Theo says the quantum field is all around us. It's just like electricity. It's always been all around us, still is. And that it just took away like for electricity, to harness that and to make it useful to us. And it works the same way all over the world. Turning on lights and computers and all that kind of thing. But it's not limited to that conduit in your house or business or wherever it is. It exists all the time. Well, the quantum field the connectivity that we're talking about, we are just learning now how to be the conduit for that and tap into it. I think it's hard for the human mind to grasp that we can all be one and yet still feel very separate and unique and distinct. In the Mount Shasta study, they talked about the electromagnetic spectrum. So we know that that spectrum is very wide and has many, many different frequencies in it from visible light to infrared to ultraviolet, etc. But when you think about that spectrum, it's all one thing. But if you took one frequency of that spectrum, that frequency would have very unique characteristics to it. So we can liken this human experience as Helene being the one frequency on that electromagnetic spectrum. So I feel unique, I feel different, I feel separate, and yet I'm still part of this vast, wide 
electromagnetic spectrum that goes into infinity on both sides. The word aura has been used to describe an energetic field around the human body. It is known to be created by a measurable electromagnetic energy as well as the emanation of a more ethereal or subtle energy. The National Institute of Health has named this mysterious aura the human biofield. Sometimes during a channeling, electronics in a room like recorders and cameras may be affected by the channeling itself. And this is because when I'm making a connection to Bashar, I'm raising my frequency to match his frequency a little bit closer. But like every human, I have an electromagnetic field. And therefore, my electromagnetic field is affected by that, the frequency changes, and it can start interacting with electronic equipment in the area. And that can sometimes cause things to just completely shut down. Whatever happens in the channel's body's electromagnetic field is simply the result of whatever state of being is representative of the information or the state of our connection happens to be at that moment. It's not something I have to intentionally do. When we did the EEG experiment in the documentary First Contact, we did that specifically not only to demystify the idea of channeling as being an unusual thing, but to find out what is really going on in the brain when I'm in a channeling state or anyone is in a channeling state. And we discovered some very profound differences occur in that state from what you would call your normal daily waking state. One of the most profound differences that affected me a lot was to find out that there are certain centers in the brain that are responsible for processing what I would consider my personality. And that during the channeling, those all shut down. So if the parts of my brain that process my personality when I'm awake shut off, who's talking? In the beginning of the channeling, the channel was capable of uh, holding on to, shall we say, or bringing through the idea of about 1.5 to 2% of our energy. In the ensuing years following the initiation of contact with the channel, it was thus then capable in the channel's body of expressing our energy up to about 3%. On average now, we are expressing about 5% of our total energy. So we're looking at a picture of Daryl's baseline EEG. And what I've done is to record Daryl's baseline when he is not channeling and compare that to his EEG when he is channeling. Now here is a picture of Daryl's raw EEG, baseline again, in which we see a very rounded and rhythmic dominant frequency, we call it, in the posterior cortex or the back of the head. And this is a good finding, it's a positive finding, because it tells us that Daryl's nervous system is stable and also that he has what we call good thalamocortical functioning. And this is a common feature, characteristic, that is found in individuals who are peak performers. So here we have a picture of what disconnects when Daryl begins to channel. And you can see the areas in blue, the functional Brodmann areas, we call them, um, that are not used when he is channeling. And it appears that he disconnects from his personal sense of self, he disconnects from the experience of pain. Now what increases when he begins to channel is first of all, his processing speed. And processing speed is a very interesting phenomenon 
because what happens is it develops early in childhood. And by about the age of five or six, and certainly nine or 10 maximum, we reach a set point. And this set point doesn't usually change during the lifetime. And in Daryl's case, it actually went up when he began to channel. And it increased when he listened. The actual frequency of the processing speed was tuned to an exact frequency all over the brain. You have to realize that the only reason the set point changes is because the connection with us and our vibrations as the channel takes on a new frequency means that the channel is a different person with a different set point. Remember, all change is actually a shift to a different reality, a different version of yourself. You may think it's the same person, but it's not. Literally, it's not. Therefore, the change in set point actually represents a measurable aspect of the fact that a person has become a different person in a different reality and is now operating on a different frequency. To summarize sort of what I found here in in Daryl's brain in comparison with the channeling state, he starts from a very stable resting state. And then he experiences changes that statistically less than 1% of the population would experience in the same way. He increases his processing speed. He tunes it exquisitely to one frequency all over the brain. And then he's able to create a resonant holding environment for the peak performance or the channeling to happen. Uh, He pumps energy into the right frontal cortex and the right auditory cortex so that he can empathize and, and hear very, very clearly. And because of the gamma frequencies in the anterior cingulate, he can shift gears. He'll be able to, to shift gears and navigate cognition, thoughts, and emotions very, very flexibly. And he'll be able to interpret from a higher perspective, from a more evolved place in his mind, much like from the highest mountaintop. We wanted to take a little bit more of a scientific approach. Again, not to prove anything to anybody, but just to show that it can be discovered through a more scientific approach that there are different things happening, that altered states are real in channeling, and that something profoundly different is happening in people when they get into that state. Whatever you want to believe that is, is up to you, but something different is happening. So with my scientist hat on, there's no tool that we have today that can definitively say what the source is. So when we talk about proving what the source is and if this really is a non-physical being, a separate physical personality, I can't really definitively say that one way or another from a scientific perspective. We are looking to develop objective tools where we can tell if there is a different frequency in the room or some sort of shift in the environment. And yet today, we can't really prove one way or another if it actually is a discarnate being that's entering the person's body. From a personal perspective, my felt sense when I'm actually doing this phenomenon is that the sensations are different when it's, say, my grandmother supposedly talking to my mother or when it's my 
main guide that's supposedly talking through me or some other supposed being talking through me that energetically it feels very different in my body my voice is different my mannerisms are different and it feels distinct as more and more humans consciously connect with other dimensions what messages will be delivered to help empower our understanding of the vast and expanding cosmos the earth is only one choice of incarnation it's only one choice out of billions of choices and billions of planets that are not unlike earth and science is bringing that forth as we speak a recognition of this if you would they also as we speak 12 dimensions about the earth they've already discovered 11 the 12th will be a discovery as well soon so all of this is broadening the aperture of knowledge of the human experience on earth but not limited to earth Okay, what should we do next? No. Um Greg Graydon? Yeah. Okay. A name. Very, mm-hmm. very well done. Mm-hmm. Um Yes, Greg Graydon has one It's entitled Disclosure Agenda Who Benefits from It and How That's mm-hmm. what it says. Can you find it? Mhm. Okay, it says here It's not often we get Greg to comment on the topics of off-worldly civilizations and disclosure. So we are in for a treat. The topic of today's WhatsApp series is disclosure agenda and its benefactors. Let's get started. This is 38 minutes. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. John, it's good to see you and I'm I'm happy that you're enjoying the the uh the warm and the sun in in Mexico because it's uh, cold and windy here in the high desert of northern New Mexico. So um I'm happy to be with you today 
this, uh, what's, what's really been my focus for the last couple of weeks, uh, as a scientist, John, I'm looking at all the parameters that are unfolding in our lives day, all the things we're talking about, you know, in quartet and with our friends and our circles. And what I, I elected to do was do a little exercise, uh, because what we're seeing, John, makes no sense. What we're seeing makes absolutely no sense at all. It makes the climate policies make no sense. The energy policies, the, uh, the policies on war and conflict, what's happening with economies, what's happening with human health. None of it makes any sense. So the, the exercise I did as a systems thinker, I took a number of parameters and I created the vectors to draw them to their logical conclusion. So in other words, what would our world look like? If each of these parameters were allowed or does go to, to fruition. And what I found, John, I'll go through some of these, but what I found is it leads to a world, uh, that's very different, an earth very different than the earth we have today, uh, that may not really benefit the people of the earth. And if people of the earth are not benefiting, I mean, I don't see where anyone is going to benefit. And it's not about money and it's not about power and it's not about greed. All of those are factors, but there's a bigger, a bigger agenda playing out here. And I think it's an agenda that's been playing out for a much longer period of time. This isn't linked to a political party or to, uh, to an administration, one administration. I think there maybe are some that support it more than others and others I think are completely ignorant. They're, they're pawns in an agenda they probably are not even aware of. So when we begin to, to look at where these lead, we have to say who benefits. And if it's not people of the earth that are benefiting, then who does benefit? And I think it's interesting that all, so many of these agendas are being pushed now as disclosure is happening uh, on multiple levels in multiple different ways. And I think that agenda, the disclosure agenda, has to become a factor of uh, what we're looking at if we want to be honest with ourselves and if we want this to make sense. Now, I'll also be very honest, John. I've had this conversation with people who are really uncomfortable with the conversation because it's so big and the implications are so mind-blowing that it's easier not to think about these things. It's easier just to become a part of the change without having any insight into where that where that's leading. And so I'm going to acknowledge that right off the bat. So some people they don't want to think about this. But let me just well, that's get, because it's being driven down. You know, it's being designed to constrain people from thinking about these kinds of things, and that. Uh, and so they're responding in form, in the way that they've been designed for you, like you suggest, Bert. New breaking scientific research shows that there's a common vegetable that spikes diabetes symptoms. According to studies, this common vegetable contributes to fatal blood sugar surges, increased body fat, artery blockage, and crippling chronic fatigue. Like everyone else, you probably for decades now they've laid the groundwork to, to 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 for this period of time, which is why it's so important. And so, yeah, I agree with you. Well, let me just give some some specifics. Um, and honestly, I don't know that this conversation will even be allowed on our 
platforms that we typically use, but it's an important conversation, I think, for you and I to have. So we talked recently in one of these episodes about carbon dioxide and the way it's it's being portrayed, the way it's being demonized. Right now, the CO2 levels on uh, on Earth are right around the average about 417.11 parts per million. Now, if you look back 100 years on a graph, what you'll see is that's an increase, and that is what is being used to alarm people. But if you step back and look at a big picture, what you'll see is that we're actually at the lowest points, yeah, close to the lowest point in carbon dioxide. The target, the stated target by the UN and the, the UN agencies, they want to take us from 417 parts per million down between 150 and 180 yeah. parts per million. Now, now, just for context, uh, a lot of my, even my colleagues are not aware of this. I'm going to give some context in Earth's history. There's a time in our ancient past, before humans were on the Earth, pre-Cambrian, where the carbon dioxide levels were between eight and 10,000 parts per million. Uh, and there was a time that's more familiar because of the movies, Jurassic Park. During the Triassic and the Jurassic periods, CO2 levels were about 2,500 parts per million. And during the Cretaceous, which is uh, a little bit more recent, it was 3,700 parts per million. If we drive our CO2 levels down to this 150 to 180, last time we saw this, John, was in a time called the Pleistocene. Mm -hmm. The Pleistocene was a a relatively cool time, uh, and it's during this time that humans appeared on Earth 200,000 years ago. So uh, we didn't have the green. All the times in the past, CO2 levels were high. It was green. It was lush. We had uh, new forms of life, big mammals, big reptiles. This is, you know, the age of the dinosaurs. So that that's just the, the CO2, the temperatures. The UN has said that they want temperatures about 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit over pre-industrial levels. What that means, they, when they go pre-industrial, we're looking back um, uh, about 150 years. What they're looking at, the pre-industrial average temperature of the Earth was 56.4 Fahrenheit. Current temperature right now is 57. The UN wants to, to keep this no more than 59. They're saying 59 average global temperature. So when we start looking at these temperatures and CO2 levels, what we're talking about is pushing the parameters of the Earth back to the time of the Pleistocene. This is not a time when uh, life was thriving, when forests were thriving and, and things like that. But then we look at, at the other things that are going on that are taking human life. We look at the pandemic. We look at the wars uh, and the loss of life in the, the, the wars. And the, the bottom line is that it appears that that there is an agenda to make Earth like it was in the past, not like it is now. Conditions uh, during that time, average carbon dioxide levels, uh, you know, average temperatures about 46 degrees during the Pleistocene. Uh, 30% of the Earth's surface was covered by ice. If we drop those temperatures, that's what we're going to be looking at. These were extinctions, extinction events of big, what's called megafauna, mammals, woolly mammoths, saber-toothed tigers, armadillo sloths, plants, grasses, and trees 
were uh, were at the mercy of the warming and the cooling cycles. The human population was only about 500 million at that time. So if we take all of the agendas that are being proposed, all the war, uh, what we're seeing happening with uh, with pandemics and our response to the pandemics, uh, the demonization of carbon and carbon dioxide, uh, if we put all those together, what the net result is that we have a planet that's nothing like the planet we have today. So the question is, who benefits from that? And the people of the Earth are not the beneficiaries of, of that. So now we have to ask the bigger question. When we talk about the other factors of disclosure, multiple disclosures are happening, and there, there are multiple interests, uh, according to those disclosures, from multiple uh, off-planet civilizations that have an interest in Earth. And I think the question, John, is, is why? We talked about this in a quartet briefly, uh, in a recent quartet. The cosmos is a big place. Why Earth of all the places? Why now of all the times in history? Uh, and why is it so important to do this covertly, if, if we're interacting with a, a global uh, or a, a, a cosmic civilization, why not work together in a way that's benefit, beneficial for both? Why would this kind of, of an agenda be done covertly? And those are questions. I, they're big questions. I think are questions we need to ask ourselves. And so I'd, I'd like to have well, your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, it turns out I've been thinking about exactly the same thing for the last couple of weeks in part spurred by a book that I've been reading. Uh, and uh, I've come to the conclusion, for what it's worth, that as you suggested, that uh, when you drill yourself down to who benefits, who benefits, who benefits, as you work your way through all of this, you uh, inevitably come uh, to the level that you're talking about that says that there's an off-planet uh, kind of uh, in- impact or force or uh, in- involvement in all of this. And that, um, and, and if you dig a little further into this, what you find out is, and uh, again, I'm going to try to kind of walk around this thing in a way such that we can get to get this public grab, is that there are um, there are groups who um, are particularly interested in trying to dominate uh, uh, planets like ours and, and civilizations like ours. Uh, and they've done that many other places. And they have a uh, common modus uh, operandi. And that is uh, one, a long term, there apparently are some kind of rules of engagement uh, in these areas so that you can't come blazing in like the movies with guns and other kind of things and drive people. But what you can do is you can try to influence and shape and color the environment such that they will make their decisions in the direction that you would like them to make them. Uh, this is driven primarily, of course, by fear uh, from uh, many uh kind of points of view and from many kind of directions, all of which are kind of forcing people over toward this area of technocracy and, uh, and, uh, uh, and the, uh, and the control and, and essentially, uh, 
uh, using humans and, and co- the consciousness of humans as a kind of energy sources. It's very much like the movie Matrix, interestingly enough, where uh, there are these individuals, these humans that are uh, uh, kind of lined up and controlled in an environment and, uh, and that it, and that they are used as energy sources because that's intrinsically what we are. This simple 30-second method reverses memory loss for good. It's so easy you can do it from the comfort of your own home. Basically what we all bring to the table. And so these, uh, these, for, these uh, uh, forces in their groups, and they have names and such, uh, have... Uh, have been at this for a long time. It's very sophisticated, and it's a, essentially an insurgency problem, where they work their way into the system. They get control at high levels, uh, and they dominate and, uh, and blackmail, or however it is that they get control with the individuals who run the system. And then, uh, uh, of course, they start to squeeze it into a new direction. Now, turns out, uh, apparently, that there are also other forces that are in play in this other other earthly realm, uh, whose um, job it is, and who see their role is to, as a matter of fact, get in the middle of uh, of that the the dynamic, the process that we that I've just described, uh, such that the Nascent, the emergent uh, civilization, uh, in fact, because they don't understand what's going on, certainly in general. There are certain people at the top that seem to, but uh, the the people in general uh, don't know, and therefore what apparently the rules, prime directive, call it what you'd like, I guess, allows that when those people on, say, the Earth, the emerging citizenry, um, get to the place where they've realized in some degree what is going on here, that they can literally ask for help, and it's, uh, uh, and, and other forces are available to be able to, um, to come to the, come to the fore. And uh, in, far more effective ways than we have to be able to uh, disengage and, uh, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and eliminate the, uh, these, this effort that has been going on to, to essentially uh, use uh, in, uh, methods of kind of, of kind of burying themselves within the uh, system to kind of get humans to make their own decisions. Now, I say all that to say that the sources that I'm looking at, and there's multiple ones, including some folks that you and I know, who have agreed with me that that is exactly what in fact is happening, and they haven't told that to, to anybody else. 
And, and more than that, that, that the principal solution of the middle of this is two things. And one of them is this raising levels of consciousness and frequency such that uh, you are impervious to the efforts of these lower dimension, lower frequency kind of uh, entities. And, uh, and then... Uh, uh, the second component of this that's important and interesting to me is that, um, uh, and, and so you have to ask for, and then you have to ask for help, uh, and you ask for help at a, at a level of parity, uh, that you, you're not a subordinate in any way, but you're just trying to put together an alliance, if you will, of the, or partnership with equal forces that that are and they can do things that you can't do and you can do things they can't do and so it's not a subordinate kind of position kind of thing so ask for help increase your increase your frequency increase you know which is essentially eliminating fear and you know if you want a bottom line to the whole thing bumper sticker thing no more fear and if you can get into that kind of space, then then you're not ex- accessible to play all of these things. And uh, uh, and one more point, then uh, the uh, sources that I have are suggesting that in fact that there's been a major this last year, last calendar year, twenty twenty-two, that the um, good forces, if you will have uh, made uh, extraordinary kind of advances and have essentially uh, driven the negative uh, forces um, off the planet and what, out of the solar system at least, or something like that. And therefore, what is happening is that the the human uh, component, the human leadership elements who used to have the cover and resources and the other kind of things from this off-planet group. And there's, it's a group, but it's an, it's a number of uh, uh, groups in a larger group. They've uh, always had the direction and the help and the resources and so on. And now that's gone. I've got this from three different sources, independent sources. That's gone, and that those folks who we all kind of presume to be up at the top are and, and kind of driving things are scrambling very hard to try to hang on because they've lost their uh, their uh, kind of sponsor, if, if you will. Uh, and so, uh, which is why. Uh, all of the, I would suggest that uh, people like Martin Armstrong and, and Cliff High and others all say that 2023 is going to be wild and crazy because what you've got is the residual leadership who have lost their support and their energetics and other kind of things apparently who are going to be carrying on, hanging on as best they can, uh, because they can see the clip, clip coming very closely, and uh, and if they can't get this turned in time, you know they're going over the clip, and so it's existential. So the 
is this this is twenty twenty this year is amazing in terms of its importance and significance and um what it's doing essentially is driving humanity into a a corner of of, of uh, at which from which we have to uh, raise ourselves, broaden our awareness, and change the essence of who we are. And that defeating a criminal who tries to attack you is surprisingly simple. You just need to follow the Romanian Rambo's two golden rules of self. And that gives us, and not everybody's going to do that, but that gives us the new, the folks who are going in a new direction, the ability to go and rise to the occasion. But as you suggest, uh, there are uh, perhaps a majority of the people on the planet who are not prepared for that and are going to carry be carried on in the direction that, uh, that you've described. Well, John, you know, I think our our viewers know this is a completely unscripted conversation. We, <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, that's well, that's that's what makes it so interesting. So, I think it is interesting that you and I were are both thinking and have been over recent. I, I've certainly thought about this in, in the past. Uh, again, I'm an earth scientist, so I'm I'm looking at the policies that are being proposed from the perspective of earth scientists and, and where it leads. So, I've I've thought about this. In the past, but the last couple of weeks, there has been something has shifted, and uh, and the the drive to understand how all the pieces fit together, and what what I'm saying, and I, I so appreciate everything that you just shared, because we're we're looking at, at two different things that the terraforming of our planet, and this is a, a term that's actually coming up now because Elon Musk is uh, is proposing terraforming Mars. To make it habitable for for us, uh, and even terraforming parts of the moon. So the idea that uh, a highly advanced, technologically sophisticated civilization would be terraforming Earth to support their biology is not so you know that's that's not so out there right now. But that's a long term project that's a long-term perspective and we've we've not lost the planet yet from from our perspective and the irony this is the irony john is the the policy the thinking that led to the policies uh that have have caused so many nations now to move away from fossil fuels those policies have now failed them because the alternatives are not yet in place and they're scrambling now for sources of energy that are now less efficient than if they had just left things alone. So they're going, for example, Europe is going firing up their coal fired plants. So now we're going to be burning coal again in, in Europe, one of the most populated parts of the planet, actually contributing more to the CO2 they were hoping to eliminate by leaving the fossil fuel. So, so this is, is, is a long-term perspective. But on, on the near term, John, and I've said this publicly and I've said openly, I believe there is a battle for our humanness. And all of these things that create the fear are what keeps us from the, the deep truth of our humanness. And the, the word that's used for this in, in the Hindu traditions is called Atman, 
And the, the best translation in English is, is our divinity, and it has nothing to do with religion, but it, it is our ability to transcend the perceived limits of our species in the past. That's all it is. And the, the transhuman movement to replace our biology with synthetics, with polymers, to reprogram our immune system, all of these, uh, if they're embraced, they stand between us and the highest expression of ourselves. They keep us from our divinity. So what I'm hearing from you, John, is the best way for us to, to transcend and not without even fighting, without even fighting the battle. We win by becoming the best version of ourselves, by embracing our humanness and and the the nature of humans to live in community and to love and support one another, by doing that, that is completely antithetical to the policies that are being proposed that keep us isolated and in fear from one another and in fear of our own power. So so the bottom line, by being the best version of ourselves, we win the battle without ever having to fight. Yeah, that and that point in, in different terms uh, comes up in the middle of all of these assessments and analysis. That I'm saying, and that is that uh, humans are different in some way. And all of us have heard, you know, you know how to love and so on. And that there, that there have been multiple attempts to try to describe the uniqueness of human, humans in this human experience, experiment, if you will. Um, and uh, the point that Keeps, I keep seeing is that we have an energy source that there is in our consciousness um, a powerful uh, uh, source of energy that in fact attracts uh, forces from uh, all kinds of places other dimensionally and other kinds of things all because they see us as an energy source and to the extent that they can control that then uh, they, they feed off all of this. I mean, that if everybody was happy, uh, everybody on this planet was happy for one day, that it would essentially eliminate a lot of this uh, other dimensional involvement and force because they would lose that negative fear-based energy that is being, you know, generated by all these folks. I, so the principle is there. The idea is there that there's something unusual here. And the thing that encourages me about all of this, as I've suggested, is that there are uh, indications. It's hard, hard to know for me to know for sure what's real or not, but I'm seeing more and more of it show up and, I'm seeing people like Penny Kelly who say, yep, that's what's going on, and that those indications are that this has changed. And so there has been some substantial um, disruption of the kind of support and subsidiary systems that, for, from that, which include things like pedophilia and sex trafficking and all kinds of really kind of nasty things. Um, and that so that this is a multi kind of dimensional effort to try to kind of cut the legs off or the knees and people you know these forces off 
at the, the levels to that sustain them and drive them drive them out of the system. And so I'm encouraged by that. I, I am as well, John. And, and what you're describing is part of a, a multi-decade, multi-generational effort to dehumanize mm-hmm. us. Uh, you begin turning men against women, and then you, you try to blur the lines between a man and a woman. You blur the lines between children and adults. You blur the lines of morality. You blur the lines between the rich and the poor, and you blur all of those lines. And pretty soon, the specialness that we sense, yeah. uh, it, it disappears, and it makes us vulnerable. If there's no specialness there. Why not replace this with polymers and artificial intelligence and synthetics. And this, uh, I think, is is where the battle is, is really coming down with our, our young people right now. You know, when we, when we talk about, so now we're talking about off-planet intelligence, and there's so many different perspectives. We, we know there has to be more than one. Well, there is more than one off-planet intelligence. And there are different perspectives. They're, they're the dark forces that we're talking about. Uh, I'm, I'm a consultant in an archaeological project, and the artifacts that have been found with this project depict uh, human-like beings from another world coming to this world because their world is in trouble. And mm. it looks like the, the problem, that, and, and I, we cannot read yet the, the glyphs because they're in a language we don't understand. But it, it looks like they're in trouble because their son is going through some kind of a evolutionary process. If there was another group of human-like beings who were in trouble and needed our, our planet, needed what we have, I it's so interesting to me that it would be in an adversarial relationship rather than a cooperative relationship. Why not work together and help help? We share obviously the same DNA. We have to because we're so similar. Uh, and the archaeological and the anthropological evidence is, is showing us that our, our genome hasn't changed in 200,000 years. It appeared and it appeared because of some kind of intervention. So maybe, uh, I just think it's interesting that if there was another civilization in trouble and they needed a new home, I, the opportunity to work and cooperate and where we could both yeah. benefit from one another would be so. Would be so beautiful as opposed to an adversarial thinking where there's only enough room for one or the other. Yeah. Uh, and and so that's a whole different conversation that, that we can have. But I, I think they're all playing out at the same time, the dark forces. and uh, Well, forces. I think that's part. I think you're right. And I think that's part of this whole evolutionary jump in this, you know, the emergence of a new human and the broadening of awareness and the other kind of things that are all part of this. And that there is a whole new, you know, very large community of life out there. That is, uh, as a matter of fact, it's not just one or two species. It's at least there's dozens of them that I've seen and, you know, people that have drawn pictures of them and so on. You know, and this starts 25 years ago when 
You know, I've raised some money from a friend to uh, $150,000 or something like that to have another friend do a study specifically of the kind of alien kind of communities or uh, uh, types that there were in, in this area. And in any case, there's lots of them. And they play in different roles. They have different kinds of alliances and federations and such. And so it's, uh, uh, you know, this is part of, for me at least, it's really a significant part of this broadening and raising awareness, expanding awareness, because you suddenly start to back away and say, oh, by the way, there's a parallel thing in terms of AI uh, artificial intelligence that's going on, and I would suggest to you there's an extraordinary book called Scary Smart, uh, written by the guy who used to be the CEO of Google X, which was their far out think tank development hmm. group that was doing. And the first half of this book just uh, establishes over and over again where. AI is going right now, and it is mind-blowing in turn. And his position is that uh, it's inevitable. It takes over. There's no way in any way that, from his point of view, that it doesn't take over. And so then the question becomes, how do we as humans influence it? He suggests very much like raising a child. How do you? These are our children, and so... How do you give them the principles and the ideas wherewithal to try to see the world and themselves in a, in a benign, uh, contributing kind of way? And uh, uh, he doesn't have this larger kind of perspective that we are talking about here, and so I would suggest that there are other scenarios. This is not the only one. It's certainly a significant one, my, my guess, is that there you know, it turns into this technologic, technographic, technologic great space. Uh, but there is another one where this is the development of, of each of us as humans and our consciousness and our capabilities that uh, is independent from that. And so there's a new space where we can go. But I mean, it, it's fascinating. It's amazing. Uh, me what's going on here and uh, trying to make some some kind of sense out of it well john i i agree and i appreciate everything you just shared we could go on and on with this because there's so many so many different uh places where this could lead but i, I think i think it is an important conversation when you look at the big picture that we're talking about suddenly a lot of the stuff that doesn't make sense begins to make more sense yeah, yeah. because because the changes are not about making a better world for us. And that's the disconnect for me. Why would we want to do these things if, if they're not helping uh, to create a better world for us? But if if you follow them to where they lead, they are creating a world. And yeah. when we look at, at all of these pieces, I think it helps us to see to see the big picture, number one, to know that there there is uh, rhyme and reason to, to what's happening. And then it helps us to zero in a little, bit, a little bit more in our everyday lives, John, to appreciate uh, our family, our community. Yeah. To appreciate the beauty and the green and the, the life, the abundant life on earth. 
And to not, I'm running into to, well, I'm, one of the things I'm seeing, John, one of the, the, the casualties of the thinking is that so many people are feeling such a deep degree of guilt because they're being told they've ruined a planet yeah. and they're, they're hurting, they're hurting their family and their, their neighbors and their brothers and sisters. And when we begin to look at it from this perspective, what we can see is the, the things that we cherish. Uh, I think we need to, to claim and we need to identify, uh, and we <clears throat> need to preserve those things in our lives that we cherish. And those are the things that support our humanness. And, and as we do that, we are actually elevating ourselves in all the ways that you're talking about. But, but you don't even have to know that. The beauty is you don't have to know that. Just be the best version of yourself. And I think that's really what it comes yeah, down to. But what you have to know is that you don't know. You know, that there's a place in here with the change is so great. And if you just start with the presumption that there are other entities and communities that have been around for millions of years, thousands and thousands more than ours, and if not millions, then it should, you know, there's, it kind of tamps down all the hubris that humans like to bring to the table in terms of, thinking that they really understand how this is all going. And so what you really want to do is kind of be open and have permeability and be able to be willing to see the world in a different way and don't start from the from the starting point that says you really understand for sure how this all works. <laughs> I agree. Well, John, I, I agree. I appreciate everything uh, that we've talked about today. I'm hoping this makes it to our yeah. Our community through all, all the filters uh, that yeah, are out there yeah. in social media. And, and um, I'd like to pick up where this is leaving off, maybe in our next conversation, our next we'll WhatsApp. It. We'll do it. And we'll do that in two weeks and when we come back. And thank you all for watching who've been with us here. And, uh, check Thanks us out at the Arlington Institute and see some of the other things that we're doing. Thanks, Craig. Be thank welcome. you, John. Take good care. Oh, boy. We have had quite a few treats tonight, everybody. We have one more here. Uh, here comes George Nury with his guest is Andrew Bartsis. And this is called Galactic Ascension Machine. With so many planets in our galaxy, why do souls incarnate on Earth? Picking right up off that conversation there. Relating how we came to be and why. Galactic historian Andrew Bartsis uh, explores a multidimensional scope of humanity 10,000 generations into the past and into the future, sharing how we can awaken to collective consciousness as we learn our roles in our soul families. Hey, Rama. If we're ending time like this, can't this be simultaneous? Uh, say possible. Say possible. <laughs> okay. Say possible. Sharing how we can awaken to collective consciousness as we learn our roles in our soul families, Bartsis offers his insight on the galactic ascension machine and how our emotions are a part of our soul's awareness. As our planet moves toward ascension, 
We can, we can support the process by working through our trauma to release our karma and realize our dharma. Andrew Batsis is a Reiki master and Akashic Records reader. He is the author of the book, The Galactic Historian, The World According to Andrew Bartzis. And this is 37 minutes. And we'll get started here. Okay. score bottom of the ninth inning our team hit a home run and my world changed at first i thought i would just be like a news reporter i didn't understand that it would involve business websites internet before any of that ever existed we're a combination of 66 worlds in a binary star system that i call the galactic ascension machine not all soul families are good example the elites that rule this world a lot of young children who have traumas they can smell the mouse fart next door let's just say there's well over 10,000 species actively invested with the journey to awaken or to keep us asleep. Welcome to Beyond Belief. George Norrie with you. Andrew Bartz is with us, a Reiki master and Akashic Records reader known as a galactic historian. Fascinating. He reads and interprets individual, global, Galactic Histories. Andrew, welcome to Beyond Belief. Well, thank you. I'm glad to hear, be here with you. How in the world did you get involved in this? Well, I actually started out at a baseball game when I was nine years old. Really? Cleveland Indians, and it was a tied score, bottom of the ninth inning. Our team hit a home run, and my world changed. They weren't playing by Detroit Tigers, were they? No, 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 no. Um, what happened is I began to understand everyone who was in the stadium live who they were, what they were, 10,000 generations to the past and 10,000 generations to the future. It just hit you like that? It literally hit me like that with an awareness I had to do something with it and that I had to live a life as a young person and an adult person, not in a separation, but in a co-creative reality, meaning I was learning a language of multidimensionality that such as children who learn to speak two languages at a long age, are think differently when you hook them up to a brain scan process. And part of my journey and my activation at that point was to be in both worlds without competition between the others. Did you do this all on your own? Pretty much, yeah. There were things that helped me get me through the various humps of the process, but everything was personal choice. Every aspect from age 9, 10, 12 was personal choice. Do I dedicate myself to this? Do I dedicate to not have a competitional process between what's going on in the other worlds and what's going on in this world? Can I still be a human being here? If I can't be a human being here, there's no point in having the greater experiences on the other side. So you realized at a very young age, nine years old, this is what you wanted to do for a living. Yeah, but it, like, at first, I, when I was young, I thought I would just be like a news reporter on like CBS News giving an update on the changes that the humanity was going through, like a two-minute spot. Sure. I didn't understand that it would involve business, websites, Internet, before any of that ever existed. What was the aha moment for you beyond the nine-year-old thing? Um, I did a sweat lodge with the Weichel Indians, a guy named Brant Secunda, when I was 20. 
And it was one of those moments where the communal prayer of everybody that was there completed a circuit in me. I grew up Greek Orthodox, and I understand what prayer was, but this was something different. I love the Greeks, by the way. Yeah. Great community. It was palpable. It was internal. It was external. It was purifying. And it reminded me of people I knew in the past and the experience at the baseball game. Why did I have to know who they were 10,000 generations into the past and in the future? Because we're coming into a confluence of all these beings who want to be incarnated here now in earth. And there's a limitation process of who can get born and who dies every day. So the greater journey of understanding why people come into this world, the type of experience they're looking for, there are thousands of other worlds. What makes this world different? And why did I come here with this point of view of the galactic historian People come here because this is what I call you get your double PhD in the school of hard knocks here. Absolutely. You learn source connection and source disconnection. The main role of this world is we're a culmination of 66 worlds in a, in a, in a binary star system that I call the galactic ascension machine. All those beings who over millions of years engaged in negative forms of time travel, time travel erasure, they created a toxic pollution amongst many other worlds. So the high-level entities and founder beings put everything in one solar system that were the greatest offenders. And Earth is at the peak of it. It's where you learn your greatest amount of source connection, disconnection. It's where you can resolve the unresolvable here. What is a galactic historian, Andrew? It's a being who's lived the entire dramatic process through each and every soul family in the greater galactic eras of light. So instead of thinking years... Think of uh, an era of light might be how much a solar system or a galaxy has grown in life force. It reaches this point where it's maximum and the the galaxy expands. We we know that this regularly happens. The galaxy go through expansion processes. And when it does, you're there to record it and all the individual dramas that are around it to try to prevent it or accept it. And here, the galactic historian, meaning I lived in just about all of the soul families that have secrets or don't have secrets or have one point of view that the others don't. So it's all coalesced in one place. Fascinating. And on Gaia's program, Microdose, they talk about diving into the Akashic Records. And then let's talk about your Akashic Records. It's been referred to as the Hall of Records, the Library of Light, the Mind of God, um, God's Remembrance. There's many ways that they are referred to. And they hold what we would call our past, present, and potential future. And it's because we are here in linear time in the third dimension, and we've agreed to this time-space continuum that says, well, there is a past, there is a present, and there's the future. But where these records reside, we could say, is really in the eternal now, in the present moment. And so there is no past, there is no future, there is only now. When I explain about the eighth dimension and the Kashyyyk records. I used to explain it like if it were a library or kind of a Wikipedia where you can go and look for any information you want. But for the eighth dimension, when you realize that every dimension is just a perspective of reality, you will realize that the eighth dimension is not a place where you have to go to look for that information, but you have to become in order to see 
and filled that information. It would seem that accessing the Akashic records is a more metaphysical process than merely reading words on a physical page. So how is human consciousness connected to the Akashic realm? If we think that we are a leaf or a flower in a tree, and because we are a leaf or a flower, we are trapped in the tree, is because we didn't understand that the flower and the leaf are the product of the tree. They are not something separate. They are trying to feed the tree with every experience, with every breath. You are feeding the network. The Akashic Records is like this library where every book that haven't been written yet and every book that was written shares the information all the time. Andrew, is it easy to access the Akashic Records? Yes, for me, because I've been doing it for so long and I've reached an internal process where there's no competition, no hierarchical order to have access as long as I remain in a neutral perceptive state, not allowing information to stick. I call it the sacred neutral perspective where I, I just give myself that choice that no matter what the data is, it is just data. You're just impartial. Um, well, there's the next level of impartial where I've made it a personal choice to how to speed up or slow down the information so that if I'm trying to perceive something, it's coming at me in many different forms, often in a form of a coded light. How do you use the Akashic Records? Well, I could read people like many other psychics. So data is available at any moment of time. It's just a matter of how I'm going to process it. Like when I'm working with a person, the first thing I look at is their atlas and access, their C1 and C2. It says everything that's going on in their reality. It's like, is the spinal column in alignment? Is it not aligned? Is it emotionally disabled? Is it emotionally enabled? You can tell that? Yeah. And use the Akashic record to determine, is this a past life process? Is this a DNA issue going back to their mother and father? Do they have cancers? And, and all those things can become a part of that journey. And it's a matter of what they're ready for. As a human being, when we're in the mother's womb, Are we developing mentally at that point? Yeah, from the moment the seed meets the egg, you are in what's called womb time, where our astral worlds are break down to the North Pole, our ancestors, those that came before us, and the South Pole, the ancestors that are going to come, the one are planning birth. So those astral societies that are in the South Pole, as soon as that egg and a sperm meet together, you go into this state of at leaving the no time and entering time where the beginning of your consciousness expands with the different growth of the cells, like the heart's the first organ sure. that's born, the tongue is the second organ. And as you begin to develop, you begin to plan spiritual contracts. Who's your third grade teacher? Is your mother and father going to be a verbal arguer early or are they going to learn about and it? We're planning that out. Yeah, we're planning all of this out, but we're planning out the infinite potentials. So free will is still a clear choice. Fascinating. After birth, what happens? So after that breath that says, I want to live and I will not fail at my breath to live, there's the first 18 months where you can change contracts. Let's say, you know, instead of using wood to build a house, you need to use concrete because that's all available. You have to build a different high school or you have to make a different group of friends and other free will that involves learning social activities, interacting with friends and family, or making a choice. Are you going to be a professional pianist the whole life? Because that's 
what's coming out to you. When do you make those choices early on? Baby size? Um, two to six. Really? Yeah. Two to six. While we're still forming the majority of our personality and how family members influence, like what does money mean? Like for the longest time, there are a lot of people that were heavily confused because at an early age, they were taught money is more important than love. That or is, that is dangerous. Very dangerous. And you see a lot of cultures and societies that function that way. How does free will play into this? It is the most important gift we have as human beings. Do we have a choice? Absolutely, we have a choice. Just because something's been infinitely planned out doesn't mean you can't choose. And all the fetus is doing is in a dream state, looking at the unique potentials of what the 10 billion human beings that live on this world could potentially be if you were to see it as an algorithm. That Joe is born, Joe meets Anne, Joe and Anne have a child, and all of that is an, an algorithm of what it takes for them to get together, and all of that's free will co-creation for them to do that. At any time, they could quit. At what age, Andrew, do you start counseling these people? At a bunch of ages. I mean, I've done some teenagers and some younger people. Do they get it? It depends. Everybody's in a different place. And part of using the Akashic Record is what I see is what will affect them six months from now? What are the words that I can come up with? Or a year or two years. Or a year or two years that actually gives them the greatest chance for potential change. Now, if it's somebody that's like a professional adult and they've been dealing with depression their whole life, it's going to be spiritual motivation. And do you have a daily practice? And a daily practice is more than just meditation. It's an enthusiastic effort to do, whether it's meditation, yoga, free thinking, artwork, you're doing something to better yourself and grow your natural energy field with that enthusiastic effort. Why is it important to know our past lives? So we don't make the same mistakes? Here's an example. Over again. If we knew 0.01% of our past lives, we'd never make the same girlfriend or boyfriend mistakes. Our government would never be the way it is today. That's just 0.01. And we'd know when to invest in Apple stock. Exactly. Our stock market wouldn't even be what it is today. Let's look at a clip from Gaia's Microdose about the benefits of knowing past lives. The past lives explain something in current life because the past lives have a direct connection to life today. They explain something we're working on to change in life today, which is what we call karma. They also can explain a relationship, a phobia, a, you know, a physical symptom. The soul is required to evolve and we're required to learn. So we gather karma and we also gather dharma. And that's what we're working on in our current life. Karma is a free will decision we made in a past life that perhaps wasn't the best decision. It's, you know, it's not a permanent black mark on your soul. It's something you can balance in a subsequent life. You have a life plan, life intentions, and then you basically come in with free will. Many humans experience profound suffering during their lifetime. So why would a soul choose to come into body knowing it will be painful? It's perfectly plausible to me that from the framework outside of this one, we would choose to come into it knowing that we were going to be having a certain kind of suffering because we know from that framework that it's time limited, that you'll be out of it. 
But then once you get into this framework, see that knowledge is blocked, so that you're faced there with the raw suffering, uh, without the insight maybe that event that you chose it in the first place, but also that it will be over. One of the most fascinating parts of reincarnation is the idea of a soul group or a group of souls that choose to incarnate together. I know this from client after client after client, where what they come upon at times in at the soul level uh, of a regression is a group of souls with whom they incarnate repetitively. So simply put, I like to call it a soul pod. A soul pod means most of us have about 10 to 20 souls with whom we incarnate most often. If you're the parent and there's a child, you made an agreement at the soul level to be parent and child. You came together for a reason. Tell us more, Andrew, about these soul groups. How do they accumulate? So I call them soul families. And we're not in one soul family. If we see ourselves as ancient beings, and I'm a big believer, there are very few young souls here in our reality. Right. This, this is the place where people get their double PhD. And whatever young souls that are here, they made it out of effort. So a soul family, you can have many. Example, like star seeds, like you're a Pleiadian, you're an Arcturian. And you come to this world with the attributes from those other worlds. And those attributes fade after a lifetime or they get stronger the more that you work with the different groups. Are we aware of them? At some level. Not all soul families are good, though. Example, we look at the elites that rule this world. They're not common, commonly accepted as normal soul family. They're at an elite status with an elite level and only allow a certain group of people within that. They've got their own agenda. They've got their own agenda that lasts hundreds of thousands of years. And it's a closed-door club versus the common indigenous group that shares their culture, their teachings, their healings, who are open to everyone, no matter how advanced or unadvanced that you are. And then there are, like the person was saying, pods, people you regularly incarnate with. These are the core people that you're going lifetime to lifetime with, where this person may be your regular eighth grade teacher, or this person may be your regular first failed love, because you know each time you get that failed love, there's going to be a lesson that comes from it that makes you a stronger person. And that one person you chose was great as a failed first love, but right. 35 years later, they're still your best friend. What do you think of karma? Is it real? Yeah, absolutely. Karma can be minute and it can be great. It can be as minute as not tipping your server and it can be as great as starting a war. And then the sub things that are attached to that. But does it come back and bite you? Sometimes it bites you like a, a gnat, and other times it bites you in the wallet. Like other a times, scorpion. Exactly. What determines that? With the veracity of intention. Explain. So, if one decides I want to start a war and I don't care about the outfects of it, that means all the choices that are handed to the downward positions of those that are going to enforce the war, the karma goes up to you. The veracity, that means you've, you've made a decision and all those underlings still have an aspect of the karma, but the totality of it goes uphill. That old saying, what goes around comes around. Correct. It's pretty poignant, isn't mm -hmm. it? And that's why war has tied our karmic cycles and journeys together 
which is so hard to break right now. How did you learn this? Trial and error? Or did it about the karma? Yeah. Watching people. I mean, I understood my own natural karmas. I understood why I had the experience at a young age that there needed to be people that could understand the multidimensional functionality of this world and begin to help people break out of mediocrity. And once breaking out of mediocrity and there's no iron hold because this world has got an iron hold on mediocrity. Right. And once that happens and you are confident enough in your own self and you don't need external validation, learning about karma is the nuances of it. What is traumatology? Studying of people's traumas and relating them to how to heal them. Part of what I do is I, I, I study people's traumas, decades of doing this and understanding this type of trauma creates this type of karma. This type of karma has this type of resolution and then pairing them together with the right resolution. When you do that, what does that do for the individual? It unlocks their greater potential. Some of them come with no purpose or just like sheets in the wind. And all of a sudden there's a circuit complete in them that hadn't been completed in their life. What creates trauma, Andrew? Um, anything from parents arguing at a young age to violence. It all depends on how much it's damaged Illness. the core youth. Yeah, it can be youth that also. Cancer at a young age does a tremendous amount of things to the young children's oh mind. Oh, my God. That's one of the okay. scariest, mm-hmm. saddest things I've seen when you go through a ward mm-hmm. of children who have cancer. Okay. And each of every one of them is afraid, yet still connected to their little spirit inside that says, I won't give up. And how did they get picked for that kind of trauma? That's before life. That's that's that seed meets the egg. They've chosen that. Did something happen in a previous life to them? Not always. Sometimes it's just about the experience. Or is it rotten luck? No, as I said, we come here for learning source connection and disconnection at the highest level. And let's say you're a kid with leukemia at nine and with parents who don't have the money to afford it, but somehow they got to get it together. And the love that it took to get together for the mother and father to raise that money to heal that child is the unique experience the child and the mother and father signed up for because it changed the story of love. What kind of traumas do you see the most? Tremendously a, a sexual abuse trauma is, is so common amongst our, our, our world right all now. All ages? Yeah, all ages. Oh, and then physical trauma, and then it's created a, a subculture of very destructive personalities that refuse to seek help. When you say refuse to seek help, why is that? Does a psychopath have emotions? No. So do they have regret? No. So they're never going to seek something that isn't to their reality. Well, that's a good point. Unfortunately, the traumatized world that we live in with the elites that rule this world, trauma-based victimology creates psychopaths. On that subject of trauma, Tiffany Barsotti talks to Regina Meredith about that. Mm-hmm. Most of the people I know who are noted as, as psychics and make yeah. their living as successfully as psychics mm-hmm. have had some pretty severe trauma in their early lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think if there are many exceptions to that. And I, I personally don't know anyone who is profoundly psychic who just had an idyllic childhood. It's true. 
Yes, this this idea about idyllic childhood and for those of us that have had these profound gifts sort of just given to us, um, making sense out of what the environment was like. Why why were we given these gifts if they and in such profound ways? What do we do with them? And why did we have to come out of such contrasting situations in order to create that? Yeah, I would argue it slightly differently. Okay. I would say you weren't given anything that mm. you came in with these. These are talent skills that have been most likely already present in previous times and incarnations that you came in with. But why is it a person has to be traumatized and almost separated out from the herd in order to really start implementing these skill sets. It's it's true. Yeah. I do find that the why I don't fully understand, but I do know and this herd mentality is very important to, mm-hmm. uh, to also understand because if we're going to affect a change, whether it be in our life before it can be in anybody else's because we certainly need to be on the operating table first. That these kinds of things really demand these kinds of events, what I had to live through and what many others have had to live through, they demand a different kind of attentiveness to the energies that are, are really trying coursing through our blood, coursing mm-hmm. through our bones, that need to be directed. And left undirected, there's another part in my anger as a kid. I could move objects, mm-hmm. and I could only do it when I was angry. Right. There's a lot of kinetic energy in anger. Yes. Right. And stuff would go flying mm-hmm. and my mom like even there would be music that she'd be playing and I was like I really don't want to hear that right now and the record player the the needle would lift off the record return back and go back and she's like Tiffany did you just do that and I'm like oh <laughs> <laughs> I guess I did I really didn't want to hear that right yeah. now do you agree with her Andrew for the most part I noticed you cringing a little bit on something she said we choose words and the semantics of words at time. I have met many psychics that haven't been traumatized at a young age. Right. Now, did I go through traumas at a young age? No different than anyone else. I was not abused. I, I, went, I went through my own choice. You seem like you have your act together. But I also knew no matter how damaged others are, I didn't take it on. And a lot of young children who have traumas, I, I use this terminology, they smell the mouse fart next door out of their intuitiveness, oversensitivity. And oftentimes that creates another trauma within children. They're so tuned to their environment that they're always in data overload. And another thing is trauma is one of those things we're here to experience. It's not all bad. Example, if you just use the common thing of a breaking of a relationship and sometimes those relationships come back together or you get a better one, you get a better one. Part of learning how to live here is to deal with the negativity that can happen and how we gracefully deal with it. Isn't it helpful to make mistakes and learn from them? Absolutely. I make mistakes all the time. But you learn from them. Absolutely. And there are times that I I repeat it. I I repeat the dumb mistake over and over again. You do? Sure. I'm just like everyone else. Part of trauma or part of just being a psychic is what do you do to not hold on to it? What spiritual practices or what I call spiritual hygiene do I create for myself 
just like you would vacuum your floors and change your sheets in your environment, there's something you have to do with your own self that helps you maintain a form of spiritual hygiene or a cleanliness that allows you to continue to do this higher density subject matter without absorbing the negative energy. How many people do that for themselves? Very few. That's what I Unfortunately, very few. Unfortunately. And part of what I've been teaching since early 2012 is a delicate balance between what is self-healing, self-nurturing, and self-mastery. Self-healing means you got to love yourself enough. Self-nurturing, it's a form of love, but you got to plan how to nurture yourself and know what's wrong with you. And then self-mastery is that journey to healing and loving yourself. What is ceremony and ritual? Are they so two cer- different things? They can be the same, but ceremony is a challenge we create in ourself where we take our daily spiritual practices and we come to a moment like a solstice or an equinox where we intentionally raise our frequency, use our prayer process, whatever religion or non-religion, doesn't matter, where we've gone through an extended process, like this is my previous peak of energy, and the ceremony is now to get my energy just a little bit higher. And every time you do a ceremony, it would be to raise your frequency and go through that personal challenge of what does it take to raise my my frequency. Is it difficult to do? No, no, it just takes effort, enthusiastic effort. Meditation? That can be one of them, but I, I'm one of those people that you need as many tools in the tools box because there are many people that just can't meditate, but they can sun gaze. They can't stand still. They can't stand still for whatever reason. And there are other techniques that are out there. There's so many techniques out there. Fill your, your toolbox up with whatever technique because the point is if you can have that enthusiastic effort in doing it versus it being a chore, you will get so much more out of the actual effort. What do you do to teach people how to live in this mode? Choice first. Explore. And know what your choices are. So example, if you're trying to have a spiritual hygiene, your choice is to follow through. You have to be committed. Without commitment, without courage, and all those things that keep you committed, you are going to have a challenging time discovering spiritual hygiene, discovering ritual and ceremony, and how they can cleanse and purify your internal thoughts and structures. And the daily journey becomes a weekly journey. The weekly journey becomes a monthly journey, which becomes a yearly journey. And if we're chronicling our journey, writing down what's happened to us, we can learn hindsight by learning back and looking at those documents that we've written. One of the biggest things I say, if you're not recording your spiritual journey or chronicling your journey, you're faking the experience. How many people practice what you preach? Thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands in their own way. By themselves? By themselves, yes. Self-taught? Well, I I do what's called self-illumination teachings. What is that? What does it take for you to be self-illuminated? We've heard an infinite amount of stories of rags to riches, you know, stories. The same thing can happen with spirituality. There's a common set of beliefs, no matter what religion or or spiritual science it is, that gives the person the best chance at personal growth. Understanding what a sovereign being is, separate of the legal world. Are you sovereign enough to hold your own energy and not give it away? Building on all of those concepts where self-illumination becomes natural, where you're no longer needing external validation for your internal truths. When we started the program, Andrew, we talked about how you started at nine years old. Yep. Here you are now. 
How much have you learned? Just a scratch. That's all. I, I don't um, think you've learned more than that. I have, but what applies? I mean, the choice. I mean, at a at a very early age, I figured out. I, I asked the questions I needed to ask to the Akashic Records. And you now it's a matter answers. of living here, and I don't want to know the future. I really don't. Because if I did, what point would be to be here? Would you alter the future if you knew? Probably. And that's why I came in with a contract to not permanently know the futures. I see this as a weather forecast. You had talked earlier about rituals. Chris Mm -hmm. Atwood was talking on Gaia's inspirations about the power of that. We specifically use rituals to say that rituals are conscious, intentional practices you use to improve your life. And you make them habitual because they do improve your life. Does the physical act of a ritual help you actually manifest something a little bit stronger than just the intention process? It's a great question, you know. The the truth is what helps us manifest anything is the power of our awareness, our ability to connect with the deepest part of our own nature mm-hmm. and then bring that manifestation from that place out into the world. So intention can be very powerful when the individual is connected to that part of themselves, to that deep inner part, what we call your spiritual core, transcendent core. But rituals are really a mechanism to be able to connect with that. So you're not talking necessarily about lighting a candle and sitting in a meditation ritual type of thing. You're talking about everyday, super practical. You're kind of reframing the idea of ritual in this book, aren't you? Well, we're talking about both, frankly, because we talk about everyday rituals, which are easy, simple things you can incorporate in your day as conscious, intentional practices. Mm -hmm. And we also talk about ceremonial rituals, which are more involved, which may involve lighting candles and music and incense and all of those things. But they they actually serve two very distinct purposes. A ritual has many purposes from many different perspectives and, and, of course, improve is a relative term. But what you'll see is in every industry, people who are really, really successful Mm -hmm. have all incorporated the rituals into their life in one way or another. And so you see that sports players use rituals to improve their performance, to be able to get their mind into the game, as it were. Mm -hmm. The musicians and artists use rituals to spark their creativity so that they can be the best at their at, at what their passion is. Uh-huh. Business leaders use rituals to create cohesive teams and to, to create strong corporate cultures. Celebrities use rituals to create balance between their personal lives and their work lives. And for me, all of those are improving your life. Much like what you've been saying. So there are little micro rituals. Example, like the place that you sleep, you sleep is something you should do a regular cleansing purification ritual oftentimes the new agers use sage but it doesn't have to be that it can be prayers sure it can be intentional energy just that first layer of this is where i sleep and i'm going to consciously apply my sacred wisdom so that the place that i sleep has my love and protection behind it and then there's the four corners of the bed the four corners of the room you can make it as extensive as you want. Seems like a simple formula. It is. Like I said, it's just like you would vacuum your floors in your house or change your sheets. There are certain repetitive rituals that can be incorporated into everyday life. Do you tap into other sources to do what you do? Yes. What are those sources? Are they so there's, or anything like that? Yeah, there's collective consciousness that are not of this world that have a very different view of our incarnational process. There are groups that are 
tens of thousands of different species that have created a temporary collective to try to understand what we are here. That many, huh? There's, let's just say there's well over 10,000 species actively invested with the journey to awaken or to keep us asleep. If we all access our Akashic records, which you've learned how to do, will we be happy by doing that or will we be scared? Not everyone will know right away what question to ask. And that question should be what? Who am I? What am I? Why Where am I? Why am I? But oftentimes, somebody who is run by, you know, financial gain will want to know tomorrow's lottery numbers. Or stock holdings. And which is personal responsibility now. Andrew, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. Thank you. How do people get a hold of you? You can go to my website, andrewbartz.com. You can all it out for us. Andrew, A-N-D-R-E-W-B-A-R-T-Z-I-S.com. And find me on Facebook and all the social media systems. Best to you. Thank you so much. It's great having human beings like Andrew helping steer us through life in the great direction we need to go. I'm George Norrie. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. my we did it I have a little just little sharing to do um, uh, this is a book this is the this is Caroline's latest book and um, it's called messengers from the spirits of abundance and the subtitle says channel guidance from the spirits of prosperity and true wealth. And so this goes, um, this excerpt, uh, the print version is available now, and Monday, January 30th, is the last day for Kindle pre-order bonuses and lower prices. So... I thought we had till February something, really. I think she might have extended that date. Don't you think, Ram? Mm-hmm. But this is from uh, Chapter 9. On moving from surviving to thriving. I think that's a good one. And so... Here we go. And, oh, Rama, see if you can get our sister Rainbird. Yeah. Um, How do I move from a survival-based persona to one that thrives and finds happiness, or at least peace? Lakshmi, goddess of wealth and prosperity, Fortuna, goddess of fortune and abundance, answer. This is one of the great conundrums of your world. For you have received much false teaching over thousands of years and many earth lives. These would have you either fear money or stand back from receiving it easily. 
whether due to feelings of unworthiness, uh, a lack of consciousness, or a distaste for money in general. All of these have less to do with money itself and far more to do with the plan to permanently disempower humanity, which we will speak of in a moment. Varying forms of fulfillment are required in order for a person to truly thrive. Yet, we shall speak of money first, as having enough money is no longer struggle, is to no longer struggle financially, feels to be a part of your question. First, understand that in order to thrive, even as circumstances appear grim, you need only be thankful for your place in life, thankful for any good thing you can find, or thankful for no reason at all that offers a great moment of healing and release from the many false teachings about abundance, about life. Thoughtfulness and a genuine feeling of appreciation and acceptance for any situation also offers a kind of empowerment that relatively few particularly in the wealthier parts of the world, will allow themselves. You are too used to never feeling satisfied. Much of the Western world lives in a state of constant restlessness, impatience, dissatisfaction, so that as something difficult occurs, Mm -hmm. you are all the more disturbed by it. You speak of changing your Persona, finding happiness, or at least peace. Yet we can, we can tell you that happiness will not come without peace. And that peace is so powerful to hold in one's being that happiness will either naturally follow or feel to be already present. To resonate with the feeling and inner knowing that all is well, is to move beyond the temporary state that most associate with happiness. Though happiness is a life-affirming, positive place for the mind and heart, most people feel it is dependent upon outer circumstances, consistently lining up as they prefer. Suddenly, placed in an outer situation that is not so positive, that happiness they had claimed an hour ago now feels to have moved further away in times of genuine loss, anger, grief, or aimless wandering. It can feel to be nearly unreachable. Are we there, Rama? Mm-hmm. You about a call? You just got a call on the phone, I think. Let us look at the seed of the survival-based persona. Huh? Oh, here we go. All right. As the feelings 
of unsureness about the money, positive connections, good health, and positive opportunities that most equate with thriving. What would be required for you to truly thrive in life? In all those areas, have you decided yet? For some, it would mean having the financial income to ensure whoops, that all that all bills are paid quickly and easily and that all necessary items as well as a few that were simply for fun or comfort were likewise easily obtained. It would mean experiencing good health in a steady way and happy connections with loved ones as well as fulfilling work and the right balance between quiet times on one's own and enjoyable times with others. Yet our questionnaire speaks of more than that, of having peace of mind and heart, of positive energy that carries one above circumstance to a place of centered calm, whatever may be happening outwardly. Beyond that, it would also mean a conscious path to inner growth, a connection to one's higher self and the universe in ways that brings a love of life and a deep feeling of purpose. So, turn the page. <laughs> All of this, based on a knowingness, knowing that you are loved, for others, these things would be happily accepted, yet never be enough. Their tastes, their interests, their social connections will require them to go well beyond the basics of a solid financial basis and enjoyable work, even beyond feeling loved and being in good health. They would also need to feel they were impressive, not only to themselves, rather to others, and to continue that role for as long as possible. At the other end of the spectrum, are those who simply desire to be free, to have their basic needs met, and the ability to travel, study, or volunteer as they desire, with few possessions to weigh them down in life beyond the essentials. Still others have little to no interest in thriving. They are more at home with feeling angry, depressed, or victimized by life. Without those roles to play and the ongoing complaints and low self-esteem they suffer daily, they would hardly know themselves. We judge none of this. However, a person wishes to live their life, however a person wishes to live their life, is entirely up to them. Yet we grieve that it is only the minority of human beings who are consistently making conscious choices and viewing themselves as the creators of their own lives. Most are simply answering to the reflexive, automatic demands of their subconscious heart-mind. The human subconsciousness has been powerfully manipulated and controlled for many centuries in modern times, chiefly by the modern media. Yet for thousands of years before that, Equally strict training from religion, patriarchal families, social structures, governments, 
both formal and informal education sought, in, sought to control human consciousness. The old matrix of etheric technology surrounding the planet so as to control human thought and behavior was long a source of lower vibrational experience. Its effects are waning now, increasingly losing their power. I'm getting there. Getting there. Turn the page. Okay. One's lineage is also a powerful influence. Most powerful than most will realize. More powerful than most will realize. Families have often followed the same pattern of loss or gain regarding money, health, love, other basics of human life for centuries. It's not unusual to have within one's DNA a form of dark training or orientation that amounts to a curse upon any of these areas of life. Actual curses put upon a person and their descendants, as well as oaths taken by them, including old religious, spiritual, martial, or personal vows and commitments, can also powerfully affect the quality of one's experience in any area of life that these decrees pertain to. If you understand this, full of modern phrases about releasing dense beliefs, they are convinced that by using affirmations daily and thinking positively, their life will move ahead with ease. And indeed, these methods can be very helpful, and we do not discourage anyone from using them, for they, they hold their own magic. One might say, they direct their focus, intent, and expectations to what you fully desire and the universe responds. Yet there is more to the story, dear ones. You are only just now beginning to realize, on a more conscious level, how deep the human psyche reaches and how far. The subconscious and your higher mind extend centuries backward or forward. They do not live on a linear timeline as our everyday conscious mind does. They remember, well, your past lives. And by the power of your soul, they can even tap into the experiences of your future lives. The pain of past life experiences alone answers a great deal as to why happiness and peace elude so many often far most, often for most of their life. They are unaware of the depth of healing that would need to occur in order for them to revert to being their true, whole, joyful self. And so on the road to thriving, anyone will find obstacles, many of them hidden deep in the spirit and subconscious. As you feel this means the cards are stacked against us, we would agree. And so, this leaves you wondering, how do I improve my lot when so much is already decided by the density in my subconscious, human history, and the prevailing energies of a corrupt system? We agree that this is indeed 
a great journey to walk. Yet there is a way forward. First, you must ask yourself what it means for you to thrive. The main components of that and the signs that you are thriving after so long simply surviving. And that's the word. And that's how far we have for tonight. And so this goes to our sister Rainbird. I can hear all kinds of all kinds of sounds coming from the other end of this line. So let's do it. Let's pass this talking stick to our sister Rainbird with angels, fairies, feathers, rainbows, crystals, and that emerald serpent feathered one, Quetzalcoatl. That's Lord Katumi in another form. Here it comes, Rainbird. Here it is. Okay, I got it, and I just now I'm mute, so I don't know what all those sounds are, but here I am. <laughs> oh, it, it sounds like you're creeping in the middle of the night to keep everything quiet so nobody else can hear you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, it is the middle of the night, and I'm grateful to be here. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. So... Thank you, thank you, thank you for all day long. We did it, and it's beautiful, it's wonderful, lots of fun, and here we are cooking it. I feel that energy, that forward movement happening, and it just, it's it's a moving train, isn't it? (laughs) I feel the moving train. I feel the anticipation of the astrology saying that there's a big shift in the air. Yeah, yeah, that's, and that's exciting, that's a, that's a good energy, I think, to feel that anticipation like that, so close, and for as long as we've been doing what we've been doing, it's, it's pretty exciting to see that that's, we might just culminate this into something quite golly, <laughs> so. I think you're right. Rama's got something on that screen. It says, learn how to trust the universe. Yeah, yeah. I like that. So let's trust the universe, and I pass this talking stick over to you, Rama. Here it comes. Okay. All right. Do you have the sound on? Lao puts it in this way, the great Tao flows everywhere, both to the left and to the right. It loves and nourishes all things, but does not lord it over them. And when merits are accomplished, it lays no claim to them. The more, therefore, you relinquish power, trust others, the more powerful you become. But in such a way that instead of having to lie awake nights controlling everything, you do it beautifully by trusting the job to everyone else. And they carry it on for you. 
This seems a sort of paradox to say this, but the principle of unity, of coming to a sense of, of oneness with the whole of the rest of the universe, is not to try to be, obtain power over the rest of the universe. That will only disturb it and uh, antagonize it and make it seem less one with you than ever. The way to become one with the universe is to trust it as another, as you would another, and say, let's see what you're going to do. But in doing that, you see, in saying that to everything else that you have been taught to think is not you, you are also saying it to yourself. Because finally, as I pointed out, you do not know where your decisions come from. They pop up like hiccups. And when you make a decision, people have a great deal of anxiety about making decisions. So when we decide, we're always worrying, did I think this over long enough? Did I take enough data into consideration? And if you think it through, you find you never could take enough data into consideration. The data for a decision in any given situation is infinite. So what you do is you go through the motions of thinking out what you will do about this. And then when the time comes to act, you make a snap judgment. <laughs> I mean, I'm speaking a little extremely. Uh, making some fun of it and uh, so on because after all uh, we, we do occasionally get the vague outlines of things and make a right decision on rational grounds but we fortunately forget the variables that could have interfered with this coming out right it's amazing how often it works but warriors are people who think of all the variables beyond their control and what might happen. So then when you make a decision and it works out all right, I think very little of it has much to do with your conscious intent and control. The more you let go of it and trust it, as if it were quite other than you, the more you realize the inseparable identity of self and other. If you ever saw, for example, the film Kantiki, uh, this man figured out a few things as to how to make a balsa wood raft to sail from South America to the Pacific Islands. But once he had set this in motion, he discovered that all sorts of unexpected factors cooperated with him. That when the wood got wet, it expanded so that the ties bit into it and held it completely secure. He had never expected that. And he found that as he sailed along, a flying fish would simply alight flat on the deck every morning 
for breakfast. That all kinds of natural factors, it was just, he, he, he touched a key where he was flowing with the course of nature and everything cooperated with him. Because he had touched the key, he had made the act of faith. And may the spirit of Tyree Nichols invoke the solar flash and may the spirit soul of this human race be elevated to its highest good for all concerned. Aho. Aho. Sat down. Thirteen thank yous, honey in the heart. No evil, live long and prosper. And good tidings to all. See you on that bridge. We have work to do. (laughs) Indeed. Aloha, everyone. Well, come and join us tomorrow. Uh, And... Um, this period, this transition period is reaching, uh, I mean, the, the messages from Faction 3 have been at its most intense time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as, uh, Saint Germain has always said, may we pass every test. And this would be the time. So the number here can join us. Uh, seven o'clock-ish mountain time. It would be nine p.m. Eastern. Um, and it's four two five four three six sixty two sixty. And the pin code is nine four six seven four four one pound. And, uh, see you in your dreams on the bridge. And aloha, as we say again. Mahalo, nui loa. Namaste.